three, one, boom. Corey Anderson, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? How are you, man? What's going on, Joe? It's we finally good. did it. Finally did it. We're yeah. here. And uh, got some techno hunt in as well. That, yeah. that I told you about that game. That game's very <laughs> addictive, isn't it? I'm already re- trying to get back out there and do some more when this is over. You so. get itchy, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's amazing, man. That that game's incredible. How long have you been bow hunting for? I've been bow hunting since I was 16 or 17, but I've been hunting my whole life. Wow. What switched you over to bow hunting? Uh, my high school teammate, actually. I used to go rabbit hunting and stuff with a shotgun. And I've been shooting a bow since I was like 12 or 11, just 3D shooting. Like, you ever bow hunted with it? Like, you can hunt with this? Like, yeah. Like, we go hunt all the time. So one day before school, he picked me up. And he went over to my buddy's house and got up in the stand. Well, he got in the stand. I couldn't climb because I didn't know what I was doing. I got stuck at the bottom of the tree <laughs> sitting with my bow on my lap. So, But that was my first time. And after that, I just kept going and every now and then in between practices and whatnot but now when i got time between fighting and whatnot i'm all hunting that's it oh i can tell by your instagram man <laughs> i follow your instagram all you're you're constantly shooting and hunting and practicing and it's, it's it gets in your blood i mean it's just like fighting like i said we're doing techno hunts i do it so much just muscle memory like everybody think oh you spend too much time hunting you're not training but i go win a fight and I'm like oh that was impressive like i still train two three times a day but i get home from the gym and my, i always have a bowl in my truck i have three bowls and one is always in my truck so i pull up pop the doors open grab my speaker and the targets is right there get like 30 to 60 shots and then go in spend time with the family Eat, go back to the gym. Come, go to the range and shoot indoors when it's dark. And I'm always shooting. I just enjoy it. Wow. So, is it like a part of meditation for you? Do you think? 100. percent Coming off the OSP fight, that was actually the first time I hunted in Jersey. I've been in Jersey since 2014 when the show came out, and after OSP fight and all that stuff, and everybody told me like, don't pay attention. You was winning that fight. You got caught. Don't let the people get in your head and tell you you're not there. So actually, the next day I went home, went and bought my hunting license, and bought a stand and hunted in Jersey for the first time. And that helped me. I didn't think about it at all. From November to February 1st, I was in a tree stand every day. And when I went back to training, like full camp with everything, my mind, I forgot all about that OSP fight. And that's when I told my wife, I found my balance. You know, the thing was, uh-huh. I was always in the gym. And that's why the name 25-8 came because Corey never, at the time, I didn't do anything else but train. You know, I would train to go to the gym and train, to go to therapy, go back to the gym and train, go home, run, go to the garage, hit the heavy back, go to Mark Henry's hit pads, and go to train again. So, like I was telling Will on the way here, when I first went to UFC, and I say, oh, Corey's grew. He's gotten bigger. Like, I've always been a big guy. I was 300 pounds one time. But when I got down to 205, I was told myself, I don't want to get heavier than like 210, 212. So every day I had like a goal. I wanted to end the day off no heavier than 212. So if I was like 215 from eating too much and it's 10 o'clock at night, I got to lace up and go for a run. So I was all every morning I wake up at 210. So that's why I took the fights like Jan Blackwich on two, three weeks notice, five mile an hour in Brazil on a week notice because I didn't have to cut weight. It was like, okay, just go. But when I got to Jimmy Manuel and he told me at the bar, he's like, bro, you're a good fighter. You're just too small. Like I weighed in. Friday and Saturday, I stepped in the cage looking the exact same. I gained like six pounds. And he told me, you got to eat. You got to feed yourself. And after I did that, that was probably the best advice I ever got from a fighter. Because now I walk around like 235 and I feel great. Like the last well, fight with Glover, on two weeks notice, I was 236. I got the weight off and hydrated right back up and felt fine, fantastic. And went out there and did my thing because I te- treat my body right now. So you're 236 up until like how far out of the fight? I try to stay at least 230, 230, 231 until like two weeks out. And then I start tapering on like 225 area and just get 20 pounds of water off. A lot of water, drinking the water load. And then Tuesday is the first day I hit it hard. 
and just start trimming down. So you feel like that extra pounds helps you in what way? It's recovery. That's for getting rocked as well. Like that was the thing in college. My coach, she was always trained and wrestling. We're going to go a whole practice. Nobody go get a water. If I see anybody go to the water fountain, we're doing sprints, whatever. That means you're weak. You know, it was great because we train. And in the mat, you see guys gassing for water in third mm-hmm. period. We all standing tall, ready to go. And I had that same mentality when it came to fighting because you got to think, now we're taking blows to the head. So I got to keep water, keep that brain hydrated because if I'm dehydrated, that one shot, is lights out. You don't have yeah. anything to help take it. So it's like, like I said, after OSP fighting and hunting and everything, I just went back and did a lot of figuring things out before that Pat Cummins fight. And I just knew what I had to do to be the best me. And uh, like I said, getting bigger, stronger, not worrying about keeping my weight low. The weight's going to come off. It's going to be hard sometimes, but it's going to come off. You know, but that's when I will not miss weight. If I got to kill myself, I'm end up in the hospital before I miss weight. So putting all that together, now I feel like I have the recipe. So the recipe was, um, did you start weightlifting? Like, what did you do to pack on the extra weight? Yeah, um, weightlifting was a big thing, big key to my brother first. Before I had the strength and conditioning coaches that was on board, uh, my coach before was great for cardio. Same guy Frank Yeager had. And we had cardio. And we were getting strong, but it wasn't like size building strong. It was like mm-hmm. mobility strength to punch and keep the cardio up. And then my brother, he had a contract to play pro ball back in, what, like 2000 or whatever. So he knew like all the combine lifts and whatever. He hit me up and said, bro, we got to get bigger. Like we got it. You, you, you're dominant. Like you look at these guys you fight. They say you're going to lose. You go out there and you dominate and you're small. So imagine if you put the size on, you got the power. You, you can dominate these guys for real. So he flew out. Like I fly off for a week. You put me on the right diet and how y'all lifted in NFL camps or whatnot. And we get stronger. So you literally had me on compound lifts every day eating. Like I said, I got the freezer full of deer meat. He's like, you got all the stuff you need. You got protein right here. Have Jenny go grab my wife, go grab rice and potatoes and you just eat meat, potatoes, rice. You eat eggs with meat, potatoes, and rice. Everything you eat, put meat, potatoes, and rice in everything. And you're going to get that size. I promise you. And the strength and everything will come. And sure enough, I just saw it. I went from like after this was after the Jimmy fight, he showed up and it worked out as well. I met my uh, supplement sponsor, but we went out to the buffet. Like, all right, we had a good workout. We're going to eat the buffet. Eat as much. We carve up. And actually, while I was there, a polynutrition, the owner of my supplement company, he was like, you're Corey Anderson, right? Like, I'm a huge fan. I would love to work with you. My brother said, that's made it happen. Protein right there. Get a bottle of protein from him. We're going to start mixing this in with your meat, potatoes, or rice. Protein shake instantly. And he just put me on a whole plan. And when he left, he left me a whole little list on the refrigerator. And I still got it there. And I don't need it anymore, but... That's the thing. You eat your meat, potatoes, and rice. Four or five eggs in the morning. Just got a cup of rice. Put some venison or hog, whatever meat I'm using that day. And then put some vegetables and a little bit of potatoes or something. Get a big old meal. Carve it up. Then go hit the gym. Then when you're done, kill your protein shake. Come home. Meat, potatoes, rice. How much difference is your diet doing this than it was before? I mean, it's crazy. You ask my teammates now, and they say, we've we seen the difference of how big you got. Even Mark Henry, I was hitting mitts the other day for the first time with him and probably like, a couple of weeks, whatever, in his basement. And I was still moving fast. And I was like, bro, you got huge. Like, <laughs> I was like, I just started lifting the E, coach. Yeah. You know, so I used to so work. So you're probably holding yourself back before. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then I'm, probably draining yourself too much by all that weight cutting and all that, uh, you know, like getting it down before the, the actual fight itself, mm-hmm. all the r- extra running and everything. Like, even on the show, like, we would finish eating. And this is when I found out you can cut weight in the hot tub. I didn't know this. Because I fought heavyweight before the Ultimate Fighter. 
The guy's like, oh, you can lose weight in the hot tub. I was like, what? And everybody was sitting in the hot tub for like 40, 50 minutes, and I get out. I lost all my weight. I'm at 206. Like, oh, this is great. So we eat a bunch. Like even one day, Frankie and the coaches brought In-N-Out burgers over. <laughs> we ate and watched the fights. And I just sat in this hot tub for like 40 minutes and got all the weight off down to 210. Like, I don't where I wanted to be. I was like, bro, you can get up. So I'm like, nah, because we fight. We never know when we're going to fight. He wins tomorrow on Tuesday. I might be fighting Thursday. I don't want to have to worry about that. Yeah, I was always scared of the weight cut. Right, but if, if you're getting in the sauna and or getting in the hot tub and losing all that weight, that's just water weight, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if you're down like where you want to be, you're still gonna have to cut more water. Yeah, to get to where you need to be to two hundred five. Yeah, but you ask my wife, I have the worst. Not now, but before I didn't know anything about nutrition because I wrestled heavyweight from freshman year in high school uh-huh. to my senior year in college, and I fought heavyweight until the Ultimate Fighter. So I never had to worry about the diet. You know, I used to eat ramen noodles. I remember moving in my first time fighting. Ben Askren took me up to Rufus Sport, and I moved in the fighter house, and everybody eating, like, chicken fillets and salmon. I came in with a big old box of ramen and a thing of chunky noodle soup. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, this is this how I eat? Like, bro, that's not going to work. What do you mean? Like, I train every day, and I eat this same stuff. Eat a bowl of cereal for breakfast, and they all cooking. Like, yo, that's that's not healthy. Like, it works for me. But then when it came time to go to 205 the first time, it's like, oh, this this isn't working for me. I have to figure something out. What do you feel the difference between, like, eating nonsense, like ramen, and then eating healthy food? Like, what was the big shift? You just have more energy, really. Right. You know, because in wrestling, that's how we ate. You know, definitely in college, you ain't got no money. We go to mm-hmm. Walmart. On Saturday, Sunday, get a big old box of ramen. Mm-hmm. I used to get spaghetti sauce and just cook noodles and put spaghetti sauce on, you know. Yeah. Um, can of soup right out the can. You're eating stuff like that, but you're training all day, so it doesn't really get to stick in your body, and you don't really feel the the difference in the energy because you never really ate clean. You're eating cafeteria right. food that's packed with grease. Yeah. But now it's like we got meal prep companies and stuff out there, and you try all that different stuff. And then my wife fights too, so she fought like 120, so she was always dieting. So when she's cutting weight, I would eat clean. And I would notice a difference in my energy. Like, I wake up a lot earlier. I can go longer that day. In the night, I'm not crashing. I, like, I peacefully put myself in bed, watch TV, and fall asleep. But when you got all that sugar and all the stuff in you, feel like crap. When at the end of the day, you kind of like, you're just fighting. You, you don't have control anymore. Well, you so, also have the advantage of the best protein. The fact that you have, you, you, how many deer did you say you shot 13. last year? <laughs> that's a lot of protein. That's a man. lot of protein. That's a lot of clean, wild protein. And I didn't even, I, Got half that meat still in Texas that I never got. Actually, Justin Gaethje got it, and I heard they we went hunting together one time. Me, Gaethje, and his coach Luke Calilio, whatever, and we put Cardio. the meat. I don't know how to say his last name, but they put the meat in the same place, and we said some of this goes to Corey, the other part go to Justin. But they sent all of it down to Justin uh-huh. at his camp. Besides, I had a freezer full anyway. I had no space. Yeah, he's another one. Ray Borg, he's another. He bow hunts. Chad Mendez bow hunts. TJ Dillashaw bow hunts. Uh, we, we could probably keep going down the line. There's a lot of uh, pro fighters who bow hunt. Well, let's put it out there before we get too far. Justin hunts, but he can't bow hunt. He can't? We had him with a crossbow on a ranch, and we pushed. <laughs> like, everybody got him, and he kept missing. We put him in a corner, like, all right, we're going to all, like, drive him to you. So uh-huh. all you got to do is be ready, bro. Just shoot. <laughs> Somehow, all these big old deer come, and he still missed. Like, they was probably 10 yards, 10 to 15 yards, and he missed. With a crossbow? With a crossbow. Like, bro, how the hell did you miss? Like, you can't shoot. Then they went to another ranch, and the guy gave him a gun. Like, you want to do a gun instead? He killed it with a gun. But He has a – his vision's not the best, right? No. That's something with his his vision and and his energy. You know, he's kind of – I mean, he's a great guy. He's 
His energy? Not like bad energy, kind of like focus. That's what I mean. Oh, like it's hard focus, for him to like yeah. sit still. Like we in the tree or in the, uh, this loft, <laughs> and he's like shadow box. I said, like, bro, you gotta chill, <laughs> calm down. We hunting, but some people can't hang out in the stand. They can't stand is hard for them. It's harder for them than just but st- spot and stalk. Just walking the mountains for all day is mm-hmm. easier for them than to just stay put and do nothing. Yeah, it's just sitting there quiet. You know. Yeah. Um, I went with a buddy. We went turkey hunting. This was my first week turkey hunting this year, and he's never hunted before. He's actually my archery partner. I taught him how to shoot bow like 15 weeks ago, and he's actually got pretty good. He was hitting like all bullseyes in the league. He's like, I want to go hunting with you. So he sat in the blind. And I told him we was going out there like, bro, when we get out here, you got to – you can't move. Like we're in the blind, but that one window, the turkeys can see us. If you're moving, they're going to see you. And they got good hearing too, so you got to chill out. So I'm like, I'm going to put the decoys up, just sit down. I turn around. He like, walk around. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm covering the blind. If you got like little bitty twigs. He <laughs> like, bro, we don't have time to blind. He's like, I've seen it on YouTube. Like, get in the blind. I've seen like, it bro. on YouTube. <laughs> I was like, bro, get in the blind. Does it work? Does it work? I'm like, oh. like we're not, we're not killing anything. And you're talking like, call, call. Use a call. Like, Use a call. <laughs> like, bro, I already called. I was like, do it again. Do it again. They get bored. Yeah, it was like, exactly. He just, attention span. Some people don't, they yeah. can't sit there. I can sit there for a whole day from sun up to sundown. I'm fine with that. I'm fine. Peace just listen to the birds and watch the animals. I have my phone, check my phone every once in a while. But some people, they they don't have that peace. They need to be talking or doing things. Yeah, that's real ADD, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a weird mental exercise. Just sit there and do nothing and just wait for an animal to come to you. And it seems like it would be easy. But after a while, it starts fucking with your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It's a it's a mental exercise. The thing that's crazy, I can do that in tree stand, but in college I couldn't focus on shit. In like school, if, yeah. If I'm yeah. even now, if I go to like a meeting or something and mm-hmm. people are talking, I start dozing off. Instantly, <laughs> I can't sit there. But in that tree, I can sit wide awake for hours. Also, in that no tree problem. stand, though, you're waiting for something. It's very specific. If you're doing something you don't want to do, a guy like you who burns off so much energy in the day, mm-hmm. your body's probably like, "This is boring as fuck. Let's just not out." Yeah. Let's just. Pretty much. <laughs> You've been training six hours a day, you it's know? A, it's the same way at home. I mean, my wife said, you you never stop moving. Just hang out, you know? Like <laughs> Will was saying, I'll be baby. I have my baby, and I'm doing something with the camera. Right. Edit some, edit, editing my YouTube channel. So I can't just sit down because I'll fall asleep. I have to do something. But, like, when it's time to just relax, like, it's Sunday. We're just going to sit here and watch TV. Sit down. Five minutes in, I'm out. She's like, what did you think about the movie? Like, huh? <laughs> like, my bad, babe. I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're a guy who trains as much as you, I mean, every chance your body gets to actually rest, your body's probably like, right about now. It's a good time. It, it yeah. doesn't take much. We get in the car. Before we out the driveway, she's driving. She's like, Which way am I going? <laughs> cool, huh? <laughs> oh, we ain't even left the driveway yet. My bad, babe. <laughs> well, the, a guy who works as hard as you do, because one of the things that you're known for, man, is your cardio. You have crazy fucking cardio. And you notice it in fights where around the second and the third round, I start seeing your opponent start to slow down a little bit. And then you ramp it like Alir Latife. It's a perfect example. That was a great fight for you because that guy's a tank. Mm-hmm. He's a tank, very scary dude, hits really fucking hard, strong as shit. But he's a he's a guy that relies on that explosive power. He's like a sprinter in a lot of ways. And you can only do that for so long. And you could say, like, somewhere around the second round, it was real obvious that you weren't slowing down at all. Mm-hmm. And he was taking some big, deep breaths, and it's just it's harder for him. Have you always had that kind of cardio? I mean, I got it in wrestling. Like I guess I was big, you know? And I was, especially when I got to 300 pounds and I was still working cardio, trying to get down as a heavyweight to wrestle and be... 
I always study little guys' films, you know, like the Henry Cejudo films and shit like that. When mm-hmm. I was in college, that's just what I watched. My coach was like, watch heavyweights. And I'm like, nah, I want to move. I want footwork. I want to fake. I want to take shots. Like, I led my yeah. team in takedowns as a heavyweight because I moved around as a big guy. And the same thing. I've had match, one match. A guy was beating me, what, 15 to 1. If you need one more point to take me, going to the third point. But he, in the third round, but he gassed. And I was still going. I came back and beat him in overtime. Wow. It's because I can just keep going. I was the mindset. God is going to break eventually. Yeah. My coach always said, act fresh. Even if you're tired as dog shit, stand up and act fresh. Like, no matter what, mm. look fresh. And you'll be surprised how your mind take over. You'll realize later on you're not really tired. And when you're tired, keep pushing. Because the next time you usually get tired around that three-minute mark, it'll make it to about the seven, eight-minute. Then yeah. it's like 15. You start doing those grind matches, and you go 30 minutes live. And when it's done, I'm able to walk, shake coach's hand, and go grab another partner or go get on a treadmill. It's because we always push as a big guy. So you got to imagine when I came down to 205, it was like, yeah, it was crazy. Like, yeah, this is this is like magic. I can do this <laughs> all day, coach. Five rounds. That first gym, my five-round fight with Jimmy. When they call me, like, oh, it's the main event now. You got to train six rounds. Like, okay. Like, was it was a million in the cage. We did three rounds. Mark, like, you know you're doing six today. That's fine. Gave me three new partners. Went, and they was tired. And I was still good. Like, dude, your cardio is crazy. It's just a mental. Even when I'm tired, I'll never show it. It's like I just got to act fresh and get through it. It can only last so long. My father told me that forever. It is a weird thing, isn't it, that your your mind can give you more energy. Like, you know that feeling that sometimes you're on a treadmill or something like that, and you're running, and a great song comes on, and all of a sudden you're like, woo! <laughs> you, like, feel it. You got, like, all of a sudden extra, like, where's that Every coming time. from? It's coming from your mind. Your mind, that one beat, that up-tempo yes. beat, and yes. your heart starts pumping, and you kind of start dancing while you're yeah. running. And, like, three to five minutes, however long that song is, you, like, on a sprint. Yeah. Then once that song ends, you're like, then you really feel <laughs> the, it. The tone changes. Like, oh shit, I'm tired again. It's crazy, isn't it? That that's some. There's a switch in your mind that you almost like. You have to figure out where it is. You got to go find it, and mm-hmm. a song can find it for you. But this, like for you just to be able to pull it out, like especially in a fight or something like that, when you're battling doubt and this and that, and you know you're wondering how he's doing. You know, is he okay? Is he tired? Am I on? Uh, who's tireder? Me or him? You know, and there's that switch in your mind that if you could just access that all the time and keep it on. One of the things I think, one of the guys I looked up to when I was in college, you know, he was past Steve Prefontaine. I just watch his story all the time, his quotes. To do anything, anything less than your best is a waste of a gift, you know. Mm-hmm. Like every day, he ran, he didn't, it's cross country, but guys trot, they pacing. And every day he said, I'm running to, like, I'm sprinting. Like, I watched all his movies, the movies on him, how his mindset, even that one race when he was full-out sprint, and they said his heart's going to give, and he gave out right before the finish line. Like, I'd rather go out that way than pacing my whole the whole time and then try to sprint in and fail because I wasn't ready. Mm. So that's like in my fight, I start off so fast. That's just, I'm going all out. You're not. There's no fill-out period. We're going to touch gloves, and I'm ready to move. And I already know, like, if I'm getting tired, I know this guy's getting tired. Right. He's not training like I'm training. And if he is training like I'm training, he might not be tired. But in my mind, I'm thinking he's getting tired. So just keep pushing because eventually he's going to break. He's going to break before me. Now, do you have uh, a system in terms of, like, your strength and conditioning program? Do you do you have a schedule that you follow, like, f- like very specifically for however many weeks you have before your fight? When I get in the fight camp, everything get really specific. Like I said on Ariel, so I'm, I'm calculating. When it's camp time, like, you don't mess my order. I like, I'll be early. I have my bags packed night before. I have three, four training bags packed at the, right at the little edge, exit way. So when I come home, if I'm short, running short in time, running late, 
grab something to eat, grab the next bag. I'm out the door. And I know where I got to go. I hate when people have to cancel. Like, oh, I can't make it today. Or something came up. Or I show up and my partner don't show up. You're not on time. I'm like, I'm on the guys. Like, I'm kind of like the leader of the big guys. Like, we're going to be here early this week so we can start at 1030 because I want to do drills after. We're going to do this. You need to work on that. I'm very punctual like that. I hate when it's camp time, if you're showing up late, I hate it. It kind of it runs me ragged. And I just, when we spar, I kind of take it out on people. I just, I'm very calculated when it comes to camp because this is my career. You know, I'm serious about this. I'm not showing up late. Like, I go to boxing gyms with guys and we go, oh, we sparring at six o'clock. So I show up at 5 45 and 6 45. They still not there. When you put, walk in, like, nothing's wrong talking and dancing. I'm like, yo, you said six o'clock, right? Like, you're a professional, ain't you? Well, quit acting like an amateur. Get here on time. Let's go. This is your camp. I'm here to help you. Even that makes me mad. But when it's my camp and you show up, it's, it's not fun because I know I'm not going to get tired, so I'm just going to beat on you. Who writes out your schedule? Do you write it out or do you just know myself. what it is? Do you, do you have it in your head or do I you write, write it out? It? You write it out? Camp, well, I put, get like a notepad and I put how many weeks and I put it out. And I try to early into it, like when it first start, I give like an idea of what I want to do. So Tuesday, Thursday, strength and conditioning or Monday, Friday, strength and conditioning before jiu-jitsu with Ricardo. And then Tuesday, Thursday, I'm going to do one-on-ones with Ricardo. And Wednesday, I'm going to do my one-on-one with Nicotone and then – Excuse me, Tuesday night or Monday night, I'm going to do mitts with Mark. And then Saturday after sparring, I do another mitt. Try to do two of everything, and I go up to Rutgers and wrestle. Because in Jersey, everything is such a commute. So you have to time everything perfect. Because if practice goes 15 minutes past or whatever, or somebody's late, that's messing me up. Because i got to drive an hour to 45 minutes to get to the next place. And I'm running late for that practice. Or if it's three practices in a row, and I get there just a little bit right on time. I don't have time to get ready to do my full warm-up to make sure my body's warm. Mm. Then get to the next spot and do the same thing. Now I'm rushing. Now it's nonstop. Now I got to get home and grab something to eat quick. Or I got to keep my food with me and it's getting cold. And this is like I, I'm very punctual and specific when it comes to stuff like that. Do you meal prep? Do you have like a little Tupperware containers yeah. with yeah. your food so you can just to, grab one? And I used to use – well, not use. I still use Eat Clean Bro when it get in the camp. Mm-hmm. I used to use them all the time. But now, like I said, I got it's a wife. Eat Clean Bro. Eat Clean Bro. It's uh, Jamie <laughs> – I can't remember his last name, but Jamie in New <laughs> Jersey. Name. He's killing it, man. He's DJ Khaled, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Lala, all the, all the famous people use him. He just opened up another one in Atlanta. He's killing the game with the meal prep, and he's it's good. It's Accurate. It wasn't as accurate before, but he teamed up with his company, Revolutionized, which is a nutrition company. They do the calculations of all the meals for fighters and different people, bodybuilders, mm. and it's perfect. But so it has all your nutrients, all your yep. protein. It has it set up like this is 40 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can also go in there and just order the raw stuff. They give it and they deliver it to your door. And then you it's, just cook it. Yeah, you can get it raw and they put it in a freezer bag. You get it. And just put it in. I know people that do it that way. Mm. Like I said, now that I have my wife who fights and she was used to fighting, she knows what's going on. Most of the time, she does that for me. You know, if so. you bring them venison, will they cook that and put I'm sure that he in would. you? Yeah. I know he told me if I get a turkey, he would cook it up for me. Mm. So I'm sure he'd give me some venison if I or cook me venison yeah. if I took it to him. Now, when you say you have everything set up, um, are you monitoring your heart rate? Like, what are you what are you doing to make sure that you're not overtrained or that no, you're that's not sick? Thing, that's one thing I'm still. Not, I'm not really dancing with it. Not in my mind. I'm fine with it because growing up, my coach used to tell me all the time, no such thing. Overtraining is a mental state. You know, as long as you train, eat, rest. You give your body time to rest and recover. Get to bed by a certain time so you get at least seven, eight hours of sleep. 
it's kind of hard to overtrain, but those days where you feel you hurting, like shoulders, like my injuries, it's okay to dial back. When you go to the gym, you don't have to hit it hard. Just go through the motions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like, oh, don't be here to go through the motions, but sometimes it ain't bad to go through the motions as long as it's, you, you focus on one thing to right. master this takedown, a master this sweep, a master that jiu-jitsu submission or a sweep or whatever it is. Yeah. Focus on it and going nice and slow. Calculate. You don't have to get a sweat every time because you learn it. Muscle memory. Do it a thousand times, and now it's kind of like it's in there. I yeah. got it. But um, with the overtraining and heart monitoring, I only heart monitor for the, the last five to six weeks because that's when I hit cardio hard. Not so much strength anymore, but pushing the pace. Everything I'm doing, blowing it out, trying to keep my heart rate above a certain thing. So if the last day before I go into that pace, I put the heart rate monitor on and see wherever I got to. I don't take much of a break between my trainers, my stations, see where my heart rate got. So if the high was 172 today or whatever. All right, so that's the high on a slow day. And it's hard for me to get my heart rate up. So it's like when we're doing cardio, I'm shooting for like 180s after everything. I need to be above that. So it takes time for that to come down. So in between that 30 to a minute break, if I'm still right there at 180, 170, so I'm going to hit the next one, I know my heart is still racing. So I'm stretching my lungs out and take a little short break. I never do a full minute break, even in sparring. So in fighting, that's why in that minute you see me talking to Mark Henry and everything, is everybody, oh, of course, having a conversation. In between around, Mark calls. I'm like, yep, yep, okay. I'm going to jiu-jitsu. Mark's saying, I'm trying. I hear you because I've, that's how we train and practice. On a short clock, longer mm. time work, shorter time recover. And I'm tired of practice at the beginning. But at the end, it's kind of like going to the fight that last week. We talking. We, we smiling. We chilling. Good round. This is this. You got to do this. All right. What we got to do better this time? Did I have the sweep right? Did that submission? What was wrong with my hands? And the next one, all right, work on this again. And to be able to communicate and not be tired, it makes a world of difference. Do you give yourself 30 seconds in training? What it depends. It <clears throat> depends on who we fighting. <laughs> it depends on my mentality. You know, if I feel like today's going to be a hard day, if we ain't got the clock, sometimes I have it on my phone. If the coaches aren't there and my wife doing it, and I stand up and I feel like I'm recovering like 20 minutes or 20 seconds, start it, go. I just mm. we got to keep rotating my partner so because I know they can't recover all the time. But yeah. it's just like I'm, I'm a little different, you know. It's like always thinking outside the box. I'm, I'm trying to do what the other people aren't. You know, everybody going off like the Dolce diet or the keto diet or such and such training or West Side Barbell or this and that. That's kind of like I take the different stuff I learned from this guy and I saw from this guy and I learned in wrestling. And I seen on YouTube and I heard somebody say this. Like, I wonder if I can just take away and take a little bit of this, put it a little bit with the West Side Barbell, put it with the keto diet along with my own venison diet and this, this, and this and just try it out. And if it works, it works. And if I don't feel good, if I feel low energy, it's like, all right, that doesn't work. We're going to try something different. You know? It seems like a lot of people would want to listen to you, though. I would imagine if I was in camp with a guy like you and I saw the kind of cardio that you have for a big guy and the amount of effort that you put in, I, w- I would imagine there's other dudes that are following you now. Oh, my teammates, yeah, they know. Like um, one of the guys, my like a brother to me is Carl Roberson. You see, he stepped he's up. He's a beast, He dude. stepped up on the glory fight. And that's something yeah. we talked about when he was an amateur. I've been working with him since he was an amateur. <laughs> and I told his coach, Dean, like, this kid is good. He's he gets the right stuff. He go pro. He'd be in the UFC in no time. I'm yep. telling you, because he was, I watched him, me, him, and Chris Wyman. He came in with us when I was helping Wyman with the Rockhold fight. And I've cut, I'm not sure if he was an amateur or pro yet, but he was hanging, his jiu-jitsu in the wrestling, he didn't have that. But striking-wise, he was giving us problems. It was like, this is this kid is good. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's a glory kickbox. Like, ah. That makes sense. He yeah. kicks hard. Like, I haven't seen him put many people to sleep with his head kick in practice. Like, yo, pull it. He's like, bro, that wasn't even hard. Like, what you mean that wasn't hard? He's like, I just flicked it up there. But he's just so explosive mm-hmm. and athletic. He hit me with a knee What last Saturday. My chest still hurt. <laughs> and it was like I shot, and he caught me coming in on the shot, and it was like, 
oh shit. But I was in deep, but he's just so quick. It's just but like he's one. He hits me up all the time when I come to camp. Like, oh, he has to die down because of Bo and Clint out of the PI. He mm-hmm. has that, but it come like to work and stuff. Should we keep doing this? Should we do this? I'm gonna run today. So when I want to work on my jujitsu, what should I do this? Should I just drill or should we go hard? Should I go so he this? trains sometimes at the Performance Institute in Vegas? Well, every time we get a camp, me and him, we got to think. If one of us get in camp, we already know. I'm going to contact him. You got to fight when we're going to Vegas. So I go. we go out there for a week or two weeks. Me, him, and Rex Harris, he was in the uh, PFL. Mm-hmm. We call each other the Bash Bros. Only three dudes that you'll see in Jersey. We didn't travel around. We've been to Vegas. We've been to Arizona, wherever we go, and we go hard. And that's why we call it the Bash Bros. There's no, oh, we're going light today, bro. Don't hit me. Every time, it's like, are you ready? You ready? Rex actually texted me. We was doing Tecmo hunt. He was like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow because I'm flying here, and I get back in time for training. So Bash Bros meet up, and we go at it. That's it. Are you are you always sparring hard, or do you spar we, we got certain days. Like, if we don't want to spar hard, we know not to go with each other. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of like, <laughs> if one week I get the best of Rex, like, it's been times, like, I've had Carl for with OSP because he's southpaw and he's super good. So I went with Carl three rounds hard. So his main focus was takedown, don't let him up. So I take him down, just beat him on the ground, beat him on the ground, take him down, beat him on the ground because he didn't have wrestling at the time. And then he would go with, like, somebody else. Like, ah, I need one more round. And he'd be mad. <laughs> so I know that. But like, that's why I'm not going with him on the fourth, fourth round because he's mad. And he'd go out there with somebody else and just you just eat him up. And just like, I'm sorry. I have to apologize to the other guy. Like, I'm sorry for beating him up yeah. <laughs> because of the hostility. So we go hard. But then there's times we pull other guys in. Like, I'm going to call this amateur guy in. Pretty good amateur or a low-level pro. pro. Some guys like Eddie Alvarez knows or whatever. I got this kid. He's pro 205. He's the beginner whatever. You want to work with him? That's the guy. All right, bring him up. Today I'm going to do a technical move day, kind of like wall work, drilling. We spar and we have headgear on just in case because accidents happen. But nothing is thrown with intention to hurt anybody. Well, you have a fantastic camp too, man. It's one of the most unheralded camps if you want to talk about who's training out there. Zabit. You guys have uh, Marlon, you know, of course, Frankie Edgar. I mean, so many guys come from that area. Eddie Alvarez, you, and, I mean, it's just Mark Henry's one of the most underappreciated guys in MMA, I think, because he's so quiet and unassuming, doesn't toot his own horn. But when you talk to that guy, you see the wheel spinning, and you're like, wow, he's something serious. And everybody I know that's worked with him has said he's, like, one of the best coaches I've, I've ever seen. There's nothing like it. I remember the first time I went, he broke it down. I remember he was telling me movement. On the show, he broke me down a little bit. Like, we're going to work, like, throw a punch, slide out, slide back, slide left, clinch, different stuff, staying out of punching range. He mm-hmm. broke it down very lightly for six weeks. And, like, I fell in love with it there. Is that he, the first time you worked with first, him? You asked him to this day when we was in the back, the first fight to get in the house, and I was the last fight. And I told my coach, I, I like to warm up early. This is, so I want to start warming up before the first fight just to get my heart going. It was a wrestling thing. Go hard and then just chill till time. And when I was going, he was like, have you ever done this before? I had no background in anything, just a wrestler that I can throw a one-two. That was it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm going to show you this. And he kept telling me to do it, and I was listening. Like, bro, you listen so well. Like, when I'm wrestling, you have to listen. And that's when me and Mark clicked from that day. And I remember when they flipped the coin and it came off Frankie saying, Frankie, get the first pick. I remember hearing Mark in the back, Core, we want Core. He listens. He's a wrestler. This is this. <laughs> and me listens. and Mark have been like this since, and we wow. have that bond. But I remember coming the first day of this house, I got the jersey. Is that's how I got there. Mark was the one text me. Frankie say, "Oh, come out, Ricardo." I met everybody together, but Mark was the one that was more hands on. Texting me while I was back home with the family. Work this, work that, work this, work that. Go to Rufus Sport and work your kicks. We need to have the kicks good by the time you get here. 
And it was in the basement. It's like, all right. So and you see like this whole piece of paper, like all the way down, like codes. Everybody's codes wrote out yeah. on paper. Like, what is that? He's like, oh, that's the combos. Like, that's like a hundred combos. Like, oh, yeah, we got codes. Like, nobody ever knows this. <laughs> and they changes the code for each fight, right? Yeah. And I'm like, what is that? And you see my paper just blank. He's like, all right, so this is your schedule. He had me on the first schedule. This is your schedule. And that was just packed. Was like 13 weeks of nonstop going. And like, and this is what we're gonna work for your coach. So today we're gonna start with the jab, cross, give you the coach for that, and movement. About three rounds, and I was like, "Yo, like I'm flat footed, I couldn't move. Like I can't do this." He's like, "You could do it. It's like a tandem dance." And we joined the dance team. The first day we learned this new routine, we're gonna be all over. We're tripping each other every day. And the next day we get a little better. And a week we got it kind of like the first, the first course we got it. By the end of time, when it's time to perform, we're gonna look beautiful. I promise you. And sure enough, he he. Uh, <laughs> I found he had the pizza. He was like, "I want a slice of pizza." He's like, "I want you to learn how to move." He's like, "You learn how to move, I give you a slice of my pizza." <laughs> he's like, "When you can move, I'll bring you a slice of pizza." I heard he's got some killer pizza. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think like it was week ten before the fight. I had thirteen week camp. He's like, "You you actually moved a little bit." I tell my wife to bring you home a slice. Kale <laughs> okay, said it was slice. Like I got his approval, and ever since then, like it's just been a thing. That movement, his his scientific ways. Like, yeah. Like, I've seen Chris Wyman do it, Rashad Evans. We got Lance Palmer and Claudia now, different people, like, mm -hmm. watching and trying to learn. You can just see. Oh, Lance Palmer's out there, too, now? Yeah, he just came out recently. Mm. He was uh, last week when, before I left. He showed Who up. else is out there? Who else you uh, say? Claudia. Claudia Gadelia? She had a gym out there, and she's mm -hmm. been at our gym working. And when Mark was, like, helping them after sparring last Thursday. And he called me in the cage, like, Corey, Corey's really good. Just show him how we do the, the one, two, blah, blah, blah. And, like, when I look back at him, they both had that look at each other, like, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of shit but you figure it out in right. time when it's new anything yeah. new to you is going to be uncomfortable but after you figure it out and you do it for so much it's muscle memory so when you were fighting as a heavyweight you weren't a mover you weren't mm -hmm. i mean what i thought was moving wasn't moving but for heavyweight it was just kind of like a little bounce bounce mm -hmm. on my knees if they go to step forward when they go throw a punch hop out and then come back with a jab to a double a right that's what i had to standard shit yeah that was movement i yeah. thought i was the man i'm moving my ass off <laughs> no <laughs> that was nothing you get to mark and it's kind of like feet all on your toes bounce bounce don't ever stop when you stop yeah. it hit you like 10 times like that's what happened when you stop it's really interesting when you watch the difference between the way people utilize footwork i think probably the best example in combat well there's two great examples in combat sports lomachenko who has got some of the most incredible footwork of all time, and Sanchai, mm -hmm. who's a, a Thai More fighter, Thai. who's got crazy footwork, constantly switching stances, light on his toes, fights different than any other Thai fighter, and widely considered the best of all time. You know, And Lomachenko, like, when you watch guys who have good footwork fight him, they're like, what in the fuck? Like, you throw a punch, and he's over here, and he's hitting you here, and uppercuts coming under your arm, and he's, he's back this way, and... He's it's like the Matrix. Constantly moving. And that guy started out as a dancer. His dad, when he was his dad was training him out of box, he made him do Russian folk dancing. I think for, I want to say for like four years. He made him do this this kind of Russian style of dancing. He was like, You gotta you're gonna have to learn how to move your feet. And now you see him, he fights, it's effortless. It's just a part of who he is. And guys who are like more plotting and they're used to that normal stationary target, mm -hmm. he's so much more complex. And you <clears throat> see and he obviously fantastic puncher too, but the footwork is off the charts. It's just such a different thing. There's levels to everything mm -hmm. and you i guess realized that when you went from heavyweight to training with mark five mark yep but like when you said the footwork thing one thing i've seen uh 
an MMA, the Holloway Ortega fight. Yeah, I feel like it, in my mind, I feel like I was watching Lemon Chaco MMA. How Holloway was like hitting angles because mm-hmm. Brian isn't like a mover type. He's just right. a game. He's biting down. He's gritty. He's ready yeah. to go. And it seemed like as the rounds like third, fourth, and fifth round, or <laughs> third and fourth round, like when he would go to punch. Max would switch southpaw. Yeah, pow pow. And when he go to counter, he go back with the hook this way. And it was just like, yo, his footwork right now was like I watched it probably like seven times and studying his feet. Like how was he? And he never lost balance mm. one time. And I was like, this is just incredible. I love watching that. Like you said, a dance. It's beautiful. Yeah, Max is very good at distance control. <clears throat> distance control. He's one of the very best at just moving slightly out of range, then right back in. Mm-hmm. And he puts a lot of pressure on you because of that too. There's no if he catches you breathing heavy. If he, catches, if he sees any slowing down in you, he starts pouring it on. Like he starts trying to get you to wilt. He sees it. Mm-hmm. It's very very interesting how he does it too because he does it with – he overloads you not just with his attack but also with all the variables that you see, the combinations, the switching, the putting pressure on you. Just is, There's so much going on that you're always thinking about it, and it's just that on top of it makes you more tired. Yeah, he's good at smelling the blood. Yeah, that's he's good it. at smelling. He knows a lot of people. I know that's one thing I'm not good at. I don't. <laughs> I have, I'm working on it. Mark was telling me the other day, like, I want to start finishing people with the hands. Like, you had so many fights where you could have, but you hit a guy with a combo and you take a shot. Like, the guy would be rocked. You just don't see it. Mm. Instead of keep punching him, you would shoot. He'd stop punching you would shoot on him. It's like, I hit guys with combos, and like, when I go to the boxing, you're like, bro. You box like you a boxer, but you go into your fights and you box just to get to your takedowns. But that's because I'm a wrestler. Yeah, I can box. I don't have to, but I will. Do you think there's a, a a worry though when you're trying to finish fights versus just trying to fight your best? I think guys should just fight their best, and if a finish comes, it comes. Mm-hmm. I, that, I'm of the opinion that I'm of the opinion that when people make big mistakes and i wouldn't discourage anybody from going crazy if someone likes to go crazy they like to fight wild hey man that's you that's your style that's how you express yourself nothing wrong with it Mm -hmm. but if i was going to give some advice they said what should i do i want to have a long career as a professional i'd say fight your best don't worry about the outcome just fight your best and if you fight your best and if you connect and someone gets hurt and you put them away that's great but if you just win that's great too Mm -hmm. just fight your best the more the more you can do what you can technically and take as little damage as possible, that's a good fight. And you know? that's, like I said, that's something else. The OSP fight, Mark said it. Like, you just got to smother this guy, whole camp. Like, he's got that good kick. And it, mm-hmm. I, the OSP fight and Gian Vellante, the two fights Mark called, the only things I can get knocked out with. He said, with Gian Vellante, the only thing this guy can knock you out with is overhand right. He says, you got to bring that jab right back after. You got a good jab, but bring your hands back because he times that overhand right so smooth. And even in between rounds, like, you eating overhand right. I know it's not hurting you, but it only takes one. It takes one. Keep that hand up. Keep that mm-hmm. hand up. And sure enough, to this day, he say, remember I told you overhand right? And then with OSP, it's like, only thing I can get you with is that he- that left kick. If you stay close to him, keep the pressure. Keep him on the cage. When he's down, he's saying, bring him back down. Don't listen to the fans. People are going to boot. They're going to get in your head and make you want to strike, trying to get in that fight. That's what they want to see. But we're just trying to get the win. Don't go right and keep pressure. Mm. Do not go right and keep pressure. If you watch that fight, the whole two rounds, pressure. Not going right, going left. Put him to the cage. Take him down. Keep him down in the cage. He stand up, bring him back. Third round, I took him down. He popped up when I was against the cage. I can remember hearing people say, oh, let's stand up and fight. Stand up and fight. And I bagged away for a second. I started moving. Like, all right, I'm going to play from the outside a little bit. And I went right. Right into the head kick. And I was like, 
And when I came first thing, Mark said in the back, like, bro, you look phenomenal. You just went right. Like, you look great. You just went right. Everything was beautiful that fight. That was your breakthrough fight. You you just went right. But we're going to go back. You're going to do better. I know you will. And I was just like, after that, like I said, I went to drawing, but it was like, fuck what the fans say. We fuck winning. what the fans say. But like you said, when you and Shaw was on, I listened before, and you say, I beat Lil Latifi. I beat this. But you don't hear my name. It's because I'm not trying to do the stuff that's exciting anymore. I'm just winning. And my yeah. style ain't exciting to them. But that's because you're not a mixed martial arts fan. You're a mm. fan of a knockout. Or you're right. a fan of some fancy stuff. They're talking Johnny Walker up. This yeah. is this. Johnny Walker hasn't shown mixed martial arts shit. He's shown fancy stuff that knock people out. It's, it looks great. Yes. But just like Anthony Smith and all those guys, when they get in front of somebody like John Jones, and you can't hit him with that one punch. What are you going to do? Mm. You know what I mean? So that's the thing I say. I, right now, I'm not fighting. He said, when are you going to fight? I don't know. But I'll be ready because I can do everything. Yeah, we were just talking about Johnny Walker. He's in surgery now. He had to go through surgery for a for shoulder, shoulder because of that. That celebration. That celebration, which is so crazy. He wins. He be- beats Sukrunov with a beautiful timed knee, perfect flying knee, looks fantastic, and then drops to the ground just playing around. And blows his fucking shoulder out. It's crazy. That's the game. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. When it when it happens like that, it's like God damn, man, you're so promising. Um, He's a he's a. I mean, what what gets people excited when people finish fights, right? Mm -hmm. When people KO people, and so a lot of times people try to lean towards that. But if that's not your style. You know, you should you should fight the way you're. If I was in your corner, uh, first of all, I'd say listen to Mark Henry. Mark Henry knows everything. And then second of all, I'd say don't change shit, man. What you're doing is perfect. Just just fight the way you're fighting. The way you're fighting is just you're winning. You know, you win. You you. I just think that it should be what it should be emphasized always to fight the best you can. Fight intelligently. And you got to decide, and everybody has to decide, when is it time to take a risk? When is it time to close the distance? When is it time to put pressure on someone and, and throw yourself into the fire to try to get a finish? Mm-hmm. And if you just think you should just fight technically, look, man, fucking Floyd Mayweather's done that most of his career, especially like later on when he was pretty boy Floyd earlier on in his career, he was trying to knock a lot of guys out. But later on in his career, in most of his big fights, like with Pacquiao and a lot of other guys, like he just wins. He just wins, and he makes more money than anybody. Just wins. Trust me. I, in my mind, I know exactly. I tell you, when I get into sparring, no. sparring is not going to work on things. Yeah. You know, every every Saturday going to sparring, me and my wife drives. Like, what are we working on today? We're going to try to work on putting a little more emphasis on the punches and not shoot right away, blah, 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 on the ground, more ground and pound. Don't worry about the jujitsu submission. Just hit this, this, and this. When it's come time to fight, when that lights come on Saturday night and Joe or Bruce Buffer in there and you sit at the side, it's a whole different game plan. Yeah. I know what I can do. I know what's right. And that's why I get into those spots. It ain't like I tell myself take a shot. It's muscle memory. Right. I hit him. He put his hands up and he stopped. The legs is wide open. Of course. I was an NCAA All-American, uh, NCAA finalist. Why wouldn't I shoot? I take him down. Exactly. You know? And if you look at my last three fights, I feel like going back and watching them, those you can't say I'm one-sided because in Lear – Everybody's like, oh, no way he can wrestle Alir. Alir is way more powerful and a better wrestler. He wrestled for the uh, whatever, where he's from, Albanian world team. 
He couldn't take me down, and I outstruck him. You know, you went to Glover, like, oh, Glover's a finisher and a jiu-jitsu guy. If Corey goes to ground with him, it's over. And he cannot Corey out. I outstruck him, out-wrestled him, and got him in mount, and had him in side guard. I had him his, had his back. I had every position on him. So you can't say I don't have jiu-jitsu, I don't have wrestling, I don't have striking because there. And then Pat Cummins, everybody's like, oh, he was the NCAA D1 All-American, this, this, this. He beat DC at the OTC. He, he's going to kill Corey in wrestling. Stopped his takedown and set the record with 13 takedowns on him who had the record at 11. It's like I don't understand the fans. Everybody got something to say. But I if think you, you listen to people too much, Corey. I mean, that's the problem. My wife said all the time, like every morning, she's like, "No negativity today." That's you should just stay say. the fuck offline. That's what you should do. <laughs> don't so read hard, that shit. Because now I'm doing the hunting stuff uh, and when I okay. post the stuff. It's like as and I then, go to it, it pops. I'm gonna pop up and then MMA you see questions. It. Yeah, like. Yeah. Or at the top of the screen, it'll drop down or pop up in the notification or I get a, a email notification. Somebody said, and you see half of it. And I'm like, don't open it. Don't open it. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm driving. Like, I wonder what the rest of it say. It could be a good thing. It might be bad. And I actually open it up later on and there's somebody saying something bad. And it's just like, like my wife just said, she's like, I see it. Just don't pay no attention to it. But yeah, you're you're allowing negativity into your life that you don't need. I mean, you think about your camp. You got all these positive people, all these motivated people, all these professionals, you know, exceptional human beings, right? Everybody training and grinding together. And then you got schmoes that are contacting you on Twitter or Instagram or whatever and just saying a bunch of nonsense. And that can fuck with your head. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and these are not people that would ever say that if they were in front of your face. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a gross way to communicate. It's just, it's not a hell, it's like, it's like passing by a shitty fast food restaurant and being drawn in to eat. And then you eat and you're like, God, why did I why eat that I garbage? That? <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like that you're eating, sense. it's like fast food for your brain. It's, it's so tempting because you just want to read those comments. And most of the people are probably good people who are fans. Most of them. But all it takes is 10% assholes and you never want to look at your comments again. Mm -hmm. One out of 10. It's not hard to get 10%. You know, 10% assholes is, like, pretty damn good in the real world. You know, yeah. if you only run into one out of 10 that's an asshole, you know, or one out of 100. Even if it was one out of 100 in your comments that are shitty, you don't want to read those comments. Yeah. It's just for a fighter, man. It's so much of it is about mindset and, and just being focused and not having any distractions. And I think those comments are a giant distraction. You know, you don't need anybody telling you what to do. You got Mark fucking Henry. You, you got Ricardo Almeida. You got all these world champions around you. Like, you don't need any any other information. You're getting plenty of information. You know, fuck all that shit. You shouldn't even look at it. Yeah. You should post and just run away. Just post something and don't even look at don't it. Don't even just read. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just I got to work it. I know I got to yeah. work on it. Because Definitely. what you're saying right now, all the things you were saying about beating Glover, about beating Alir Latife, yeah, but you're saying it like you're arguing with somebody. Mm -hmm. You're saying like someone told you you can't do it, but who gives a fuck what they said? You did do it. So why argue with someone who clearly doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about anyway, right? But in your head, you're like, they said I couldn't do this. They, like, <laughs> so you still have that... <laughs> See, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you have that battle. 100. Because Mark, they tell me all the time, like, bro, quit feeding. Like, don't don't even read it. Where I come from, small me and my brother, we also had that mentality. Like, people like to talk this and this. Yeah. We weren't the type. To, we ain't gonna sit there and talk back and forth. It's right. like, I right. and that, my first response to anybody, they talking shit. Like, all right, put your hands up. Let's, right. I'm ready to fight. <laughs> you say I'm gonna prove you wrong. That's right. always been my time. Like they always said, Corey couldn't do this. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do this. My whole life. 
Like in college, like, Corey, you're not good enough to go to Midlands. We only take five guys on the team, and I'm guaranteed coach ain't going to take you. With the two years I was there, I was the guy that went to Midlands, the first pick every time. Like, I'm always shooting to prove somebody wrong. Do you I feel like that's that. a part of your motivation? Yes. It's always been that way. But you're also, your motivation is obviously excellent. So there's no way it could just be to prove someone wrong as hard as you work. No, but that's just, let's put, that's how I got to the mentality and the work ethic I got. Because mm. in high school, I wasn't like this. I sucked in high school. I lost. In what two, way? I, I didn't win a match. I was a sophomore in high school. Really? I've been wrestling since third grade. Like, I was ass-tastic. And I was <laughs> horrible. Like Why? I got beat one time. The coach left me. They left. They loaded the bus and left me sitting there. Because you got beat the way yes. you got beat? Yes. They didn't want to bring you home? It wasn't. I got beat the way I got beat. I lost to a girl, Joe. You lost to a girl? Dead ass. I wow. didn't have the mentality. When I got off the mat, the team was gone. When I was outside, the bus was gone. only reason I got home because the varsity came for a duel that night. And the coach was like, why are you still here? Wow, that's <laughs> fucked up. It, yeah. That's I a mean, ruthless coach. But that's the thing. I wasn't, I was that boy, like they got the little boy that cried wolf. You know, I was always trying to get out of workouts. I was fat. I was lazy. At the time growing up, I loved the outdoors, but I loved video games. I loved eating junk. You know, I didn't always have this mindset. So when it came to a point when I wanted to do good, and I was trying, I took my first injury, my very first injury, sophomore year in high school before conference, I snapped my ankle clean through. And I remember everybody, when I was sitting there hurt. First time I was actually hurt, but I had faked so many injuries, even the coach came up and was like, tell me, get up, Corey, you always faking. Everybody's going to run sprints, so you get up. Because they all thought I was faking, but I was actually hurt. And my buddy stopped right, he grabbed me and took me to the trainer. Even the trainer looked like I was probably a sprint, he'll be fine. Went to the doctor. My dad came and got me. Went there. He did an X-ray. And my there was like this much bone holding my foot from falling off my leg. Like, your ankle is like pretty much shattered. Why didn't nobody bring you in? Like they kept saying there was nothing wrong. And I went back to the X-ray. And I was all like, oh, bro, we're so sorry. Like you have been like for so long since Breaking I've been wrestling since third grade. You know, I did it because my brother did it. Right. And I went to do everything he did, but I didn't. I didn't have the drive he had. But after that, seeing the way everybody kind of like dogged me out, I remember coming back from recovery from that, and the first time I ran after that injury. And even in my mind, like, I can't run. They said, I can't run yet. And I did, and I was limping, and I was scared it was going to break again. But I made it to where I was going. I was like, bro, I can do this. It's just, it's all here now. That's my real, everything is mentality. Like, I never had any problem. I was just lazy. I didn't want to work, so I was finding a way out. And after that, the next year, you can ask the coach. They told my parents I got moved to the varsity tournament, what, the first or second match? And I, killed, I took second and third in the varsity tournament after wrestling JV4 the year before. And I lost to the guy that won the thing. Like, the difference between Corey and now is night and day. It's because I realized if I put my mind to it and just work, quit working. My dad said it too. That's the thing. My dad pushed it on so young, at such a young age. My brother got it. He was a star athlete. But he didn't get the the openings and the opportunities I had, you know, because he was always working for my father and working here and working there. He didn't have the time to do camps and all that. Me being the youngest, it was a little easier for me. I seen what he did, what he told me, what my brothers, my sisters, and teammates and all the different people around me had done. I knew the way I needed to go to get somewhere. But being a, a star athlete, a, a professional athlete, was never a goal of mine. I wanted to be an engineer. I love building clubhouses and shit like that. That was what I wanted to do. Wow. But all that open doors, I wanted to go to school, to University of Wisconsin-Platteville for the engineer program. But just like sports, my grades was ass. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't try myself. I went there to hang out with my friends and be cool. Right. You know what I mean? When I applied, they messaged me back saying, your GPA isn't good enough. The wrestling coach wanted me there because by the end, I was good in wrestling. My last few years, I killed it. I never made the state, but I killed it in the regional and sections. I went all up to sections and lost in the finals. You had to go. You had to win that or third, whatever. But um, they said, you can't get here, but you got to go to junior college. You get your GPA up. We can get you in. Again, I went there. I didn't plan on wrestling anymore. I loved wrestling. I cried when it was over. 
But then um, a guy, Dave Clem, Matt Hughes' old coach. That's how I met Matt Hughes through Lincoln College. He reached out to me. I was like, I heard about you. You got the mentality of a warrior. Like, you work hard. You're a workhorse. I need somebody like you to come here and work for me. I can't get you a scholarship because you didn't do much. I don't have money left. I gave you 1800 bucks. It was 27000 I thought I was on like a full ride. I'm like, oh, I'm getting money. You know, I went there excited, determined to get there. And everybody like, oh, you're, you never made a state. You're not going to do good. This, is and this. So, again, that was motivation from right there. Going to school, like, they don't think I can do this. They, my grades aren't good enough. They don't think I can get education. I'm not good enough at sports. They don't think I'm All-American. They think I'm going to go there and just be another member of the team. I went there. I cut up. But right before the season, snapped my leg in three. Thought it was over again. And that coach was like, I saw you fire. A different leg injury. That same, the same leg, but a different injury. Like three years later. Let me bring it back to the first one. That injury is what changed you? Well, I got tired of people thinking I was faking. So because you were injured for real and people thought you were faking it, you realized something was wrong. I I realized I have been lazy. And my father, my whole life, you go to my old house right now in the garage, it's still carved in there. I never forget that. It was probably like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock school night. My dad woke me and my brother up to help him do some stuff on the boat. And we tired, you know. We want to go to bed. And we out there complaining the whole time. He said, you, my dad, if you met, my dad is the most motivating person ever. Don't have an education, nothing. But he, he started his own business from the ground up. And he's living the dream, hunting properties, whatever he wants, he can do it. And that's where I got it from. But it took me forever to realize this. And I'll never forget the day. It comes to me all the time. I think about it. He stood up on the boat and was up against the garage door. Brand new garage door. He just put up. You know, one thing I hate, I cannot stand, is lazy. And he took his drill and he cut L-A-Z-Y in the back of his brand new garage door. And it's still there till this day. Wow. When I go home and I visit, I go to that garage and you'll see it cut in the door. Lazy. And he cannot stand it. And if you know him, the way he works, he's just turned 59 Tuesday. And I could, in his voice, when I said, you had a job side, aren't you? Oh, he's there working. He got a bunch of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. He outworks everybody. 59 years old, up and down the ladder, running the crane, driving the truck to the shop. And that's it. He always said when I was a kid, son, it can only last so long. I never understood what he said. He used to come up to me on the football field. I'd be crying and moping. He'd run, it can only last so long, son. Keep going. It can only last so long. I said, like, what the? Why do you always say that? <laughs> and then later on, when it started getting hard, I started thinking, like, practice going. Look at the clock. It's like 45 minutes, but it can only last so long. And it clicked, like, oh, shit. That's what my dad meant all these years. It just, can only last just so long. Grind. Just go. Just go. Just put your nose down and get to it. So you have this injury, sophomore year, your ankle snaps, and you realize you've been lazy. So what what shifted in your mind? What? Did, how did you change? I just stopped worrying about excuses to get out of practice and figure was out reasons to stay. Was it immediate or was it a gradual change? It was change? as I was healing. You know, I was on bed rest for a while. It was so bad and people come in and out and... My brother used to come over at the time he was playing football and whatever and watching his games. It's just like sitting there for so long away from all the sports and all your friends and just sitting there just yourself. And I just realized, like, I've been doing this since third grade. I've seen this stuff a million times. I know the moves. I just don't apply. I think when I get back, if I actually start trying and drilling and actually practicing and getting that extra workout in, I could cut up. Sure enough, that's what happened. So what was the first step? When I came back, it was with that first run. I was literally my dad's shop is probably two hundred yards from my house, and it was raining. That's all. That's the only reason why I ran because I didn't want to get wet. <laughs> I was like, I'm about to run to the house, and I'm thinking like, but this leg, I don't know if I can make it. And then right then, that doubt in my mind, like, why are you telling yourself you can't make it? How many months out yards. from the this injury? Was, what I broke it in what January or December, 
and this was summertime, so it was long. Like I had to cast on for like five, six months. So really, yeah. Now I went to the air boot. It was like it was five bad. or six months. It was bad. And then like right now, I got the plate and the screws in there, but I broke some of the screws because I was like trying to move in a wrestling stance in my boot, and I slipped. My dad had um the tile or the cement, and he had a little gloss over it. And I was washing the cars one day, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm just gonna in my shadow stand. I don't know what. I slipped on the oh, wet no. spot, and I slipped. I felt it, and two of the pins that go across my ankle had snapped. So I had to wait for all that to heal again. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was a whole process. So I was laid you up for a while. snapped the pins? The two, I still got the two long screws that they take out. They leave the seven and go up the femur or the um, tibia. Mm-hmm. But the two long ones they're supposed to pull out. But the middle, when I slipped, they broke in half oh. my bone. So that made the bone heal slower. Because now it's just the little spot they drilled through. It opened up like that much, that much more. So you had to wait for all that to heal before I could actually walk. Did they take the screws out and put no, new ones still in? in there. They just so you got broken screws in your ankle. If you look at, like when I work out, I'm like, bro, your ankle is fat as hell. That's because the plate, the plate and the screws, the screws are so long, the ankle won't the swelling it and looks everything different. Is exactly. that other angle? Yeah, let me the see. Bone heals let me see what it looks like. Which ankle? So if you look, that's a fat that, ankle. Yeah, that's the fat one. And, and that's the normal like one. Normal. See, that one's pretty like fat skin. too. Well, <laughs> you got some big ankles, I mean, dude. Like oh yeah, oh See yeah, oh yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. So like when I get done training, oh, yeah. This one is like this big because all the blood and everything's swelling around the screw. Wow. So does it fuck with you anymore? Like when it gets cold out or anything? I, mean, I feel it, but again, mental. Everything is mental to me now. Right. Everything in life, I, even my, she hates it because I tell her all the time. She has a negative, in, uh, negative insight on something. Like find the positive in it. Like, it's all in your mind, babe. You can make the best out of anything. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, this, this, and this happened. Like, well, you could be dead or you could. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, it's you all some worse. You could yeah. have no legs. Like, it, she got her car smashed at work. Somebody hit the side of it and tore it all up and had to go in a shop. And I was like, it, the windows didn't break. Though. I was like, think about it. It dries and your windows ain't broke. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the middle of winter. It ain't got to be cold. Think yeah. about that. It could have totally get car. hurt. Yeah, it's like it's a million, million different things you can find to be sad. But find the good thing is to find the positive. It's going to get fixed eventually. So this ankle fucks with you still, but not enough to stop you. Nothing to stop me. Yeah. And you, but does it affect you at all when you kick things? Depends. Yeah? They dig in? Like if the I skin. kick, if they go to do the elbow, like I go mm-hmm. to kick the liver and they go to sit on it, and like the elbow kind of catch it, I feel it. But again, it doesn't stop me. Right. It only it's lasts just so a long. sensation. 15 minutes, that's nothing. It only got, lasts so it long. It only lasts so long. I'm going to bounce this out and keep going. Yeah. So you get out of the injury, you have the cast on you for five or six months, you realize how blessed you were to be able to move around, and that feeling, once you get your, your leg back under you and start moving again, what what is the changes you make? How do, how do you start to move your life in this positive way? Well, after I made that first jog and I realized I'm, I'm good, like I first doubted myself, but I made it because I told myself I can do it. I made it here. There's no injuries. I'm fine. And I was just slow and steady, just start hand fighting like, with the little, they got to take down dummies that hang on the wall. Just go there and move, you know. Not nothing fast. Just work hand fighting. Just kind of grab the leg, working my shots in and out, in and out. In the morning before practice, I used to go watch the guys for off season practice, study. And then when I came back, it was just I would have the heavyweight coach that coach. Can we drill today? I'm like, you asking me to drill? Like, yeah, coach can see us. I just want to work with. You. I just want to do a little bit of extra stuff. And after practice, he worked with me. Then the other coach would come work with me. It got to the point where, like. In the morning, I was in there before school, and I was there after school for practice. And I would stay after with coaching drills, different stuff. They must have been so confused. They they didn't like the coach. It's night and day. 
I'm like, the difference between Corey and Alice, night and day. That must have been so strange. You have this lazy kid, and all of a sudden, he becomes a savage. They have, when I go back to the school and I visit, they always ask me to come talk to these people. They call me a success story. Not only was this, but I grew up in an area where there was no black people. I was the only black family there. So we had racism my whole life. You know what I mean? Dealing with that stuff, that's another men. That was the mental, the mental, the mental fucks of it all. Like, every, no matter what I did, you're going to be wrong. Like, I was another Corey Anderson, too. That was even worse. And he was actually a troublemaker. So when he would get in trouble, they would always come get me out of the classroom. Like, oh. it was Corey Anderson. And I would get pulled. I'm like, I didn't even did nothing. I was a good kid. Never did nothing <laughs> wrong. Like, I'm down in the office, and the principal walk in like, wrong Corey. <laughs> like, of course it's the wrong Corey. It's every time. I remember Corey Richard Anderson and Corey C. Anderson. I'm Corey C. He's Corey Richard. But they always pulled me in there. And it was just because I was, it was only a few of us in my high school. And the fact that I, I never did drugs. Just like when we was on the ring, I said, I don't want I want to come to your show and shoot with you. I don't want to smoke weed. I never did drugs. I don't do none of that. I've been a good kid. But to deal with that stuff, I used to get pulled over for no reason. I had a nice truck, S10 drops the ground with rims and speakers. I used to get pulled over. And me and my friends get put in cuffs and sit on the curb while they search the car looking for something. When I went to college, it was the same thing. I'd get pulled over all the time. And teacher wouldn't be like, every time you late for class, you say you got pulled over. Like, I'm, I was telling Will on the way here. Like, I'm serious. I have classmates that saw him. Like, no, he's telling the truth, Mr. Starks. We saw him on the side of the road. Like, he always gets pulled over because nice vehicle, black. They always think it's something. You know, and that's just where I'm from. So, dealing with that and the mentality, I finally figured out. Like I said, that's why when people doubt me, I think, trying to prove wrong. Because I had coaches in high school. I won't put names on air. But I remember even when I was doing good, I knew I was doing good. Cause I had led the team in sacks. I didn't start. You know what I mean? I laid the the starting lineman out or beat this guy and this and that and this and that. And I never got the position or something was around it. And then when I came back after I made it to the U.S., like, oh yeah, I remember this. Like I ain't trying to hear that. Mm -hmm. The only coach in that high school I will say that that believed in me was a wrestling coach, Marty Kaiser. Marty Kaiser made everything possible. It made let me meet. Dave Clem, who was my junior college coach, who led me to Russ Davey, who led me, led me to Ben Askren, who Tim Fader and everything. And I've been blessed with the people in my life that bring me to Frankie and Mark and Ricardo. And I got, like, the awesome people around me. Like my mom says, you've always been blessed to have a good circle of people. And the one year I had a bad coach in college, it's like my mom said, we didn't have so much good. Don't let this one coach defeat you. Now, I'll never forget him. Jason Valak, I'll put his name on the air. That guy, that, that made me the toughest man I could. Because no matter what I did, he wanted to make sure he could break me. He had control over me. I was 16 hours away from home in South Carolina, no family, no money. He had me on a full ride, and he would just use that. I got you here. You here because of me. You do this, or I'm going to cut you. Cut me then. Fuck. He cut me. All right, you off the team. All right, I go get recruited, and he put me back on the team. You're still in NLI. You can't do that. This is this. So it's kind of like I think that's where I got the mentality where I want to prove people wrong because I beat the starter. And I beat him bad, 13 to 1, 12 to 1. Every time I wrestle, I beat him, but you still not starting. What the fuck you making me wrestle him off for? Like, I didn't beat him every time. Well, you lost him the first duel of the match by riding time. The first week of school, not beat him every time. But you're not going to let me start? Nope, because he pins people, and you only get points. Kind of like fighting. He knocks people out, and you only win by decision. Mm. It's kind of like, all right. So I left, went to Whitewater, where I met Ben and everything else. Again, went there. They coach knew who I was. Nobody else knew who I was because I didn't get to wrestle the year before. I was a bench warmer. The killer on the team, but never wrestled. That's so crazy. Killer, never wrestled. My parents would drive 16 hours to watch me duel, and he'd make me sit at the bench the whole tournament. It'd be a what tournament. A he'd be like, you're not dick. wrestling today. My parents would be there like, you're not wrestling. They're like, my parents drove six. You're not wrestling. I'm like, you got me eight hours from the school. My parents drove all the way up, and I can't wrestle. What was this guy's problem? We don't know. 
I got teammates now and guys are still fighting everything. And they're like, bro, you got out of there. And like a lot of guys, he had them there academically. He's like, oh, we're going to short term, short credit you, bliss this and this. You're going to do half credits, but you're going to be able to wrestle. So he was just a this. dick to a lot just of guys. Dick. He just wanted to win. That was it. Ugh. So like guys would finish their wrestling career, but they didn't have their credits to graduate. Like, coach, I need help. Like, what can I do? You don't wrestle for me no more. It's like, bro, I'm only here because of you. But I left. He Power. Went, he kept hitting me up like, oh, you keep coming back. And next year, I'll let you start next year if you beat him again. Fuck and you. And I was like, you exactly what I said. I went to the yeah. AD office, told him what was going on. They gave me my letters and trans- let me transfer out. But I couldn't go to Division Two. Like, you can leave, but you can't go to Division Two. He can't hold you back anymore. Like, that's fine. I'm out. I left like a month before school ended. He showed up at my house one day. Like, where are you? I'm at your house. Like, I'm gone, bro. Like, what do you mean I'm gone? Like, I'm done. I'm transferring. Like, you can't. I showed him the papers. Like, how did you get that? Like, I went behind your back. I got it done. I'm out of there. And then uh, Tim Fader, the coach at Whitewater, I remember he pulled up at my house. I almost didn't go back to school because he kind of got in my head. Like, I don't want to go nowhere else and waste my last year of school doing the same shit. I can't trust anybody. I took, what, six the year before an injury, but I was beating everybody. You know, I only lost a D1, D2 guys. And so it was like, I don't want to go anywhere else and somebody's going to screw me over a full ride. But then this guy pulled up in my driveway when I was working one day. He was like, I'm looking for Corey Anderson. I've seen him before, but I didn't really know much about him. And he, we went to lunch or whatever. He was like, I know your story. But the thing is, I can't give you a full ride because of D3. We can't give money, but I want you to wrestle for me. This isn't this. And like I said, when I went D3, nobody knew who I was because I didn't get to wrestle. Mm. But he knew, like, we're not even going to let you wrestle for a while. So I thought right after the get-go, like, what the fuck? You fucking like shit. this? Like, what the fuck? He's like, no, it ain't that. He said, I don't want people to know what we got. We're going to wait to the first home duel, and I'm going to let you loose. And the first home duel, I had the number three dude in the country. And I'll never forget that week. He said, you ready? Like, what you mean? Like, it's the time. You get to come out. Gave me my single. Like, you ready to show out? Like, you know I'm ready. <laughs> Dog, the number three guy out by like 12 points. And I was like, who the fuck is this kid? <laughs> he was like, yes, I'm finally home. And then shortly after, I met Russ Davey, a guy who came from Colorado who coached in Wisconsin. He was my heavyweight coach, Olympic guy. And then uh, he brought in Ben Askren. That's how I got into fighting. And Ben, it was just like, like I said, the people around you, it just molds you. Like, I'm blessed. I'm sitting here thinking about it. And it makes me feel good because all the things I've been through and everything, it all worked out. Yeah, like having posting. that dick coach probably it, it, helped it you. It helped me. It wasn't about – and my coach yeah. told me when I signed. When I signed, like, coach, give me a full ride. That's one thing I kept saying. They give me a full ride. He kept saying, Corey, it ain't all about the money. Like, it's the most decision in your life. It's not about the money. Coach Klimp and Stephen Bradley, and they both said, like, it's not about the money, Corey. Remember, it's the most, decision, most important decision of your life. Don't let the money fuel you. But that was, that's what it was for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I went to school as a walk-on pretty much, and now I'm getting full ride offers from everywhere. And now I'm going to a number one school, Division Two, and they give me a full ride. Like, I thought that was something. But when I got right. there, I figured out what he meant. And I'll never forget calling both coaches, like, you guys are right. I'm back home now, and I'm trying to figure out what's now. Like, well, you can go NAI. I know a few schools that want you. It's good coaches, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just going to chill and think about it. When that coach came... And the fact that he came to my house, reached out to me, he told me, I can't give you money, but I want you for you and as a leader. And when I first got there, even though he told me he wasn't going to let me wrestle, he let me run practice for like the first month because he couldn't teach it before season got there. Like, I want you to like run practice, this, this, and this, because you got that mentality. You can help these guys show us you did in D2, number one school. You can show us stuff here. You know, I ended up being the first NCAA All-American or NCAA Finals the school had in 22 years. You know, I led the team in takedowns all the way up until – like the regional tournament, my roommate beat me. We had a competition going. I did a lot of things that most people didn't see heavyweights do. The way I shot, the way I wrestled, my mentality. I was always working. I was in doing strength and conditioning before practice, 
and before the morning, like six o'clock, we had strength and conditioning. And I got a class at one. I'd be in the gym lifting or doing circuit training till three. And it went from just me to me and my teammate or me and my roommate to other teammates. And like you said, people would see how you're doing it and they would jump in. And before you yeah. know it, it was like six or seven of us working out Feeding in the field off house. Each other. Yeah. yeah. And we just motivating yeah. each other. Yeah. And the bond we had there as a team, like I remember getting there and everybody was like, oh, what's our goal? Only thing I thought about was nationals. Everybody like, oh, we just, we want to win nationals or win conference. Look like, why the fuck y'all talking about conference? That's like the first step. You got conference, regionals, all this national. What about the big picture? Like, oh, well, we would never won conference before. And I was like, we should still want to get nationals. And like by the end of the year, the, everybody was feeding off each other. We had uh, we had three guys from the same high school, me to ninety seven, eighty not or eighty seven or eighty four pounds. Excuse me. And they called us a high nigga death row because I was off school and like death row sugar night and all that. So one guy printed up shirts and it was us three. <laughs> and it was like, it was so cool to have three guys that was from the same school. We grew up right down the street from each other, but we all went separate ways. One went here, one went there. We ended up in junior college together, we, we and the one guy. And in our very last year, we all ended up together as a team captains. Senior year is our last time to do it together, the hoorah. Wow. And we brought like our whole high school would come to all our matches. And it was only like an hour from home. It was just cool, man. And that was, like I said, when I met Ben there and he brought me to this thing, and I didn't want to fight. Again, I, was, I had a doubt in my mind. I want to go to that, but I want to go back to your your high school days when you made that big shift. Did you slip at all? Like you, you, you went from being a guy who was kind of lazy and undermotivated to a guy who was very disciplined, that it was like night and day. But was there ever a time where you fell back to your old ways? I mean, it was times like it took a lot of motivation and – Pep talk to myself to get out and do something. It'd be times like I wanted to, instead of go work out, go play video games. Right. So I was big in a dirt bike and a four-wheeler. And like when I get off the bus, you can hear the dirt bikes come to my house. I had the motocross track in my backyard. Me and the neighbor, he had a freestyle track, got a dirt bike track. And I'd get off the bus and be thinking like, all right, I'm about to go do my homework. I need to go do a little workout, lift or something. And you hear him coming. It's like, oh, I want to go ride instead. I want to go ride. But at the same time, like, you're a wrestler. You're a wrestler. Figure out, too, which one is first. You know, I let the guys go ride in my track, and I'll do push-ups or whatever and do my homework. Whatever it was I do, just a little something. As long as I get something. If mm -hmm. I did a little bit of something, that's more than the next person. Right. You know, by the time my senior year came around, it was kind of like I still wasn't all in, but I was a little more. I didn't get all in until after that second injury in college. And but the in second injury in college was the same injury, same leg. Same leg, different injury. What would you do this time? I snapped my leg in three. How did you what Freak accident. This is, to this day, I, I just remember hearing the Was pop. it wrestling? Wrestling. Me and my yeah. coach drilling. Very just slow drilling. Drill, very slow drilling, but we had brand new mats. So they were super sticky. And I had mm. brand new wrestling shoes, which were super sticky. And I remember the drill. Coach Morgan was like, all right, so we're going to work the, the chain wrestling. I shoot a single leg. You get the single back. When I shoot a double, you bump with the hips, you snap to your shot. He grabbed a single leg. I snapped the foot down. He shot the double. When I hit him with my hips, I fell backwards and hear a pop. But I didn't feel it. And he stood over me. I remember him standing over feet over both sides, like, don't look down. We said, don't look down. Now somebody tell you, don't look, you gonna look. I looked and my <laughs> my foot was like pointed like this and it was down. I was like, <laughs> I turned my back. I started arm across. We got a pool on the other side of the door. And I'm trying to get to the door and just drown myself in pain. Not a pain kick. I'm trying to get in the pool. You're trying to get in the pool? In the I'm trying to drown, but like it hurt. Like, I was like, I want to die. I was, I'm just going. I remember him flipping You're me over. You're trying to drown? <laughs> this shit go through your mind. When shock hit, when shock hit, things that hit oh you, gosh. you don't think. That's a crazy thing to think. You don't I want to go drown myself? It hurt, Joe. Oh, Do you my ever God. snap your leg? No, no. You like know that. the nerves? No. Are, you 
know how yeah. that feels to have uh, not one be. spot, three spots. So it's like shooting up your whole leg to your uh, back. It's like all the way to the shoulders. The point is like, I just want this over with. It's like, I'm just going to go jump in the water. That's wow. The first thing in my mind is go bear cross, fall in the water. That's a crazy instinct, man. <laughs> I wasn't the most sane kid, but that was the most certain. That was the first thing in my mind. Go find the water. Just just end it. you know. And they flipped me over. And I remember they threw it up on a punching bag. So it had nothing to do with the old injury. Nothing to do with the old. It was a completely just different Just a spot. totally different Probably spot. Probably like four or five inches up from the old injury. Just it just snapped. Freak accident. That's what they kept saying. It's a freak accident. Like so you, what do they do then? I uh, go to the hospital that day and they snap. I remember the guy that snatches it back, pulls it and snatches it and lines all the bones up and they put it. Like we're putting it in the cast for now, but you got to get plates and pins to set this straight. And that one I was out for again. That was October 27th. And I came back. I got the release back January 13th or 14th. It was like a little bit before a regional. And we didn't have a heavyweight all year because I got hurt and the other guys got kicked out of school, whatever. So three months-ish? Yeah. And you were this back? This one fat. Well, I wasn't back, but I was cleared to start drilling. Mm -hmm. I remember begging the coach, like, coach, just let me come back. I can save with six points because every time one guy don't wrestle, that's automatic six. Did they like, have to put plates in your shin? Um, on the side of my leg. I got a plate. You can feel it if you ring your hand up down. It's like all bent up and from now all the wars and shit, kicks and wrestling. It's like. All wobbly, bent, <laughs> warped, holes, all kinds of stuff. From getting kicked? Getting kicked in it, from wrestling. People do foot sweeps. You ever get a, like an x-ray of it to see what it looks like? I haven't had an x-ray in forever. I, I should. like to see what it It'd looks be like. Pretty, pretty bad by now. <laughs> I remember my first tournament when somebody foot swept me. Oh, my goodness. That feeling. Like, God had me an underhook, and he kicked that plate, and I just fell. Like, he didn't even kick my foot. I just fell. Because it's the first time you feel it, and that pain shift, you've never felt it. Right. Your nerves run up and down that. So when it hit and everything just shut, and I just fell. And he pinned me. I was like, Coach, like, what's wrong? I'm like, yo, my leg gave up. I'm still on the mat. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened. And, like, your nerves are training. So I'm like, you got nerves on the side of the leg. You run up the plate. What he did, he probably kicked it right. and hit the plate. And that yeah. was another thing I had to get in my mind. I said, like, this is going to happen often. You just got to be able to toughen it up and just go through it. Yeah, you have a, an extra vulnerable spot now. Yeah. Yeah. And have you been low leg kicked there a lot? Oh, yeah. Did yeah. A Lear fight. He did it like four times. Same spot. Low leg kick. Yeah. It's just, like I said, I got to a point now where I just deal with it. Yeah. That was in 2007. This is 2019. It's 12 years of dealing with it. You get to a point where it's kind of like it's not really a pain anymore. It's just a just a pesky injury. You now feel it. But some of those injuries, they'll go in after it's healed up and take the plate out. Yeah, they said they can. Do, we, do you want to do, do that? But to do that, because I got the broken pins, because mm -hmm. those pins are so broke, they got to cut like a whole section out of my leg, which I mean, I'll be out of commission for a long time. And I was like, I'm used to it now. Is there any benefit if they do that? I get my whole leg back. <laughs> That's it. I get my leg back. That's the only benefit. So like I said, I, said, I can train, right? Yeah. yeah like, it's just going to bother you. It's like, I, I deal with it. Yeah. When I retire, we do all that. But right now. There's no problem. Wow. So you have this shift in high school. You you make it to senior year, and you're a different person night and day, but you're still not the Corey Anderson of today. Mm -hmm. So the second injury, what does the second injury do for you when you snapped it? The second injury, that was just, I mean, that just, because I didn't get to show what I can do. It motivated me that much more that when I come back, I got to be undeniable. I got to show, I got to do like, nobody knows what I can do because I didn't make it to state my senior year in high school. Right. But then we went to team state, and I pinned the guy that took fourth in state. So I knew I could do it, but I just didn't make it there. So when I got hurt my freshman, freshman year, I was gonna, that was the year I was going to show people, Corey Anderson, what y'all used to know, what you think, this, this, and this. Then I got hurt, and it kind of set me back. You know, it was just in my mind. I was very – I was sad. Like, I remember being at home. I was emotionally sad. But when I went to go back and I couldn't focus on wrestling – 
I just put my mind on schoolwork. And that's when I figured out I can do schoolwork. I finished my freshman year with a 3.25 GPA after missing like three, four months. I had to make up everything and take tests. And that's when I realized, like, I can do that too. So that was the more thing I got, the thing I got out of that injury, not so much the athletic part. I was motivated to work even harder next year, but I found the fact that I can do schoolwork if I want to. Again, it's just a mental thing. Mm. I have to take the time to study. I've never, I had never studied before that ever. Didn't do any homework. It was I borrow somebody's homework or take somebody's notes and try to fill in answers just to get something to say it was a completion credit. Mm -hmm. But when I had nothing to do, I couldn't wrestle. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't run. I couldn't go play basketball in the back with everybody else. It was the only thing I could focus on now is school. At the time when I came back, my GPA dropped like two point something because I hadn't been in class for so long. So I had to get all that up before before the end of the year. And finished with a 3.0 at least. And I finished with a 3.25. For so that was my, to make academic All-American was my, that was my highlight of my freshman year. I didn't get the wrestling All-American, but I had the academic All-American. That's, that's something I can work on because as a kid, my parents, my mom in eighth grade bet me $100 I wouldn't graduate. My own mother. And she's, my mom's my biggest motivation ever. Before my, before my son came here, my mother was the hand that pushed me over everything. She's always, my dad comes with the work ethic. My mom is always, make sure you do things right. You can do this, this, and this. Always help me. I struggle with reading. She's helped me learn how to read faster, read better, and do things to the best of my ability in the academic world because sports and hard work is going to be there, but education is something you can always fall back on. So, but I was just so bad. I used to, and I lived next door to the middle school, so I was bad. The eighth grade year, they opened a new high or middle school up the street from my house. So I would mess up from school. I don't do homework. I don't know why I would think I would get away with it. I'm getting out of class. My mom's sitting in the principal's office. Could have done it for a walk for her. They called, like, Corey didn't do his homework again because she was on it. She would call. Like, if Corey messed up in school, call me. She had me in summer camp. I had to go to summer school one year when I passed all my classes because she wanted me to get that fact. Like, just because you pass, they let you pass. Don't mean you did good. You pass, but you're going to learn how to work. You're going to. But I, that was another thing. I didn't have the mentality that my mom wanted me to have when it come to Working for academics and stuff. So what made you do that? What what was the shift that caused that from the the injury? The second like I said, injury. Second, I had nothing else to focus on. Mm. It was either that or become a bum at the school, sit in my room, skipping right. class, and fell out. So I had to get my grades up if I wanted to wrestle next year. So it probably been something that was bothering you already. It didn't bother me. I didn't, didn't care about my grades had because as long as I was athletic, doing <laughs> athletics, the way it, like, it's kind of like the movies. If you competing and they know you're good, you're assets to the team. The teachers help you. They right. try to. They don't give you, but they help you out. They, you got questions. Ask questions. They won't fail you. Right. You know, if I, they gonna do everything they can to make sure I learn. So, were you realizing because of the injury that maybe your athletic career wouldn't be there, and you needed you needed to get this education? If I did, because now I didn't have the help I had in class when I was an athlete. They right. help you a little bit more, but now I'm not wrestling. It's kind of like my uh, GPA doesn't matter for the team anymore and I haven't missed it from school for so long when I came back mm. it's kind of like now I got a lot to make up for I just got to do it on my own I was studying that's all I had class in my dorm room class so in my dorm room from that point on from that injury then you you get your academic work in order and you start being disciplined in all areas of your life and you mm -hmm. feel like that carried over everything, to your athletics as well everything works together Yeah, everything works for one thing and it's, yeah, and that's talk about else. that okay like First thing we learn at orientation, the college coach comes with, we go in the room like, guys, we got your athletic scholarship, but you're here as a student athlete. And I remember going back and coaching at the same college and him giving the same speech, and he write it on the board, student athlete. We're going to make it in two parts. First part, student. Second part, athlete. So we're going to write it on the board. What does this mean? So first priority, school. 
After that, next priority, athletics to me. After that, you got your family. Then it's making sure you stand out of trouble. And that the last thing, the very most important thing when it comes to college is just social life. The rest of that, everything else comes first. And at the end, then you worry about your friends and trying to be cool and all the extra stuff. You know, you I'm 17 when I went to college. I graduated high school at 17. So I'm young. I'm not even an adult. But in my mind, I'm on my own. I'm doing what I want, blah, blah, blah. I'm showing out. I'm being an ass, you know. Right. Not like getting in trouble, but not paying attention to school. I'm not worried about the student part. I'm just an athlete. I'm, they're not going to ask questions, act like I'm struggling, and they're trying to help me out, you know, but I know they're not going to mm-hmm. give me an F because I'm I'm trying, but I really wasn't. I'm asking questions. I'm sitting in front of class. So they're not going to give me an F, but they're going to make sure I don't – I'm eligible to wrestle, but I'm not going to fail. Right. So when you get injured, you realize that ain't there no more mm. because you ain't got nothing to wrestle for. You all school now. So now you got you you can't say I got practice, so I can't I can't study. Was that a big eye opener for you when you realized that you can do good at school too? Yes, one hundred percent. Because in your whole life, when you didn't try, yeah, you didn't care, and it had that no child left behind pretty much before they made it an official thing. It was always there because I know I didn't do enough in school, but somehow I graduated every year. Somehow mm. I graduated because there's always one teacher. One person that looked out for me. Like I guess I've been blessed to have that. In middle school, it was Miss Vermette. To this day, we still talk. I go home, we have lunch, breakfast, whatever. Really? Yes. If it wasn't for her, I probably would have dropped out of high school. That's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. So, so in college now, your athletic career is in order. You're 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 getting your school work in. What was it that made you even consider being an MMA fighter? Ben Asker. Really. Funky Ben. Funky Ben. <laughs> and I didn't even consider. He tricked me. <laughs> How did he trick you? I mean, all through college, I had teammates that did MMA. They all wrestled. But when it was over, they all were amateur MMA fights. Cool, you should try it. Like, your movement and stuff, you're so light on your feet and fast as your weight. You can kill it. But I got metal plate in my leg, bro. I had tore my shoulder. And I got so many injuries, I wouldn't be good. I'd be laid up too much. Like, I didn't like what you think. This, is and this. Denied, denied, denied it. My senior year, fifth year senior Ben comes up, he started working with me. And Ben was like one of my main wrestling partners. And kind of like you say with Lemon Chaco, like you got somebody, you go to punch, he's not there. Ben's mm-hmm. the same way in wrestling. And I used to try to pick his brain. Like, How do you do this? Like I'll be dead to right on a double leg. Pick you up in the air. I go to take you down. I land on my face and you're nowhere to be found. You on my back. Like, How does that happen? <laughs> That's why they call me the funk, man. I'm the king of the funk. The same hair. Come in practice with sandals, kick it off, put his shoes on. He just looked like a, a floppy guy. Like yeah, his that's guy, the you know? crazy thing about him. He doesn't look physically My imposing at all. My first time like this is this is being like this is no. I'm about to blow through this dude. Hit him with a double A, gone every time. High crotch, gone. I took him down. I think one time in my college career, clean takedown. And then it's just like what the. And after college, <laughs> I was like, I want to do the Olympics, bro. And you've been there, but I don't know any freestyle rules. Like, oh, we can work together, whatever. Him and my coach both wrestle at the Olympic level. Working together And then one day He sent me an address Like oh I'm not making it here today But meet me here At this address And we'll work Blah 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 Bring your gear I get up there And it's roofer sport But it's outside of a bank It's still it's like It's underneath a bank Downstairs Yeah, I've been So I'm looking park. like Where the fuck is Where am I going And I text him like Oh go to the side It's downstairs You're going to see a sign Roofer sport This and this And I walk down the stairs Like what is He must have mats in here Or something And I go in there And you got UFC there Doing uh, Anthony Pettis Doing a jump off kick Making some photo for the magazine or whatever and you got like pascal cruz and sergio page you got ben Ashren. it was a few other eric coke other ufc guys i'm looking like what is going on all these guys hitting pads and they got mma practice and ben ran out the cage oh hey cool. i'm glad you can make this and this this ain't no wrestling gym what is this he's like oh yeah well i want to talk to you about that welcome to a new sport 
What? What? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I know I heard you say you didn't want to fight, whatever, but bro, I think you could be good. I, th- I just want you to try. If you don't, if you don't like it after you try it, we'll go back to wrestling. Blah blah blah. This and this. I'm like, all right. And I go to the front desk, and uh, the lady I meet at the front desk introduced me was my wife. Now, didn't know that Jenny should sit my desk. Like, what is? So I get the gear. They give me some gloves and whatever. And I was like, you know, I really don't want to do like the, the training. All right, so I side and watch. I hit the bag a little bit. I'm just watching. And at the time, this is when my mind's already set. You got an opportunity. You got to try it. But I didn't try it that day. I remember driving home. It was an hour and a half drive. Whole drive. I'm at myself like, you a bitch. I'm talking to myself like, you a bitch, Corey. You didn't do that. You had an opportunity. You didn't even take it. You a bitch. I can't believe you didn't do that. So I get home. I tell Ben, like, I'm sorry I didn't try it, but I would like to do it again. Like, well, it's good because tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., we up there. <laughs> all right. Get up early, 7.35, motorcycle up, shoot all the way up to Milwaukee. I get there, roof, Duke Roof opened the door. Oh, Corey, nice to meet you. I heard about you. This is this. Like, I came yesterday, but I didn't do it, but I want to try it today. I just watched. Like, well, that's good. I'm glad you came. Like, why is that? Like, stay sparring day. <laughs> like, like, I had spar to spar. With no sparring no, at all. Well, I, ever before? Thing, I did amateur boxing when I broke my leg. Yeah. I did, like, boxing at the gym for rehab because my brother in law was a professional boxer at the time. And I had two amateur fights. And, uh, so I had that. And I came with my gloves and everything, but old ratty title gloves. Falling apart. And like, all I got is my gloves and my shorts. Like, don't worry, we got gear. We get you stuff, head gear and shin pads, this and this. They gave me two opposite combat corner shin pads. One was like a youth and one was like an extra loss. So one covers my knee and one covered like half my shin. And like this old raggedy head gear. Like, you got a mouthpiece? Like, yeah. Like, that's all you need. So we're going to spar. So my first time I go with Ben. So Ben, you know, taking it easy on me. Boom, boom, I punch him. He shoot on me. I defended in MMA. It's different. I can sprawl a lot harder. All right, well, there you go. Now we're going to put you with somebody else. Of course, it's Anthony Pettis. He's too small. I'm like, well, you need to feel like to get kicked. What? Pow! Ah! What the? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the? F- ah! He just kept kicking my leg, and I grabbed. He's like, what do you do? Like, I'm a wrestler. I said, take him down. And I took him down. Like, ah, right, you too big for Anthony. You're gonna hurt him. And then he put me with a heavyweight. He said, now nah, I want you to take everything you did. You was punching Ben, and you took him down. I took down Anthony. And do everything with this guy your size. And I fucking just hit him with a bunch of jab crosses, blast double on the punch. It's like. Just ground, didn't even know ground, but just hitting like Donkey Kong. <laughs> and stand up and do it again. I did it again. I just kept doing it, doing it, doing it. And when it was over, he was like, all right, there you go. Your first sparring session out the way. And I hate to tell the court, I heard you kept saying you're not a fighter, but you are an MMA fighter. And I can tell you right now, been working with a lot of guys, you could be in the UFC in three fights. <laughs> yeah, right, whatever. I'm thinking, like, I'm dead serious. In three fights, so what you got and your mentality from what I've seen in wrestling, if you put it to this, you could be in the UFC in three fights. Whatever. But I like that. I like the training, and I kept coming back, and I never so wrestled again. what year is this? This was 2012, right after college. That's not that long ago, man. Oh, my you first think about fight. I didn't debut until 2013. top-level MMA fighter in one of the most talent-rich divisions, in the light heavyweight division, and you only been doing it for seven years. I was in the UFC with seven months fighting. After my first That's fight, crazy. seven months. That's and I was crazy. in the top ten within a year. Oh That's the thing. God. So I'm learning. I didn't have an amateur career. I That's had three crazy. fights to Ultimate Fighter, won that. Top 10 and that was inside it. a year of all MMA training. That's it. Jesus and That's why people Christ. keep talking this shit about. I'm like, they don't understand. I ain't did this like most of these guys. I look at pictures of guys I've been training with. I got guys at the gym now that's still amateurs. And they post a throwback Thursday. My senior year in college, I have a throwback picture. It'd be me in college in 2007. It'd be them in like their third or fourth MMA fight. It's like, wow. and these guys are still amateur. And how old are you now? I'm 29. Dude, you're still not even really in your prime. Your no. prime is like 31, 32. 
Like I said, I'm that's coming. Crazy. I'm learning now. You are learning now, but it's crazy that you were in the top ten a year into MMA training. Because we always cite Francis Ngannou. That Francis Ngannou is one of the craziest stories ever. The guy goes from no MMA training at all to five years later fighting for the title. You know, at like, you know, but he's what you did is as impressive. The fact that you hit top ten with a year of MMA training. That's bananas, man. Even in the tough house, I remember guys like you can hear them in the kitchen. We're all talking about, oh, what's your background? This, this, and this. I went on tough with four or five months' experience. I had my three fights back to back to back. And I remember my coach was pushing it that third fight. We got to get this third fight. Like, why are you pushing it so hard? And then when it was over, and I was like, all right, this is why we had to get that last fight. Ultimate Fighter Trials the next Tuesday in Indiana. You're going. Fuck out of here. I got to work. This is, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and they called me Monday night like, yo, what are you doing? Like, I'm at work. I work night shift. I don't get off till 1. And when he get off, meet me at my house like, what? Like, we're going to Indiana. Like, I'm not. I'm going to get to the UFC. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to go the hard way. Like, All right. I see you at my house. I'm going to the phone. I get off. I go to the house. I was like, bro, what the fuck are you talking about? He jumped in the driver's seat. Like, get in. Like, what are you talking about? So you were saying you want, if you get in, you want to go the hard like, way. Like, get earned from picking up fights. Not doing the ultimate fight. Yeah, I wanted to, like, get enough fights and somebody see me. Be like, all right, here's your, take a short notice fight or whatever. Yeah, but that was think. a fantastic opportunity for Again, exposure. And, exactly. But yeah. in my mind, oh. I, I just started three, right, four right, months. Right, I'm right. thinking, like, I'm just beating up cans. I don't think I'm ready yet. Right. But they say, like, Corey, we see you, man. Like, you... You have the opportunity to beat these guys. Like, you beating this guy, he's been training forever. He's been pro. He's been Bellator. Dustin Jacoby was my first sparring partner when I went to Illinois. He had been a UFC he's Bellator. He's doing great yeah. glory now. Yeah. And yeah, that was one of my first. Beast. And I was taking him down and ground and pound, but striking, I didn't have that. But all you got to do is use your takedowns, man. You're mm-hmm. taking everybody down. You're doing good. Use that. And I left. When I went there, whatever, my coach was like, just go do what you do. I have no doubt they're going to pick you. But the reason they picked me wasn't the same. You know, they picked me thinking it was going to be an easy fight for whoever. Mm. But it's backfired on them because my work ethic, they didn't know me. Right. You know, I was cracking jokes. Like, I can beat anybody you have here. And they was laughing. I'm thinking they laughing at my jokes. Come to find out. They tell me at the end. One guy told me, like, you know, when we picked you, we didn't think you could win. Like, going after the semi, like, we picked you because we thought you was going to lose to Kelly and Nelson and get him an easy fight in. And now, look, it kind of backfired. <laughs> and it was like, because they didn't know who I was. They didn't know right. me as a person. And I name dropped Matt Hughes. And I think that was the only reason why I got there. Like, I trained with Matt Hughes here and there, blah, blah, blah. You know Maddie? Oh, Maddie's our guy. Oh, can you make it to Vegas next week? I like, I can make it yesterday if you would have told me. And I go, pack your bags. You're going. Wow. And that was it. But you, the thing is, even though you were a year in, you were so many years into wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I think to this day that wrestling is the most important skill in MMA because you get to dictate where the fight takes place. The superior wrestler gets to dis- – every fight starts standing up and you have to know how to strike. But a superior wrestler gets to dictate where the fights take place. And you see that with guys like Khabib. You see that with so many superior grapplers. When they get a hold of a guy, it's their dominance is one of the most important aspects of fighting. So you did have all that. Mm-hmm. But that's, I had the strike, the basic striking mm-hmm. and the wrestling. But like I said, when I came to meet Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida, like that's what took me into so a martial artist. So that's only like two years into your training. That wasn't even two years. Not that was even. a year and like three months. <sighs> and I guess that's why I didn't have it. And Mark tells people all the time, like when you hear him say it, I hear him tell people all the time, like, you guys want to see like hard work and what happened? Corey. Like Corey is a pure fighter of what I what I'm coaching because he came here with nothing. Like mm-hmm. you get guys that come to him like Lance Palmer now. Right. He's been fighting so long. He's won the PFL. You got all mm-hmm. these guys have been fighting 10, 12 years before they meet Mark. So it's kind of like they just tuning up something. Yeah. When you got a guy like me that has nothing. The gym I was at, we literally, like I was at Rufus Sport for a little bit, but I got the college coaching job and had to leave. So I met a group of guys through Mark Fiore at the time, but he ended up leaving to go to overseas. 
and it was probably six of us, and we had a, fi- a guy who owned a warehouse. Like, oh, you can put mats in here and just in the corner. You guys can just train. We didn't have jujitsu practice. We never had striking practice. No tie practice. We literally showed up, ground and pound, MMA gloves. We punch each other in the face. We learn how to get out. Sparring, no bridge ass in sparring. I mean, you got injuries. We don't want to hear. Just beat the shit out of each other until it's over. It was it was horrible. <laughs> Winter time, <laughs> no heat. We had a little a kerosene here about this big oh, on the no. corner of the mat, and we free, we in Illinois, oh, like Jesus. down in mid central Illinois. It's freezing. Oh. Negative twenty. We in there, fucking dudes breaking. Hit the hand. Hit the back. Freezing. Break the hand. We don't have any insurance. It's us beating the shit out of each other. But we got the opportunity for one of us. It was three twelve fivers, but I was the only one that they was gonna let to go to the ultimate fighter. I had the least amount of fights, but you're the only one that can actually work and make us look good on there. So, so you, you, you get on the Ultimate Fighter, you meet Mark Henry, you wind up winning, and then you go from there, you go and move to New Jersey? Is that what you do? I went home. I met Ali on the show. You know, I mean, Ali was there every day. He even said, like, bro, you're wrestling. This I like how you're good at wrestling. Henzo came on. He said, like, you're wrestling is key. That's when everybody let me know. Mark, first thing he said, you're wrestling. They made it known, like, wrestling is going to run this. And, uh... And even Ali said right then, he's like, I'll work with you. And you don't even have to sign me as a manager, but I'll help you. Like, i help lead you in the right way what you need because I didn't have anybody to direct me. I knew nothing. Ben Askren was the only thing I had, but he was in Wisconsin. You know, I'm about out here on my own. And Ali, I remember saying, like, if you want to win this show and be the best you can, brother, you need to go to Jersey. Mm-hmm. And Mark and him had already texted me, like, you're more than welcome to come out and train whenever you want. By the time I had a girl who had a kid and my family, and the coaching was my dream job, still my dream job. And I love that. You know, I didn't want to leave that for anything. When what were you coaching? You were coaching wrestling? wrestling? Yeah, at the junior college level. And I remember uh, that was, I only made 220 bucks a week, but I worked other jobs to make my dream a reality. That's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and fight. And um, I was like, if you want to be the best, you want to win this show, the best opportunity you got, man, you need to go to Jersey. Like, I know you got guys there, but even my guys told me after the show, you need to leave because we can't do anything for you. But I didn't want to. I was so grounded today. I didn't want to leave that. That's what I knew. Mm. And, uh, when Ali said, bro, you got to go. Like, I can never live in Jersey. It's too fast-paced. I'm a country boy. I like outdoors and this hunting and stuff like that. Like, you need to get to Jersey, brother, if you want to be the best. If you don't want to be the best, stay where you are. I remember telling my mom, like, I said I need to go to Jersey. My mom said when I was uh, in high school, my senior year, she said, if you get the opportunity ever to leave, I want you to go far away. Did you think about going anywhere else, like going to Rufus Sport permanently? or anything? That was a thought. Yeah, that I thought, but they didn't have the rest. Ben, but that was about it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a wrestling base, and I fell in love with the way Frankie and them train. I right. love that. But I was looking right. for something like that. Mark Fiore had that, but when he left, had nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, and my mom said, if that's what the best is, you need to go be the best. You know, my brother was like, yo, let's well, go. Mark Henry's such a unique guy that when, when people start training with him and, and realizing, like, what he is and then comparing him to other people, like, it, it makes them think, like, wow. Like, this guy's got something very unique. <clears throat> like, his, uh, all the way you're talking about his systems and all the, the stuff that he writes and the notes. And, like, Brendan Schaub was telling me that he trained with him for one fight. And he said when he went down there, he said, like, it was like, like an eye-opening experience. Like, he didn't know that a coach could be that good. Yeah. And you know the crazy part? The reason why Mark isn't known the most, because you got, like, Freddie Roach, you got Duke Rufus, all these big game, name mm-hmm. guys. Um, what's uh, the guy that... <coughs> Hard Knocks 365 with Kamora Usman. What's his coach's name? Uh, Henry Hooft. Henry Hooft. There you go. Yeah. All these guys, but that's all they do mm-hmm. throughout the day. So right. you see them because they work with so many fighters. Right. And it's like, that's all they do is coach MMA. You know Mark is a pizza man. When yeah. I first got there and they said that, I didn't know he had owned the pizzeria. He used to say, 
after spawning, like, all right, guys, it's time to go make the dough. I thought he meant, like, just go to his job and make money. Right. Yeah, he, he was, oh, I owe the pizzeria. And that's his that's his passion. Like, when practice is over, it needs to, we need to start at 9.30 because I need to be at my shop by 11. And I got to work with this guy at 4.30 or 5. So he just mitts twice a day. You got 7 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But through the day, he's at the pizzeria. That's his baby. His father-in-law gave that to him. He's passionate about it. He loves it. That his whole family is in it. He, you go there and you see the family bond. He treats all his employees like family. That's his dream. Because you got to respect that. Because he doesn't miss work because of this. Even with my fights, whatever, he'd come out Thursday. Like, I got to be at the pizzeria all week, but I'll be there Thursday night or Friday morning. Sometimes he show up Saturday fight day. I got a uh, catering job. I can't make it, bro, but I'm going to video chat you and tell you what we need to work on. Videotape this workout with such and such, and I'll tell you what we need to tighten up, and I'll be there Saturday morning or Friday night, and we'll work as much as we can before the fight. It's like a character in a movie. Exactly. And the fact that he's that <coughs> passionate about that and the MMA and I remember driving with him to one of our amateur guys' fights. And he's driving, watching the film. Like, Coach, you watching the road or you watching film? <laughs> like, I got to watch this girl's fight because uh, we had Caitlin Strukagan, one of her he's first He's watching fight. fights while he's watching driving? Watching fights while driving. Oh, he gave me a piece of paper and a pen. And he was like, take this down. Like, what? He was like, I need you to write this down for me. This is what I need. So he's driving, watching <laughs> film, and he starts calling out stuff. And I'm writing it down. He's like, all right, that's the stuff I need to remember for a fight. But he doesn't have the time most guys have to sit and do that through the right. day. He picked me up from the pizzeria, changed, and we hit the road. So he's like breaking film. And you see somebody so passionate that can do the things he does. And he got so many fighters. Like you said, with the Colts, we got the Russians, we got the Brazilians, and you got us. And everybody, the Russians, their stuff is in Russian. That means this guy's taking time to learn Russian. You go in the basement, he has like translation codes. What? Yes, that he understands Russian now. So he they write down what this He means. learned Russian? He learns Russian just to help these guys with stuff. Jesus. You hear Christ. him like you hear me spawn, he's like, how that show? What some how that show? What the hell? <laughs> What's that? He's like, oh, that means very good. Like, what the wow. heck? What are you <laughs> the Brazilians? How's Marlon he learning Essen? that? Was he using like Rosetta Stone? I think or something? he just have they like I said, they write it down what this means, like basic uh-huh. stuff, and they write down how you say it in Russian. Oh, wow. Well, that's how Mark is. A, he's a mad scientist. Yeah. And he got so many things going on. He can't remember the direction he's going in. Like, he'll be driving. <laughs> he's like, oh, which way am I going? Like, what? <laughs> but when it comes to Coast, he knows all 10 to 12 fighters. Every co- And everybody has a different language and different names. It's named after our family or your dog or something happened when you was a kid. Everything it revolves around something that happened. And he, every fighter has different codes. And he knows everybody's. We line up for rounds at the at the, uh, Nicotones in the cage. He's in the cage with Frankie. All right, Marlon come in. Now it's all Portuguese. Then Caitlin come in. Then it's all stuff related to her. Then he I un- come he in. He knows how to speak Portuguese? Yes. He has co- everything. Codes in Portuguese. Everything. Mark is a wizard. Like I said, when I say he's a mad scientist, you don't know any other coaches that take the time to learn the stuff that he does to make his fighters the best. He ain't worried about like, he wants to win and all that, but he want to make sure we are in sync. We in a cage, we're talking. It's a foreign language. Like, that's why um, the Glover fight, you hear uh, Dan Hardy, one of them say, like, there's no point in tuning the chorus corner because we don't know what they're saying. Everything, and like three fights later, I won't even know what he said because we didn't been through so many codes. I got to go back and think, like, what was that again? Do you but ever he, get to a point where he's yelling something out and you don't know what the code is? No. No. Because muscle memory. Because when we hit pads, it's never a one-two across. Like, what would he say? Kick. <coughs> if it's not one-two, like, what would it be? If it's something in Portuguese, like... Uh, like for you. One would be like, I'm trying to think of Like give old, me an old one. So I'm trying to think. Uh, sink. Sink. 
that's I can't remember what language it was, but I think that was a hook or whatever. A like sink? I said, not a sink, but that was how you say it in their language. Oh, oh, but you know what I mean? about for you? Like we had weird. Like he would so sometimes he would give you like codes most, in different yeah. languages. If I went through everything in English. So, right. <laughs> now we got to switch it up. <laughs> he was We're working on Russian Portugal. now. That wow. was the last time I was working the Russian stuff. So it's kind of like he was giving you Russian codes. Uh, I was like, I'm learning too. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, Fetty Hadacho. I know that means very good now. And certain things he say to them, and you figure it out. That's so crazy. So what? What is his logic behind that? He doesn't want anybody learning the codes. Just so keep you on your toes. Keep you on your toes. Keep you all. You're never getting comfortable with one thing. Cause you get into a, a habit. Well, one habit for the habit, you kind of get comfortable. Like, ah, I know with the eyes closed. Right. But you always got to learn something new. It keeps you hungry. Like my friend, he used to make me come over. I used to do mitts on Friday night. And then we would go to the movies. But we do mitts from 4 to 5.30 when I first was learning. And he would make me sit at the table. He shower. I shower, whatever. He goes shower. I had to study my codes. And when he come down, he'd be watching TV, whatever. He'd be in the kitchen. He'd take the paper from me. He'd say something out, and I had to tell him what it meant, like one, two, mm. one, two, left kick, whatever. So he would say whatever the code was, and I had to know it. And if I mess it up, he'd bring a notepad back, like, keep studying. Wow. Yeah, it was like, like he'd take you in like that. And he took me in like a son. I'm 12 hours from home. He could have dogged me out. I could have just been there. What is this, but, Jamie? This is a corner transcript from Eddie's fight. Okay, look at this. Some it says, yeah, 73 on the knee, 73 on the knee, 73 on the knee. You're too much in the front. You're too much. Yeah. He switches it up down here. Chain. Stiff. Chain, chain, chain. Hands up, chin down. Well, it could be chain takedowns together. It could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah. No. No, because chain, chain, mm. chain, chin down. That ain't take that. He told him something for standing. Mm-hmm. That's a standing code. Like, you can never know. What the fuck is 73? Keep saying 73. What does that mean? I couldn't. 73. Just, that could be anything for Eddie. Because Eddie don't. Yeah. Let's see. Some people. 226. Are, 22673. <coughs> like I said, how weird. He's, it's so he's got numbers two. for him. I mean, we yeah. all got numbers. Yeah. We all have numbers. But if you're doing a code, when it's a combo, he makes it mm. a code. If it's a single thing, he'll say, but it's not your number, normal one, two. Or it might be sync. Or if it's, uh, what's another? You see, he gave me Croatian once. Croatian? <laughs> yeah. And that took me forever. Like, I don't know this. <laughs> it's just like Russian. It's taken now. But it's like you don't know it, but so you learn it. Let, let me ask you this. So say if you give us a fight scheduled now. So someone, the UFC calls you up and they say, hey, Corey, we got another one for you. It's in eight weeks with this guy. So that's when you'll start learning the newest codes? No, we work codes right away. Off the last fight, he said we, need, we sit down and we watch the fight and we hear what we call. So and we see how we reacted to it. After that fight, then you go to a new code. We work the new stuff. Like right away. As soon as you start, start training again, new code. Already changed it up. So wow. when it's time to get in the camp, that's the thing. It's like people that don't stay in the gym after a fight. Mm-hmm. When they first get in camp, they spend the first half of camp getting in shape. Right. Same thing. So if we don't have the codes, then we have to first spend the first four or five weeks just trying to understand each other. I'm not really hitting right. pass. Right. Kind of messing up. He'll say something. I'll throw a cross when he meant a hook. Mm-hmm. Or I'll throw a kick. He'll like, what are you doing? That was a jab. Like, I don't know. Like, So right. we spend that first time just shadow boxing, calling, figuring it out, figuring mm-hmm. it out for a few weeks. We watch him film together, and we go back. Like, you see how you did it when you did it this one? When it was this language? That's what this is in that language. So it's just like study hall in college. You figuring wow. it out. And he has codes for football, footwork as well? Everything. Everything. Every you would never hear him. You would never hear him say shot. You would never hear him say jab. You would never hear him say head movement. And so it's all in different languages. And where did he learn all this from? Is this his own system that he came up with? I never asked. 
I never ask. That's I don't ask you. questions. I just do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's smart. If you talk to Brendan Schaub, Schaub, Schaub was blown away by it. He's like, I never seen anything like it. Rashad Evans said the same thing. I was thing. gonna say Rashad came down when he fought Sam Alvey. I remember that camp, and we linked up and trained after. He's like, bro. He said, I don't even know if I've been, if I even did anything. I won the world championship. But Mark <laughs> make it feel like I'm a rookie. Like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. What are you talking about? He said he was saying codes, and I was like doing everything wrong. And in my mind, it's kind of like you start doubting yourself because yeah. you can't get it right. But by the end of it, you do it so much. Like he says, tandem dance. Well, there's something about guys who take things to a totally new level, and that's what he seems to do mm-hmm. You know, with his coaching. He loves it. You could tell. It. You could tell. You could tell the way he treats fighters, the way he, the way he corners fighters, and you know, man, you guys got a fucking incredible camp right now. I mean, hey, everybody say we got a team, we got a family. Mm. Fourth of July, we you know where everyone's going to be on Fourth of July. Mark's house. Everybody's invited. If you've been there and trained with us, you get an invite. Hey, bro. If you had that weekend, the week before, next week, 4th of July, we're doing a big party at my house. Come on, bro. Oh, I got to go back to such and such. Well, if you can make it back, bro, open invite. You're more than welcome. Come hang out. We'd love to have you there. You know, I remember when I was in Wisconsin, like, we hung out with Anthony Pettis and Duke Rubis and all those UFC guys that are in the gym. But I don't ever remember seeing them outside. Like, we say in the firehouse, but I never seen them outside the gym. It's not that way in our house. Like, I was talking to Frankie last week and we was all eating or something. Oh, no, it was finished training, stretching. He said something about a party. I'm like, I still ain't never been invited to see a New Year's party. Like, bro, it's always open invite. Everybody's invited to my house. You just never came. I'm like, oh, he's like, you know where I live. Your wife over my house all the time. You just never came. It's always mm. an open invite. Like, oh, like we know where each other live. You know, I had my wedding. Invite everybody over. Everybody show up. So, how did he get in touch with the Russians? Like, how does Zabit get over there? I think with Ali. Ah, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, most of our guys come from Ali. I think everybody mm-hmm. on our team is managed by Ali now, except for uh. Blonde fighter, but like I said, except for who? Caitlin Chukagan, blonde oh, okay. fighter. You call her blonde fighter. That's her name. Yeah, that's her name. Blonde fighter, yeah. or KC Killer KC. Yeah. I call her because she's ruthless. She is. Ruthless. You see a little pretty girl, and I've seen her like knock guys out really? multiple times in the gym. Really, multiple times. <laughs> yeah. I'm so. very interested in Marlon. Marlon Marais versus Henry. So the birthday boy. Why Happy birthday, birthday, Marlon. It's today's birthday. Today's birthday. Happy birthday, Marlon. Even though it's on feet tonight. He was one of those guys when he was fighting for World Series of Fighting, I was very interested in him coming over to the UFC. And I was like, this guy's got legit skills. Like mm-hmm. he's something special. And he he was smashing people. But he wasn't it wasn't he wasn't crushing cans. He was beating real good guys and the way he was moving and the things he was doing, I was like, This guy's world class. Yeah, I took Jamal on the <coughs> show. He was one that helped me understand the way the pro with the manager and the payments. and mm-hmm. I, I had none of this. I knew nothing. Like I said, I was in the gym he with a bunch of guys. Do, uh, he taught me how to stuff work. We sit in the sauna. And he was telling me about Ali. He's like, oh, bro, Ali's a good guy. Because I wasn't, I didn't mm-hmm. know this guy. And he's right. like, oh, I'll help you out, this and this. And I asked him, like, what do you think about Ali? He's like, oh, he's my man. He's great, brother. This is this. You know, the way it works is you get your purse and you break a certain percentage off to these people. Mm-hmm. You take the percentage. And then we got this camp. This He was breaking me down how their camp worked before I was coming out there. So I had an understanding. Like how to get paid? Like you, you they gonna offer you this if you get to UFC. Your first start off ten and ten, or this organization is this and this. And he was telling me like you just can't let people take advantage of you. Things I didn't know, right? You know, because Marlon was all, just a super friendly. He's a nice guy, mm-hmm. family guy. Like now, I, if I went home right now, I'm sure him and his wife might be over there with my wife and the baby, just hanging out with the puppy. They just mm-hmm. we just a tight knit family like that. He just 
He That's awesome. Like, bro, what's going on with you in a fight? Like, I heard this. I heard that. I saw this. I saw that. Don't let people get to you. This, is and this. Don't let them talk you into doing this. Don't let somebody get to you where you react like this. Keep your head, brother. Like, you're good. You're, you're going to be the champ. But I see you train. I know what you do. I know what you're capable of. You're you're good. You're translating so well from where you were to where you are now. Mm-hmm. So, happens, like I said, that he's one of my – him and Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar are my two mentors in the fight game. You know, Couldn't get two better if, mentors. If I need a question from any guy, I'll message them. And then you got Eddie Alvarez as well. I don't see Eddie as much. <coughs> I see them. Eddie comes up like three, four times a week, but I see Frankie and Marlon every day. How does Eddie you know? like being over at 1FC? I, mean, I think they treat I never asked them about it. You know, I'm not the type to ask questions. I don't like being in other people's business. So I don't ask, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? He told me when he came back uh, from his first trip, I was like, bro, it's crazy. They treat me like king. Like, what do you mean? He was like, uh, me and Jamie flew out there. I was like, yeah, that plane y'all was on look nice. Like, yeah, bro, 32000 or something for a ticket. And I was like, what? Damn, that's crazy. Like, that's each. <laughs> it was like, $32,000. Something like that. It was like some Asian airline, first class. And he was like, and they gave us like steaks and all. It was amazing, bro. It was great. Like, it was good. And that's all I ever heard. All I hear is good things. Yeah. All I hear is good things about the way they treat the fighters, the mentality that Shatri has, and the way he runs the organization. Very, very impressed. Yeah. Like I said, it's up and coming. I'm glad it's doing well. When it first started, I used to yeah. say, oh, it's not going to be around. They're not going to have backers. They throwing too much money right <laughs> in the get go and the way. But now here we are. Huge what is success. It? Five, six years later when they started. Huge success. It's doing as big as the UFC or bigger worldwide. Yeah. I mean, they're gigantic over And people in Asia. making money on mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I know he was telling one of our teammates that was in the PFL tournament at 85. They're not doing 85 this year. He's like, what am I to do now? And I heard Eddie say, I mean, I can have my guy talk to you. We can try to get you in the one. And I heard him saying, like, bro, he told me I can make some good money over there. I'm trying to do that. But hey, got to worry about you and your family, bro. Do what's best for you and yours. So. Well, I mean, worldwide, I think they're on a collision course with the UFC in terms of like notoriety and popularity. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in Asia, it's already bigger. You know, it's it's something, something special. Yeah. And you know, you see with the guy that that Natsuyukin guy that uh, Eddie fought, they have world class fighters mm-hmm. over there. And those are that's a world. I mean, you knock out Eddie Alvarez, you're a world class fighter. And in the first round, yeah, yeah, very impressive. And they, even the guy that Mighty Mouse fought, he gave him trouble. The guy's good. You know, they got good fighters over there, real world-class fighters. There's so many good fighters now, mm-hmm. you know. And then also they have, you know, Yadsen Klai's fighting over there, Nikki Holdskin. They got world-class kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters fighting in. And then they even, they're even doing grappling matches. Yeah. I mean, I love what they're That's doing. That's cool they mix it all together. It. Like Bellator it. did the kickboxing MMA. Mm-hmm. But now, and they had two different rings for it, but yeah. one do it all. And yeah, one all on one night, it's yeah. like MMA, and now it's a kickbox. Now they got grappling. It's yeah. going back. It's, it's cool. Keep you on your toes. The only thing I don't like is always early as fucking the morning. Right, like two, three o'clock. I set an alarm to get up to see it. I'm yeah. half asleep. Well, <laughs> that's you got to take the good with the yeah, bad. When exactly. They're in Singapore or wherever they are in different countries, whatever they where they hold their events. I just think it's so important for fighters to have options to have so mm-hmm. many different places to have Bellator. And you know now that like Rory McDonald went over the Bellator and Gegard Mousasi and you know everybody world class. Guys, in their, yeah, in their Ryan Bader is a heavyweight, it's a beast, crazy. You see him knock out Fedor in yeah. the first round, you're like, what the fuck? Amazing, yeah, he's doing his thing. I'm happy for Phil him. Davis. I'm just happy to see that fighters have options, yeah, There's, not just the one UFC. Yes, you yeah, know. it's good for the UFC, it's good for everybody. In and my for, mind, people say that, yeah. oh, did you ever think about going Bellator one? In my mind, it's great fighters everywhere, mm-hmm. but right now, I still think the number one 
and all of is in the UFC. Yeah, number one martial art is in the UFC, and right now that's my goal. Yeah, the money, all that's all great, but I'm here to be the best. I can go to one and make a killing. I can go to Bellator and get my sponsors back, but I'm in no rush to leave here because I want to be the best. Yeah, like after I prove that. If there's nothing else, and then it's like, okay, now I'm ready for the money. Then that's maybe an option, but there's no contest the in terms of prestige. There's no contest. No. If you get the UFC title, you're the best. That's it. There's no question. Like, oh, what no. about the Bellator? This is this because the Bellator champ. Well, especially lost to John Jones already, yeah, and especially and all that. in your division. You know, in your division, you have one of the best guys of all time, if not the best guy of all time, mm-hmm. as a champion. So when you see a guy like John at the top of the heap, is that is that motivating to you to just ramp up it even harder because you realize that the guy who's a champion in your division is not just the best light heavyweight of all time, maybe the best martial artist of all time? It ramps up so much. Like I, I'm riding the bike in my basement. <clears throat> I got the air down bike and stationary bike, and I got the projector. And I'm down there. Only thing I want is fight pass. You know, I'm watching fight pass. I'm usually watching John Jones. You know, to see him dominate other guys, and I, you just hear that bike. You can hear the the pedals start picking up. He gets into like mm. a brawl, or something crazy. And like I don't even be looking down at the clock, but I can just hear <laughs> the air, the fan picking up. Right. And I don't even realize it till like it goes to break, and I slow it down. And my heart rate's like, <laughs> and I'm just watching. I'm just like that's. Yeah. Like if I want to get there, I gotta I gotta beat him to be the best. Right. So I need to work hard. What's your sure What's does. your take on him? You can't take away what he does in the sport. What is his outside, his personal life? That's all. He say, she say. I had my words after the the California stuff. We went to two twenty six or whatever the fight it was in Vegas and got moved here because of his lifestyle, right. the drug tests, and all that extra stuff. However you want to code it up, it's past. You know, I'm done with it. But I, I had my words there. The fact he kept using God and Jesus and this, this, and this. And I'm a God-fearing guy who read my Bible every morning. And I don't like the fact that you can, that he would do that. I'm like, I'm not on it now. But at the time, my words was the fact that he did that. And then at the same time, I went on interviewing, so I want to thank God. And it's, it's, that kind of rubbed me wrong. And then we flew on the plane together. And like I said, I saw the way he was acting. When he came on the plane, like, we're not doing this because of him. Like, all that at the time bothered me. And that was a pent-up energy. And that was something else going into that fight. That was something on my shoulders because I had posted something. Because when uh, UFC called me, right before I got on the flight, they was like, oh, don't come. I'm on my way to Vegas now. I got my wife. She's eight months pregnant. Like, she's 30 weeks, whatever. She can't travel after this. She's struggling. We haul in bags. And y'all call me now and say, don't come. This and this. Go back home. We're going to fly you out again. Like, I'm not doing this again. And then when they get to the, well, we can get you here, but we get you to Cali, but we can't take your wife. Like, what? Like, well, you we pay your ticket and the coach ticket. Like, no, fuck that. All because John Jones, this, that, that's what got me mad. The, so the they were case, trying to save money pretty by much. not flying people? Because we was, we was literally walking down the, the runway to the plane when they called me. Jesus Christ. And like, turn around. But then when we got there, like, okay, you come here, but we can get you to Cali, but we couldn't get your, your wife to Cali. Like, my wife is 30 weeks pregnant. She's here with me. She's coming. Like, well, we, we don't know what to do because you bought her ticket. Isn't it? Like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Get her another ticket. Like, I pay for my family. What about the people that's on the way right now? Like, oh, they got to find their own way. And that made fight me wrong. Week. Fight week. Fight The week of the fight. The thing of the things that you have to think about. To you be know? fucking with that. That's the last thing I need to worry about. God damn. And then I get there. And they tell me, when you get, make sure you got your workout. If you don't have your workout schedule, the PI set already. As soon as you get there, go do it. I did mine like a month and a half ahead of time. I'm all I'm like I said, I'm punctual. Like I like having stuff done. Yeah. I'm getting ready to go to the PI. I'm packing my bags and I get a call. Oh, you can't come to the PI. Why? John just came in and said he wanna work out, so we closing the gym down and you're not allowed. Y'all called me two months ago and told me to set my schedule to come ahead of time. I'm literally getting ready to walk to my Uber that's outside and you say I can't come now? Like I'm sorry, nothing we can do is John. 
Why can't you work out at the same place where John's working no out? Clue. You're not fighting. It's the John. same thing with Connor, sir. And I'm there in the summer and Connor show up, they're coming to everybody, you gotta leave. Like what? what? Connor just rolled up. Yeah. Really? You walk out and Connor just have his car parked leave? up on the sidewalk. Come on. Yeah, they have security guards block the stairs off and everything. Get the You're not fuck allowed out to go of up here. I'm Ew. telling you. Yes. Ew. Ew, exactly. That's you walk gross. out and like you heard somebody That's say That's a big place. Yeah. But you can go to the cardio room and the weights, but you can't use the upstairs where the cage and the bag and stuff is. You can't use the like, if he's in the cage. They have security you can't use the, bags. the stairs, so you can't go up what there. What the fuck is that about? That's just the people. I don't it's know. Not my people. <laughs> I'm <laughs> but, an independent contractor, <laughs> sir. <laughs> but yeah, like that stuff. It kind of rubbed me wrong, and that's when it was kind of like, if I was a champ, I wouldn't want that. No. Yeah, you know I mean, no. I want people to be able to see what I'm doing. Maybe they it's can watch security. me and see. I don't know. I mean, but. you know, you got to think about how much death threats that guy must get, yeah. how much shit he must take. You know, he's as popular as he is, as famous as he is. Maybe he just has overzealous security. Maybe. And they just want to tighten it down so they don't want anybody up there. Yeah, they kept, I was so, that was the first time I've ever cursed at a UFC employee. Yeah. Like, my wife came out of I was cursed, like, going off. Like, y'all want me to change my whole workout schedule, fight week. I'm cutting weight, too, you know? Like, it's not just John. Yeah. Like, we in the same division. I don't give a fuck about nothing. I don't care what he's doing. I need to go up there and get a workout. My coaches meet me there from the airport, but we can't do nothing about it, Corey. And the guy kept hanging up because I was going off. That is ridiculous. And they called me back. And I was like, yo. And then people hit me up like, I'm glad you're actually voicing yourself. I'm hearing around the PI right now. Everybody talking about how you're mad. And somebody texts me like, I'm glad you're actually speaking out because everybody else is kind of like, okay. Like, No. Like, okay. and if it wasn't for my wife being there, I probably wouldn't took it the same. But I see the way she's struggling to carry this belly around. And mm-hmm. She's hurting. Yeah, you know, of course. Eight months. Yeah. It's she like could this, give birth at any moment. Anytime. Yeah. So the stress, I'm sure, is like all that. My baby's Even health. worse. So sure. I'm really. Yeah. It was ramping me up. And my wife came like, Corey, just stop. Calm down. It'll be okay. This isn't this. Like, it ain't the fact of being okay. It's the fact that they let one person dictate it all. Yeah. Like, we're all equal. Right yeah. now, they're treating us like a number. He's John Jones, but we're number 4,722. Right. You know what I mean? I don't like that. No. He's John. I'm Corey. Like, I was telling Will on the way here. The reason I love Rose Diamond Eunice because I've never seen that from her. She's a champ, but you would see her, and she would act just like Rose before when she was an Invictus. Yeah. She doesn't change. I don't want no special treatment from her or from anybody if I was a champ. Treat right. me the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, some people are different. Like I said, I don't know if it's John or his camp that was doing that or UFC's doing or right. security or what. But it rubbed me wrong that we aren't equal anymore. No, that's understandable. But that's also got to give you some motivation, right? Exactly. Like yeah. I told him in the area of the one, I was sitting on the plane and I was literally directly behind John Jones. And I see his head bobbing. And I was just looking. I looked at my wife and she's like struggling, like falling asleep, but struggling to fall asleep. And I looked at the top of his head, the back of his head, and I was just like, it's time for a change of the torch. Like my brother always said, like, you're good. And you know you can beat everybody. But I feel like when it comes to those top guys like John Jones and Gus, you doubt yourself just a little bit. You ain't sure that you can get them yet. Mm. You know you're good, but you feel like this is before, like before the Lear fight. You get there and you you feel like you don't think you're ready for that. But I'm telling you, I watched you, bro. I know what you made up. You can do it. And when I sat there and I saw him bobbing and all the frustration going through my mind, 6 o'clock in the morning, we had to get up and catch a plane because this guy, this is this, this, they show up on time. He still was late to that. And it was just like, I, if I'm the champ, I don't want this. You know what I mean? I don't want no special treatment. If you tell me, Sign up ahead of time and keep your schedule. I expect that. If we get down the scale, first come, first serve. First come, first serve. If I show up late, put me in the order I am. Mm-hmm. Don't put me up front because I'm the champ. Because I was the first or second person there. I'm on my way to the scale, and John was walking down the stairs fully dressed. We went back to the commission room, and I remember people in the blue shirt came and said, hold up, hold up. And all of a sudden, John come in. 
He could do all his paperwork. He went on a scale and he was out. He was the last person down. How's it he's first? Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. But the fact, like, I don't like that. Well, it's because he's headlining the card, right? Yeah. They, oh, so they're stuff. giving that's him special treatment. Everything. That's what they kept saying. It's yeah. John Jones. Every time I got the phone, well, it's John Jones. And they hang up. Like, I don't like that. It's still, he's still a person. Well, he's it's the greatest there is, but he's still you a person. To be Corey Anderson. 100%. It's Corey Anderson. And change the tide. Yeah. Like, it's Corey Anderson. It's Corey Anderson, but yeah. treat me normal. Don't yeah. give me no special well, treatment. Beautiful that you have that attitude. What when you look at John, you look at John's skills. Like, what do you think you need to do, in, if anything different, in your life or in your training, or where do you need to get to where you think you could beat him? Just keep getting better. As like I the Leo Latife fight must have been a, a big boost for one hundred percent. Every fight last, year, every fight, even the ones I lost, has all been a boost. Because you go back and see, tell me a fight that I've been getting beat up, Joe. Right. I've never been a fight where somebody, oh, Corey, you're too small. You're not good. There's never been one fight in my career where somebody straight manhandled me and pushed me around. You know what I mean? They talk about this, this, and this. Uh, he's the greatest this, he's the greatest that. I was watching a UFC main event last night in the hotel. They had the Glover Rashad fight, and they're mm-hmm. talking this, this, and this, and this, and up. And Glover's this, Glover that, Glover this, Glover's that. And I think, well, I beat that guy. You know, you're talking talking about, I hope they don't give a little TV or Johnny Walker a little TV. He's super good, this, this, and this. But at the same time, I was thinking, and you said it, but what about Corey? And I was like, there we go. Finally, somebody like all these guys that talk. They talk about how good these guys. Not and beat them all. Yeah. Like I'm that guy coming underneath the radar, and they don't expect me to do nothing because I lost to Gian Vellante, my third or fourth fight in the UFC, two years of my career. You know what I mean, uh, Jimmy Manuel. Jimmy Manuel. I told Will on the way here too. Jimmy Manuel was the only fight I would say a guy beat me. He didn't manhandle me, but in my head from his highlights, and it's all like you said on Instagram. Reading comments, mm-hmm. and I let what people were saying and reading and seeing get in my head to think: if this guy touches me, he's gonna put me out. And when you go into a fight thinking that, I literally got touched, and my mind was already set: like if I get hit, I'm going out. And like I think subconsciously, like I had myself so doubted that when he hit me, my mind just like in panic, kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when I hit the mat, like I wasn't out to brown. Remember, I was out. But I remember seeing his feet walk away. And I remember when I came to clearly. And I thought to myself, like, it happened. Exactly what I put in my mind. If I got hit, it happened. And after that, that was it. It was like, I can take I can take it to anybody. And I think OSP was more dangerous than Jimmy because he can kick. He was explosive. And this is the end punch. And I did everything right and just slipped into the punch the wrong way. But yeah. I was manhandling him for three rounds. I mean, it's simple mistakes because I didn't have the discipline yet. In three years of my career, I hadn't learned a discipline and focus that it's a 15-minute fight. Right. I can win 12 minutes of it all, but one mistake and it's all gone. Well, the, the experience of making those mistakes and realizing what they are and and then when those moments come up again and you deviate from the game plan and you do go to your right and you do move the wrong direction, you know, you'll, you'll catch yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll realize. It's the experience of competition for a fighter is there's nothing that substitutes it you can have great talent you can have a great mindset but the experience of competition is like nothing else and one thing that i've seen from you is that every time you have had losses you've gone back to work and come back better like you made significant jumps in between each fight that's why like when we were talking about fighters and i said well what about Corey anderson because people do leave you out of the discussion but they don't leave you out of discussion because you're not good they, for whatever reason, leave you out of discussion because maybe because you're a polite, soft-spoken guy and you, you haven't been knocking people out. Like, that's the, 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 the knock on you if there is a mm-hmm. knock. But you're winning. Winning is – with fighting, the key is winning. It's yeah. not knocking people out or submitting people. The key is winning. 
can you win? Can you beat world-class guys? You've shown you can beat world-class guys, and the fact that you've done this with just seven years total training is pretty fucking incredible. Pretty amazing, man. Yeah, I'm glad you voiced that on the air. <laughs> I can say it all day, and on, nobody say don't it. Don't say it. Don't. You shouldn't even say <laughs> it at all. Let me say it for off, you. Exactly. I gotta get off of social yeah. media and realize that. You get the fuck off social media. <laughs> post and run. Just post That's and run. Because it. it's like we were saying before. It's just not a healthy way to consume things. It's not there's the random because pe- too, it's too many people out there that are bored or maybe they're not healthy mentally and they're just they would like to fuck with your head and they see a guy like you especially a guy who's an elite athlete fighting in the UFC there's so much jealousy and pettiness and sports fans are weird like that they'll call some guy who's making 20 million dollars a year a fucking loser <laughs> like it's crazy but you sit at home on food stamps <laughs> watching it's crazy <laughs> but their words although they mean nothing if you see them in print and it's about you, it can get you to go, hey, hmm, and that might fuck with you while you're running. Fuck that guy. You know, and there, there might be 30 of those guys. And if you, you go down a spiral, if you, you have a weak mind and you don't understand how to compartmentalize and how to, how to look at things objectively, if you don't see what that is and you start, if I saw him, I'd say this, or come say that shit to my face, and you start getting involved in that stuff. That's just a giant waste of resources, a giant waste of energy. It doesn't do you any good at all, especially when look at what you're surrounded with man you're telling me it's all family elite fighters some of the best guys in the world you have one of the best coaches on the planet earth many of the ricardo almeida one of the best jujitsu coaches on the planet earth you're with some elite world-class fighters you're all tight together that should be all of your mental diet all of your communication camaraderie all your interaction with people it should be that because you got top of the food chain like why fuck with all these scavengers online and cannibals and fucking zombies and that's what you're dealing with when you get into those comment sections you don't know who these people are you know i mean it could be true anybody story. true story just for a fighter you, the mentality and this is another thing that i wanted to ask you about your mentality is so fucking important do you use a mental coach and have you ever been hypnotized have you ever worked with a mental coach at all only thing i did different this year was brain tap a brain my own, Yeah, my uh, physical therapist thing. You put the sound on. It's kind of it's like kind of like hypnosis. And they got like flashing lights. You can go take a nap, whatever. And it's kind of like listening. Like they say, you listen to Rosetta Stone or something before you go to bed. And when you wake up, it's in your mind because you heard it. It's the same thing. So I take a nap and I put it. It's always positive thoughts. It's like take a deep breath, this and this. And it slowly, it's just you hear this talking. He's speaking and it slowly stops. But you see the light still going off. But it's there. If you push it in forward, you can hear him like very lightly talking in the background. And I take like a nap, like thirty minutes. So what are the wake up. what are the lights? How does it work? Uh, I think it's like Jamie's got it here. Jamie's got it. He's gonna pull one up. Yeah, I think it's like pulling a brain tap headset. Yeah, there you go. And I think wow. the lights and stuff just keep your focus so your body isn't completely sleep or something. Let me see this. It says uses unique frequencies of light and sound for brainwave entrainment. In just twenty two minutes of deep relaxation, your brain will be guided to relax. Proven scientific techniques allow your brain to rest and, re- and the, the, allows your brain the rest and recovery that it needs by reaching various states of consciousness. Reboot, clean the slate of unimportant and of the unimportant, and reinforce the most valuable information for better memory and brain power. And revitalize. Our sessions are designed to build resilient, build a resilient mind and fit body for life. Huh. And with that, and float tank. That was another thing I added, like relaxing. Because one thing uh, I had a problem with, I used to, 
you always gonna have dreams. You know, if I have a bad sparring or whatever, I'm thinking negative. So when I go to bed, I have a negative dream. I have a dream I got take down ten times. Or I had a dream I got hit hard in practice. I got a dream I got hit hard and I get put out. And I used to feel like in going into fights, if I had one of them dreams, like I remember this before the Gian Vellante fight, it was after I fought Justin Jones. I went home. I mean, the first night I went to sleep, I woke up and had a dream. I fought Gian Vellante next, and I lost the uh, split decision. And in my mind, I remember going to that fight, and that stayed vivid in my head that I lose this guy's split decision. Somehow, my dream knew I was fighting Gian Vellante next, and I lost split decision. And I think that's why in the third round, even though everybody was saying, like you were saying, the leg kicks and everything, and when it came out, they showed the scorecard. It was like, I guess I was winning on the scorecards, but in my mind, I thought I was getting defeated. And I had to go harder and go harder, and I was getting beat up because in my dream, it set oh. vivid in my mind. So I got greedy, and coaches just kept saying, like, just move. Get out of there. Move. And I was just doing the most, trying to hit him as much as I could. And you kept saying it. And I watched the video. You said the best offense is the best defense. If Corey can't get hit, Gian can't throw anything back. So that was my mind. If I get it this round 10-8, there's no way I lose. So I need to hit him as much as I can, as many times as I can. Maybe I'll put him out. And I got over his and got caught. And then when the scorecards came out and said I was winning, there was no reason for me to do all that. Right. But in my mind, going into that fight, I remember all fight week, that dream kept popping up. Never had another dream losing again, but that was from December of the year before, and it was stuck in my head. Like, for some, I couldn't let go of it. And then, I can't remember whatever, if I had another one, that it didn't show the, uh, the finish of the fight, but I woke up with a record 8-2. and two. At the time, I was 8-1, and one, or 7-1, oh no, 8-1. and one. And this was before going into the um, Tom Lawler fight. And I was nothing like, fuck, do I lose this? And I remember in Vegas, he rocked me in the beginning. And I thought for sure they just gave him a scorecard. I'm like, here we go. Here come that dream again. Here come that dream again. And they said, Corey Anderson. Now I remember going to the hotel room and somebody put a sign on it. said, nine and one now. Congratulations. And that's when it stuck in my head like, oh, sh- that dream means nothing. And that's when it, the dreams is just dreams. Yeah. I got to get in. So the, the flow tank helps you? Flow tank helps me. I get in there and relax. Like the negative thoughts. I always do it. The week, the last week, Sunday, I do massage. I go to church, massage, float tank, and there's nothing on my mind but the Bible and the gospel I heard that morning. And I go to the massage and I fall asleep, and I go into that float tank. I think about what I need to do, and the zone, mind zones out, and all I'm thinking about is that fight, victory, winning, mm. getting my hand raised, whichever way, dominate, dominate, dominate. When I wake up, that whole week I don't have any negative thoughts because that's what I visualize. That last three times of work at home was all positive thinking. And with the brain tap, like my doc, he said, let me take you to the fight with me. So I'm resting between training, put it on. He gave me his little travel iPhone, whatever, put it on. How does it make you Let's feel, the brain tap? The brain tap, yeah. you just wake up, like I said, relax. Like I'll be t- I get done with practice, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. But that little 15 or 20 minute nap, whichever one I use, when my brain come back too, it's like I feel like I just left for hours. I don't understand mind, why it does so, so much for you. I don't, I've been the type I never believe any of that stuff. Like hypnosis, I never believed it. But after you let me try, like just try it once, and I tried it, and I actually like let my body relax. I noticed the next day in training, like dang, like this jujitsu. Like I always struggled at jujitsu. I hated jujitsu, mm-hmm. but I finally when I went there. I finally realized things I was doing. I was relaxed, paying attention to what Carter was saying, watching the small details, and he was like, "Bro, you look good today." And I was thinking, like, I think maybe that brain tap actually kind of helped. And I kept doing it. it so it puts your mind in a good place to learn things. So you kind of open-minded. You relax. You wake up, really? and it's like the air feel, smells a lot fresher. You really? hear the birds. Like, it's just, like I said, like hypnosis, they say it works. And I guess. It does work. Like, that's not, it's not putting me to sleep or putting me out hypnosis, hypnotized. But the way it made me feel, like, I ain't want to say, oh, I work hypnosis-wise. I got hypnotized. But subliminal messages you don't hear it like if you listen to music and some in the background it's in there how often think, are you doing that brain tap thing? well now i haven't done i'm about to buy one of those from my uh 
his physical therapist. He got some extra ones he said he'd get rid of so I can do it more. But I usually do it when I get into camp. And in my old physical therapist place, they relocated and closed down here. So that's why I haven't done it that much. But he said, I got some. I'll, I'll sell you so some. So if you have one at home, you'd I'd use it every day? It. Not every day. I don't want to get too, too sucked crazy. into it. But yeah, at least twice a week. Twice a week? I do it when I go to therapy twice a week. What about stay on the tank? Bike. How often do you think, do that? Float tank, I do that once. Once? Just that last day before I leave. Wow. Just it's kind of like water though. I want to over water though. You drink too right. much water, it, it backfires. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to do the same thing with float tank because float tank is also great for the injuries in the body. Yeah. You know, that's how I found it at first. My shoulders real messed up going to the Pat Cummins fight and I kept getting a stinger. And I couldn't figure it out. And the, my physical therapist, she was like, you need to go try float tank. I think it'd be really good. It'll help you with your other bumps and bruises and pull off a couple ounces at the same time because all Epsom salt. Just sit there and try mm-hmm. it. I reached out to the guy in Brick, and uh, he gave me a little deal. I hook you up. You know, you advertise for me, and I let you float. Yeah, so I did it, and I liked it. Like I said, the negative thoughts going to the Pat Cummins fight, that's where I got the dream. I got take down, took down like 10 times. Yeah. Because I had a guy come on. He's like, I've trained with Pat. He's really good in wrestling. This guy was a national champ. He's really good. He might take you down a couple times, but he can't out cardio you. And my mind was like, I don't want to get taken down at all. So I started having dreams. I was getting taken down like 10, 12 times right about Pat. And that couldn't happen. <laughs> and as you see, I ended up taking him down. I didn't even want yeah. to shoot that fight. I just wanted to kill him on the feet. I ended up taking him down 12 times, and I was struck the shot. Do you think him. you were taking him down because of your dream? Like you wanted to prove your dream wrong? Like maybe uh, you had that in your head? The first time I took him down, when it was so easy, I was just like, I'm just going to keep doing this. Hit him with a couple count punches. Mm. When he gets ready to punch, take him down. Because I'm thinking, in my mind, this guy's dressed at the Olympic level. D1 All-American, Penn State, the best school out there. I'm thinking there's no way it's going to be easy to take this guy down. It had to wait till he get tired and chain wrestle. I did a, like one of my weakest blast doubles ever and just blew him off his feet and was like, that was that was kind of easy. But it's different when you got a guy that's used to taking people down, but nobody shoots on him. Right. He wasn't used to that. Right. You watch his fights, the only person that shot on him was uh, Jan Blakowicz, and that's when he was mm-hmm. tired. He finally got takedown. Yeah. Everybody else couldn't get it. So it was like, I'm just going to try it. And I went through him. I was like, oh, man, that was too easy. I told Mark in the corner. Like, when he had my leg in the corner, like, you got to defend it. You got to defend it. I could feel when, feel when we hit the cage, and my wizard was so tight, and he had the leg. I looked at Ricardo, I was like, and he asked me in the corner, why was you shaking your head? Like, he wasn't taking me down. He's not going to take me down. I can tell from the way he entered. I trained with Nick Atone, and he was another UFC vet. He's a fucking monster when it comes to wrestling. Him and Chris Wyman, two toughest dudes I've ever wrestled in the MMA game. And I knew when he entered in, he was nothing compared to those guys. I just looked at Nick or Ricardo and shook my head. And Nick knew because he was in the corner too. He knew he could tell in my confidence. I wasn't worried. He's not getting me down. And after that, it was over. So th- this brain tap thing, uh, float tank one week before the fight, the, the last week, What other? do you have any other rituals that you do that you make sure you keep your head and your body in, in check? I mean, like I said, I'm always doing physical therapy. Because, like I said, my body's so beat up. I've been competing ice since baths. third grade. Ice baths every Sunday night. After I do all that, I go home and relax. And that night before I go to bed, 20 minutes in the fill the tub up with ice and sit there. Mm-hmm. I do cryotherapy twice a week, once or twice a week, all training camp. Um, therapy twice a week. I do a massage every Sunday. You know, I got a lady that used to train at our gym. Amazing. Right you in ever fuck with over. yoga? Yeah, I do that too. Every once in a while, I like closer to get that flexibility. Hot yoga helped me get some pounds off a little easier so I can mm-hmm. rehydrate more before sparring. I do that Friday night with Saturday sparring, so I'm more limber to throw kicks and stuff in my final spar throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got different different places and companies I reach out to, and they help me, I help them. That's know? awesome. So where are you at right now? Did, have they? Uh, first of all, what is going on with that knuckle? Holy shit. That's I just Glover's forehead. I hit him with Whoa. an uppercut. And, uh, if you go, you Show see everybody. The highlight. Put, put your hand up. Which way so they can see this one right, right in front of you. Look at that knuckle, folks. 
That's yeah, an evil the knuckle. With an uppercut on uh, Glover in the third round. And I remember when Mark was calling a combo. He said, I can't remember the combo he said. And I hit him. I hit him with the right hand. I was like, ah. And I brought him. And I looked down with my hand up. And his finger was like stuck out like that. I remember shaking my head to Mark like, nope, we wrestling. <laughs> and after wow. he tried to shake my hand like, ah, slap my hand in his hand. His hand is messed up. Like, I think I dislocated my finger. He went back, oh, just this, okay, you, we probably back. And they couldn't get it. And we kept trying to like, just keep them taped together and keep it straight. They get better and never did. And I remember the whole, my wife was like, don't move it. Don't move it. You got to quit moving. I was doing this, like doing exercises mentally. Like it might hurt now if I get used to it and never hurt again. Did you ever go to a doctor? Yeah, I went and I ruptured the tendon. And the tendon from here rolled all the way up. And that's what that is. It rolled up. And it was already fat because I broke the this finger in college. Up. Yeah. Oh. So all this, that's why it's like curved. Like when it go down. So was there anything they could do for it? They, can, they said we can straighten out and put a pin to attach it, but it would yeah. take, I wouldn't be able to bend my hand like this. For how long? But it, that's how it, it'd be kind of like it wouldn't bend all the way anymore if I did that. That's what they said. Like, if you do that, you won't be able to fight. You know, it's kind of hard to what? fight like that. Because I guess the pin is kind of long, so it makes that joint not bend all the way. But uh, when I went to the doctor, they did that. They was like, hold on. They did the x-ray and the MRI. I was like, that makes no sense. Like, what? Like, this tendon is how you move this finger. So how hmm. the hell are you moving your finger with no tendon? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. When it was taped together, I just kept doing it in Germany. While I was on my vacation with my wife, I just kept doing it. Exercise. And she's like, well, I guess it's a good thing you did that because if you wouldn't, it would have hardened up in here and this joint would have been immobilized. I wouldn't be able to use it. But the fact that I kept doing it while it was fresh, I'm still able wow. to move it. That is so. one, that's the craziest looking finger I've ever seen in my life. That's like a triple finger. <laughs> that's nuts, man. That is a that's a wild looking joint. Yeah. And does that fuck with your grappling or anything? Nothing. It's hard as a rock now. It doesn't bother me at all. Wow, it's crazy looking, man. I, mean, I think it's a weapon now. You know, <laughs> the glove come right here. If I throw a hook with my right hand, right in your eye socket. Right, it's all calcified, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, where are you at right now in terms of like, what, when does the UFC usually come to you with uh, an idea of who you're going to fight next? I mean, Obviously, you beat Latife. He was top five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're. I you're, beat three and five. What are they? At? What do they got you ranked now? Eighth or ninth? How's that work? You tell how me. The fuck are you not five? Not, you want to ask him how's how does Corey Anderson not in the top five? Again, when I beat the number three and the five. When I beat three, they put me at six. I don't. Understand I beat five. It. They put me at six. Like I beat Glover and I went to six. By the time I fought, I was 10th. That night in Cali, I was ranked 10th again. How the hell does that happen? Uh -huh. Then I beat Alir, who was 6th, and I went, or 5th, or 4th one. He was and I went there. to 6th. Yeah. And then a week later, I was at 7th. The next week, he came out, I was at 8th. Like, what the? <laughs> like, this, I'm, this makes no sense. And that's Especially why, like, if I'm there's done, no fights, like, if I'm fights haven't happened, it, yeah, I don't, don't even care. Well, you're clearly top 10. You know, whatever number that is, I mean, it's a, you got a murderer's row of people in that division. Mm -hmm. You know, so they. When when do you think they'll come to you with uh, an offer for another Well, they fight? wanted me to fight Gus. At the time, like I said, after the fight on the microphone, I don't want to fight anything else until my baby's here. When mm -hmm. the baby's here and everything's checked, I don't have to be in camp right. and stress this and this. Once that's all done, we can talk. And they called me a couple weeks later about Gus because he tweeted me and I had them ask me on Ariel, and I said the same thing, like, I'm waiting until my baby's done. Mm -hmm. That was March 15th. The due date of my baby was March 12th. Like, it's too close. Not risking that, you know? Then it's like, all right, what about June 1st? And I was just saying, let me, can I finish with my baby and stuff? I'm not really even training. I'm at home with my wife. I'm doing a little bit here and there, but I'm worried about her now. She's been with me, ride or die this whole time. Now's my time to focus on her, what she needs. She didn't want me away, so I'm here. And they kept calling, they kept calling. I just kept saying, no, no, no. And they kept asking me. I was like, all right. And Ali was like, I mean, what if we get more money? If they give me, my wife's like, if we can get more, we'll take it. Okay. If they give you more, I'll let you go. 
Oh, yeah, we can start camp or whatever. I was like, all right, they give me more. We'll do it. They said, oh, no, we're not doing it. I was like, all right, well, then wait. Let me finish this. Literally, my baby came out, and I felt that. I asked the doctor, everything fine? I did the test. Everything came back good. Like, there's no problems. We don't have to go to doctors, nothing. She's like, you're fine. You got a healthy baby boy. Congratulations. Literally, picked my phone up, tweeted Gus. Gus, you still want to go June 1st? You want to do it? I'm your huckleberry. Let's go. London, I'll come. Yes, Corey, you know I want to fight. Let's do it. Ali called me. It's on. His manager has called me. We want to fight. Let's do it. June 1st. Same same pay. No raise, no nothing. Whatever I was getting. Let's go. Text Dana. Uh, they Literally, they called me the day before. On my way to the hospital, I get a call from Ali. They want to know if you want to fight. Bro, I'm on my way. I'll call you after. We'll figure it out. I say yes. Less than 25 hours later, they say, nah, we're giving it to Anthony Smith now. What the fuck y'all called me for yesterday? <laughs> Harassing me all this camp. Now I say yes, and you're taking it away? Like, why y'all? What, what's going on? And that that made me mad. Then they called me for Luke Rocco. Like, I'm not, no, I'm not taking a step back. Like, I want to be here for the title. If I beat Luke, what are they going to say? Because I guess if they told Ali, if I beat Glover, since he was going to fight Aaliyah, that put me in contention for title fight. They gave me a new contract and everything with all that in it. Signed it. Then I thought, oh, he need one more fight. Then I was like, all right, make him and Aaliyah fight. And Ali said no because he managed both of us. But don't you think that Luke Rockhold's a good fight for you? I mean, he's a I former mean, he's a champion. Good fight, but it wouldn't do nothing. He's for a ranking. great fighter, but it would definitely elevate you in the public side. You don't think it would help you? You don't think it would help you in your I'm rankings? Sure it would, no. no, rankings? What? No. You I, would think Galera Chief would have helped me in the rankings. Yeah, and Glover. I don't buy that because I think that like rankings, like even if it's not one, one through ten, any one of those guys could fight for the title if they get like Tiago, like Tiago Santos, mm-hmm. right? I mean. Uh, he lost to David Branch, what, a year ago? Mm-hmm. Right? At a middleweight? Same night I beat yeah. uh, Pat Cummins. Yeah. April, 20th, or April 13th or 18th, whatever And it was. now he's fighting for the title. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a quick ascension from, you know, devastating knockouts and fighting like a wild maniac like he does. I mean, he's a wild fighter to watch. Very very entertaining guy. That's all it took. Like, yeah, but who was the name? He didn't have to be the big name guy. That's the thing. He beat Jan Blackwood, who I killed on my fourth fight in the UFC. He beat Jimmy. beat Jimmy Manoa. Um, stopped him. Eric know. Anders and the other guy yeah. were both 85ers. True. He didn't, so he had two fights. It's because he had knockouts. And mm-hmm. That's the thing, like I said, I told him, Ali was like, bro, it's a good fight. He said, same thing you said. It's a good fight. Like, Ali, let's look at who I fought. I'll beat Glover, who was third. They still didn't put me in the top fight. I'll be a little TV. They say it's next to beat the champ, whatever. When I beat him, they still don't give me the credibility. It's like, oh, he's washed up now. I, was, I, I put a tweet out. I was like, I apologize to anybody that I beat because once you lose to me, it's kind of like you're a nobody. I'm like, I'm sorry for that. Tom Lawler posted the thing the other day saying, oh, these guys all fail. They get six months. I fail for the same thing. I get two years. I said, I'm sorry, Tom. It's because you lost to me. I think dead serious. <laughs> if you lose to me, <laughs> you get the short end of the stick. I'm sorry. Is this, though, the same thing as having that asshole coach when you're in college? Is it is it in the same that's way? Exact, like it's just and that's giving why you more I motivation. back to tweets and shit because in my head, things like that that I've been through, yeah. even though I should have learned, but now it doesn't matter. But in my mind, I voiced my opinion to that coach, and when I proved wrong i ran into his assistant coach later on in life and he said he's, he doesn't really like you anymore because the guy actually i fought in the ultimate fighter was his best friend kelly nuts one of his all americans he used to call him back when i was in college trying to discipline me if i like did some shit to piss him off he would have kelly come in to try to beat me up never happened like i he couldn't beat me up like that and he used to get pissed at that so the fact that he thought he had like a hold on me with this transcript and i got out and then i ended up fighting kelly on the show and he said that too in practical time he'd kill you in mma He'd kill you in MMA. Well, the opportunity came, and I beat him. And uh, somebody told me, like, yeah, he wasn't happy about that. <laughs> he didn't like the fact that you beat Kelly. Like, I'm sorry. I don't do things for him. But that, this this thing where you don't feel like you're getting the respect that you deserve, it does motivate you, though. It does 100%. give you, like, a little bit of extra juice in the gym. 
I mean, I'm a motivated guy anyway, highly motivated. The moment so, I wake up, my, open my eyes, it's, it's time to get to work. So your son's born, the Anthony Smith coming up. He had a, you know, Anthony Smith survived against John Jones, and, you know, especially early on, he looked good. You know, showed good technique, showed that he's, he's really a world-class fighter, and I think that they just think that that would be – he probably said yes when you said no, and they gave it to him, you know, mm-hmm. while you were waiting and your son was being born. So now you're just waiting for another call. Yeah, but the thing is, like, go back to that real fast. You say you say yes when you said no. I watched this interview, excuse me, with Ariel Hawani, and they said the day after he fought John Jones, they called him about Anthony Smith or about uh, Gus. Really? So that was about the same time they was calling me. So it's kind of like they mm. were just throwing it out there, and then Ali said, uh, I guess they offered it to Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker's manager made a post. I seen that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we offered us Gus. Like, they were just throwing it out there for whoever's going to be the first person to say yes. It's well, they of, probably have a bunch of people say yes, and then they sit down. Yeah. And they well. go over it. Like, what looks best for us? Like, what do we have? Yeah. You know? I'm not a matchmaker, obviously. You I'm know not what a goes promoter. on behind the scenes, I sort of barely do, man. I'm telling you, I know as little as anybody should in my position. <laughs> That's right. You're an independent contractor. <laughs> but, but legitimately. I have no fucking say. Look, if they listen to me, first of all, there'd be no more weight cutting, and there'd be weight classes every 10 pounds. That's what I would, I would fix. That I would fix that right away. I would do the same sort of hydration testing that 1FC does, let people fight at their natural weight, so you don't have these ridiculous 40-pound weight cuts. Like, did you see Brandon Davis in his last fight? Mm-hmm. He's, uh, uh, he fought at I 135. I saw his fight, but I didn't see the weight cut. He looked fantastic. But he looked he, pretty skinny because I heard him say he was giant. a 45 or whatever. He's giant. At 135, I'm standing next to him. I'm like, how the fuck are you 135 pounds? He does not. He looks like he's 170. That's like Montel Jackson, too, yo. Yes. I know him. Yes. He's about the same height as me. It's like Crazy. Like, like, how the hell you make? 135 with giant you hands gr- yeah like you're a grown ass Montel's man. got basketball palm and hands they say like he got he hands can... bigger than uh, Francis Ngannou yes he does they're huge and a 35 <laughs> pounder man and, and, and he fights smart too yeah. smart and technical yeah I watched but, him on the regional circuit he fought in my hometown a few times I would go there special guest and watch and I saw him his fight in amateur and I told Gene like this kid could be good he trained up in Milwaukee but not Rufus for, uh, Red Schaefer's at the time Yeah, and I saw him I used to go up there and train with her and I watch him like hitting pads and doing stuff. He's funky. He could he be could good be a, when he go pro. He, he could be a champion. And then sure enough, his first fight went the way it did. And then Cali, I remember seeing him in a hotel, like, Montel, let me highlight you real fast. Like, you know, I know you. I didn't seen you fight, bro. Go out there and do what you do. You're you're fucking good. Like, hit this dude as much as you can. When he falls a shot, get a submission. Mm-hmm. And you can't finish him with ground and pound. You can finish this dude. Like, I got you, bro. Thank you. And he went out there and did it in the back. I was like, man, I was surprised. Like, I'm not. I knew that. I seen what he's done in the gym. I know what he can do. He's special. He really is. He's he's got real potential. But he doesn't freak me out as much as his as Brandon Davis in terms of he weight. He looks cutting. healthy at his yeah. weight. Brandon Davis, like I couldn't believe that, like that he ever weighed one thirty five. When I'm looking at him, I'm like you're so big yeah. for that weight. And he was forty five before that. And apparently the PI, the UFC Performance Institute, they're the ones who talked him into going to thirty five. They're like you can make the cut. He was w- more than 160 when he weighed in when he was in the octagon. And that means, yeah, I heard him say, I'm about 160 now. And yeah. the PI said he can make it, that's good because when I went there, got one point coming off the OSP or Jimmy, I can't remember. Mark and him was like, oh, you always think about 85. I'm like, what? 85. Yeah. That's how coach, you remember I was 300 pounds. I was like, well, maybe. Like, I tried a test cut, it didn't go well, but now the PI was here. So I emailed them and went out there and we did a test, and Clint and Bo both said, well, Clint. Bo told me just get stronger. Clint was like, I'm going to tell you right now, Chris, I've seen your numbers compared to other numbers. You walk around smaller, but when you put your own system, your numbers is like, you're like gleaner than most of these guys. Like mm. You can make 85, but you'll probably like die. Like yeah, it wouldn't be healthy that. at all. You would, It wouldn't be worth it. Well, so many Two guys like 
Dustin Poirier, um, so many guys going up in weight class have been the best thing that's ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. So um, Jorge Masvidal, so many guys, they go up to 70, they just look better. Robert Whitaker. Whitaker is a perfect Champ example. Now. Champ Yeah, um, I mean, I think that it's a, it's, it's a bad environment when there's 20-pound weight gaps between like 85 and 205 mm-hmm. or even 15 between 55 and 70. These are giant weight gaps. That's too weight. much weight. You got to think from 205 to 85, that's 20 pounds. People are like, oh, you can make it like you. <laughs> Did you see me when I'm on a scale of 205? No, yeah. it ain't like I'm still flat. Like my yeah. abs is popping. Yeah. Like my cheekbones. What do you think <sighs> I'm going to look at at 20 extra pounds? Oh, like, you'd be a dead man. Yeah. Yeah, you look like a dead man. I mean, you'd have to literally like do something to your body. Like you'd have to run yeah, marathon to run distances. That's like Brandon was running like twenty miles a day. Brandon Davis before that fight. That's Carl Robeson because he yeah. was a big eighty five er. Like yeah. he fought two hundred five on contender, mm-hmm. but he wasn't like solid at twenty five two hundred five. You can see he still had more body fat mm-hmm. until stuff he can get off. I remember going out to the PI and they told him like you're going to become like a, a marathon runner. Just can't. What do you mean? They gave him his meal plan. It's like very small meals, but you got to run like five to three to six miles a day, mm. and then bike after that another ten to fifteen at night. So that's what we was doing. Like Sunday, hit me up. Like you ready to go to the park? All right, we go bike fifteen miles, and I leave. He go run the thing a five mile loop again. Like bro, that's fucking. He's like, I have to if I want to make weight. <sighs> but now he's got it down pat, so he doesn't have to do that anymore. Right. He had to get his body to where he's supposed to be. Walk around like two hundred five, two ten max lean. Mm-hmm. So when he get into camp, a good two three mile run, get him down to two hundred one. Mm-hmm. Now it's just like eat right and train, and then suck mm-hmm. that last few pounds. Yeah, off. certain yeah. people like that. But like when you see me. Like, I see, like, next to Glover, that's why I really pay attention to it. When I came in at 236 on two-week notice, we look about the same. We got on a scale, or when we did the face-off, and then we turned sideways. Like, you kind of see, like, he's thinner, but I got a, my torso and everything is thick because I was 300 pounds at one, pound, right. one point. I don't lose that frame. Did you ever think about heavyweight? In the UFC, Mark said it before. Yeah. He even said, like, bro, the way you 85, 205, and heavyweight. 85 is like 205ers. That's a little smaller, faster, but they don't hit as far, hard as they do in 205. In heavyweight, they hit hard, but they're a lot slower and faster than 205. So you can go up, and I think you still do great. And if you go down, I think if you rehydrate it right back up, you just go through everybody. But I like 205. Like I said, I haven't been dominated. Until somebody showed me I don't need to be here, Right. I'm not going anywhere. Well, especially when you're walking around at 235, that's really the weight class for you. Yeah, 205. Now, yeah, like I said, You time, feel great oh, and healthy phenomenal. at that weight. Yeah, why fuck around? To, the heavyweight division is so strange, too, because it's got a weight limit. Like, 265 always weirded me out. Like, mm-hmm. why is there a weight limit? Like, there should probably be a 225, and then there should be an unlimited. Yeah, It should be, be as smart. big as you fucking get. You know, like a bunch of butter balls just rolling around each other. <laughs> that probably be boring. Or giant dudes like Ngannou that don't even have to cut weight. You know, yeah, like Curtis Blaze. I know he was a big one. He's before huge. He came in. Yeah, I recruited him in college, and I seen him in high school. He was big. Then uh, who's another one? Um, Juan something. He just came in from the contender. Light skinned dude with the afro, real crazy. He fought in uh, Milwaukee, the Milwaukee car heavyweight. He fought my buddy in the contender. They went out there three weeks before. And he was like 290-something. Mm. Three weeks before, my teammate was like 250 already. And I told him, like, bro, this ain't going to be no regional fight. You need to come ready. This dude is huge. When he hits you, he's hitting you. And if he gets mm. you to the ground, he's Donkey Kong. you. <laughs> I had seen film on him, and Curtis Blaze hit me up about him when he first started fighting pro. And I had seen film. And I told him, like, I've seen film, but looking at how big this kid is, it's not going to be a fight you're used to. And sure enough, I think my guy took it, like, He's like, oh, he's big, but he's not going to be as fast as me. Shit. 
he rehydrated <laughs> up, but he was athletic as sh- oh, that was not a fight to watch. But lessons learned. Yeah. Now, if you could, if you were running shit, if Corey Anderson's president of the UFC, what would you change? The rankings. The rankings. Go back to where it was. If you beat this guy, you move up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why do they do it now? They do it based on like I have r- no journalists. Clue who runs it. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. A bunch of dudes yeah. vote for it. That's what they say. Yeah. In my mind, I feel like I think somebody in the UFC still has something to do with it, but they swear up and down every time I say something. I'll be like, it's not them, bro. It's somebody else. But I don't know. Because even Mick, after the Glover fight, he told me, like, bro, that was a hell of a fight. Thank you for stepping in. You've definitely been in top five. And I said in the interview, like, I should be top five, but I got a feeling I won't be. And everybody in the interview like, that sounds crazy. You just beat the number three. You'll definitely be top five. Wednesday came out, number six. <laughs> and people were feeling like, how does that make sense? Then I'd be a leader. It's like, oh, there's no question. You'll be top five. I was like, but if everything starts going great for you and growing the right way, do you think you'd be like, well, what the fuck am I fighting against now? Well, uh, that's why I, I made a tweet. Somebody posted before, like, I understand how Corey's steady dropping down the rankings when you got guys like Dominic Reyes. He beat Volkan, who was four. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, he lost that fight. but he, or Volkan was six, actually, or something like that. He lost that fight, but he jumped up to four. Like, how does he, he won off decision? Like, oh, it's because you lose or win on decision. They don't move rankings up for decision. Then he won off decision. He went up to number four. And somebody said, how is that even possible? I said, it's to the point now. I can't worry about fighting people that's in charge of the rankings and my opponent. Because if I worry about both of them, I'm not focused on something. Yeah. So I'm just worried about the opponent. And I'm just going to keep beating whoever they put in front of me. And eventually, if they keep trying to put these guys up to fight John, like off knockouts, like you said, Anthony Smith, he knocked out Rashad, uh, Shogun, and then choked out Vulcan. He went up there to UFC, uh, John, and he had none on the ground, all that extra stuff. Mm-hmm. It's good when you're knocking guys out. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Santo. He known for knocking guys out, but his losses um, in 85, other than Branch, he lost Eric Spicely on the ground. Mm-hmm. John is good on the ground. John's going to take him down. As soon as you come running me, yeah. if you hit him once, John's going to take you down, and you ain't going to have no answer. Right. You know what I mean? If you don't have everything tested by the time, when it's time to go to the championship fight, if you can't do nothing striking, it's over. Tiago to me seems like, I mean, he's a very dangerous guy, but almost like so aggressive that he's almost like a kamikaze guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's do or die, like kill or be killed. He comes in just swinging, throwing hammers. And if he connects, it's dangerous. If he connects, it's bad for everybody. But he might not connect, you know? I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of how he is. He's, he's, uh, he's a, a wild card. That's the best way to put it. Like, he mm-hmm. could connect on John. If John fucks around, and I don't think he will, I think, I mean, he hasn't ever before, except for the Gustafson fight, I don't think he was prepared as much as he should have. Mm-hmm. And we saw that in the second fight where he just dominated him. But I think that if he makes a mistake, Tiago can shut the lights out on anybody. 100%. That guy swings. He throws, like, it's the sledgehammer. He yeah. throws he's it. He's not trying to make it to the final round. Like, no. he's not pacing himself. There's none of that. That dude, he comes out hard. But it's like I think about him as my fight with Alir Latifi. Going into that fight, we I knew 100%. Alir, he's going to try to wrestle me. But if he can't take me down, everything is going to be haymakers because he's seen me get touched in the chin and go down and robble. Mm-hmm. So as long as I keep moving, if I make him miss, he's going to get tired. Mm-hmm. And he's going to stop throwing those big haymakers. And sometimes when he's swinging, he misses, he almost falls over. And it gives you like the counter or the yep. takedown. Yeah. That's the thing in our division, there's so many people – not rock, more like rock and sock and robots, I think, because they got their hands up and they blocking. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he's not hitting me. But with four ounce gloves, I guess I put like I was cage side for Ryan Bader and Johnson, Anthony Johnson. Bader had his hands up, but Rumble was hitting his hands so hard. Yeah. All of a sudden, you see his hands just drop and he was out. It, it doesn't matter. If you let him hit you, there's yeah. a chance of still getting wobbled. And I think with John, John's good at evading punches. Most guys stand there, block and counter back or try to take a punch and hit you back, like take a punch to give a punch. John's yeah. not that kind. He's going to move 
move, move. You swing. He's so long. He can put his hands out and keep you at distance and hit you with those quick, fast, long kicks and stuff. And I just, like you said, I don't see John messing around. He knows it's dangerous. He's smart. I would yeah. say John's not only the best fighter, but he's probably, and mentally as a mixed martial artist, he sees what's going on really well. Yeah. And he knows how to adapt. He can go out there and try tricky stuff at times when he know I can try some stuff right here and get away with it because I'm mm-hmm. long. Yeah. Like with the Shogun fight, he went out there and showed out jumping knees, jumping yep. kicks because Shogun was so short. Yep. And he knew. He said it. I'm a different breed. I'm longer. I'm faster and trickier. But I think when it comes to a guy like Gus, he didn't do all that stuff, but he knew he had to stay long and evade punches and get a takedown and hit him where you can. Yeah, in the Gus fight, he showed his mettle, right? He showed mm-hmm. that he could take it and then win in the championship rounds, even in a fight that he wasn't even really properly prepared for. He showed that in the Vitor Belfort fight, too, when he got caught yeah. with that arm bar. Yep. He overcomes adversity. He's mm-hmm. not just the hammer. He, he knows how to be the nail. He knows how to do it. Uh, well, listen, Corey, you're a bad motherfucker. I appreciate you coming here. We're going to talk hunting. It was fun. We're going to talk hunting. You want to talk hunting more? We did three hours, man. Well, we talked all MMA. Let's we get 30 minutes hunting. Let's 30 right, minutes okay, hunting. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I want to talk hunting. Okay, let's Fighting talk hunting. Fun, man. But I'm a hunter. But uh, well, you told me you're going on your first elk hunting trip this year. Yep, getting out to going Montana. To Montana. Mm-hmm. What? Do you, where part is it around? I can't remember. So um, he gave me the codes to put into the the DNR site. Are you using a different up. set? Because you're using a light setup out there for, but that's for target, right? Uh, here I got the um, sixty pounds. Yeah, sixty. And, it's like sixty-two or sixty-three. And how many grains hook. arrows? You said like less than uh, two sixty. Yeah, that's a really light yeah. arrow, man. I use when I go out there for elk hunting. I use either three hundred. So I got the grizzly stick weighted tips, or whatever. So three hundred grains. That's it. That's usually what I shoot. Three hundred yeah. grain. I shoot five twenty-five. Five hundred twenty-five grains. I should pull eighty-four pounds. I like. Uh, I like, like heavy that arrows. With the, tip and everything in it i don't know what it is with yeah. the answer yeah, i just yeah, know yeah. it's 300 wait i don't wait yeah in. with everything yeah yeah i have to get the scale i make my own arrows in the basement and all that but i just i don't have the scale to see how much it weigh at the end the um are you trying to do that for speed is that why you have the light grains that's just what the guy the my guy aces and arrows hats on right. hats i'm wearing actually in vegas i'm gonna connect mm-hmm. you to john dudley i mean i know you've already talked to him but i want to get you guys together mm-hmm. next time you're anywhere near here and he's anywhere or if you're in vegas and he's in vegas i'm gonna get you guys together and have him coach you and help you because i already i already see that you you're very accurate you know when we're playing techno hunt you're you're you know scoring in the vitals every single time you know except for one one little one yeah, little body. Fucker, one body shot but yeah. even that's a dead elk to where you where you hit it but john can help you tremendously he he'll he'll tighten up your shit yeah, i would love you. that i see his videos i study that stuff all the time but again he's like the mark henry of archery i see it yeah that 100 yard shot through the kettlebell on the target that's, <laughs> i tell my friends all the time like that was the most amazing thing i ever seen the hole is this big yes. 100 yards he went through and the arrow only broke because yep. of vibration yeah it's like you don't see people shooting like cam is good too but I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I don't. Cam could do it too. Yeah, but Cam doesn't post videos yeah. shooting through kettlebells and no. lessons he, he like that. He posts some crazy videos too, but I mean, it's just that level of commitment where mm-hmm. they're just constantly training, constantly doing. And John is also just such a fantastic coach. You know, he's so good at uh, understanding archery fundamentals and explaining it to you, you, positioning, and it's very much like martial arts in that you make a few little changes and it does the world a difference. I'm willing to learn. Like yeah. I said, most of the time, I'm learning on the fly. Like mm-hmm. I, my dad, we learned how to shoot together when I was like 12. One of his buddies was like, oh, you ever did archery? Took him to the range, got me a browning when I was a kid. And, you know, I was shooting there, did 3D shooting with him. It's kind of like what I learned was from what he learned. But if you know my dad, everything other than work, everything is kind of like ghetto. 
I used to call them the ghetto cowboy. We had horses and everything. And it was just like the way you see people do it on TV and whatnot. It was not the way my dad learned how to range horses and <laughs> grab horses and saddle them up. And everything was kind of ghetto. So I was the ghetto cowboy, you know. So now when I go back from things I learned and I tell him, because like you said, you see my Instagram, I'm all hunting. You know, yeah. if I ain't fighting, I'm hunting. Constantly. And he was like, where'd you learn this? It's just watching videos. And I go hunting with somebody else just instead of talking. Like I talk about what I know, but most of the time I'm just sitting there listening to guys talk. And I ask a question like, yeah, like I don't know what it is, but I make it seem like I do. But yes, what do you think about that? And they break it down. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no clue about that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Learn how to field dress my first deer in Texas with these guys, Hero Sports, a bunch of veterans. We go out. They asked me and Justin Gaethje. That's how I got close with Gaethje, hunting with those guys. We go out with veterans with amputated legs or mental problems, whatever. Just listen to their story. And we kill a deer. Like they've been hunting their whole life. They grew up as kids. So field dressing and how to call and like you shooting the rifle, like oh, you go to this website, and if you got a hundred and ten grain uh, bullet, it shows you here at three hundred yards, aim on this crosshair. And it, like, and I learned different stuff from those guys, veterans that do this stuff for a living. They done been to war and learned how to shoot a gun. Then guys, these are like John Dilley. I see his videos and his uh, knock school of knocks and whatnot, mm-hmm. watching yeah. stuff like that. Like you said, you ever had any coaching? Like. What I do is just practice over and over and over. When I'm at the range, the owner, Mike of A&M, he'll come out and be like, oh, kind of try to turn your head a little bit more. I didn't have a kisser button. Put a kisser button on. That'll force you to turn your head. And you need to be straight with the line, straight down, and think about pushing this lifeline through. And mm-hmm. just stuff like that. And I just practice. Like I said, I'm shooting. I used to shoot at least 100 arrows a day. Like I said, I popped that truck bed down, put the radio on your set there and shoot. I shot one time so long, I couldn't move my neck back the next morning. I fell asleep like this and I woke up. I could not. I was stuck. Like, I didn't even train because I was stuck with my head turned like this because my neck had got tight. Because I was crunching up here and doing this like I wasn't supposed to, but mm-hmm. it all tightened up. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm learning the hard way. Just like I went turkey hunting this year. This last week. Archery never, turkey? Yeah. Yeah. Never been turkey hunting before. I've only seen on YouTube. I heard somebody telling me at the trade show, the Great American Outdoors, and it just sounds so interesting. And I started YouTubing, and I ordered all the stuff I need, decoys, and I was teaching myself, watching videos. Knock. The first day I slate call and box call, I'm like, ugh, I know that's not right. Now, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> now I put it on the slate, and it sounds like an actual turkey calling. Like, I'm good in a week. I just mm-hmm. study and try. Right. So, stuff like that. So, I just look forward to Have you ever fucked with those hex suits? The who? Hex suit. You know what it is? H-E-C-S. It's uh, especially with birds. Birds, you know, birds can navigate using magnetics. They they use they use like the magnetic pole to in electromagnetic fields. It's been proven that birds can register and they see electric or sense electromagnetic fields. And they think that birds in particular and and sea creatures too. Like they use it with uh, scuba divers and and uh, spear fishermen and people like that. There's a suit that blocks the electromagnetic signal that your body gives off. And uh, it's supposedly particularly effective with turkeys, who you know are are very, uh, they see very well. And they see things, movement, and they're very, very skittish. If they see any weird shit, they just get the fuck out of there. But um, this guy, Mike Slinkard, who's one of the guys who created the hex suit, he hunts uh, turkeys with no blind. He just sits out in the field with this hex suit on that blocks the electromagnetic signal. And then he puts camo on over the hex suit. And there's videos of him doing this, man. It's kind of crazy. You know, this is... Uh, I was like, I check that yeah, out. Yeah, this is him sitting there. So he's sitting with this hex suit on right in front of these turkeys. 
Now, you know, as well as I know, that most of the time, if you were right in front of a turkey like that, they would get the fuck out of Dodge. Unless you got your little uh, decoy, the feather thing they put over. But he's not, he doesn't have that. They don't. He got a decoy in his hand. Yeah, I mean, he's probably got something, but a giant body behind him that he's, he's moving. But the idea is that it can't see the electromagnetic signal that you're giving off. There's a lot of videos on it. It's super controversial, but uh, Dudley swears by it. John Dudley swears by it, and a lot of other folks do too. Um, does uh, that Shane work for Dorian. whitetail too? Yeah, I think it does. I think it works for everything. I think animals can sense something. I mean, it's not everything, right? I mean, you still can't be downwind or upwind. You know, if if you if your wind comes and catches them, them, they're gonna smell you and they're gonna get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. But it's a another. What is that? Another. That's him with camel. Just Jesus camo Christ! That's a great picture. Like that's a perfect example of how camo works, right? That picture. It's true, but you gotta. If you try to take that picture, me and you tried that, you are gonna see me. It's like the perfect <laughs> angle. Yeah, and the f- of course. I mean, it's the perfect type of leaves, the perfect angle, the perfect lighting. Yeah, it's probably fucked with a little. But you know, the the hex suit is a very controversial thing. But uh, people smarter than me say it works. It really works with sea creatures for some reason. With um things in the water because you know animals they have that uh, lateral line or fish rather have that lateral line and they they sense electrical signals that are coming off of uh, creatures that are in the water and so uh, scuba divers swear by this fucking this suit it's interesting stuff yeah i've heard never heard i'm like what i'll get them to send you some yeah, I'll try yeah. It out for sure well like i said i listen to dudley when it comes to every i'm you know i'm like you when it comes to martial arts if someone's teaching me something i just listen i don't i don't second guess and when mm-hmm. a guy as wise as him says that it works i'm curious about it at least try it before i knock it yeah if it don't work for me then not. maybe it's just i'm doing something wrong mm-hmm. and if they come and show me and it still don't work it's kind of like i don't believe it. but if it worked do you have it. a particular uh camo company that right you now i'm appreciate? using sicker sick is the best yeah i love it they're the best yeah, i mean i got they gave me a little pro deal 50 percent off whatever. oh really yeah. oh that's great so it worked out yeah. perfect i love it it's still expensive but it's worth it yeah you know? they they just have so much engineering in their shit and guys like john barklow the guy who's with the designer that mm-hmm. does all the testing and cold weather and you ever see the cold water immersion test they've done with their shit Mm-mm. He's got a, a rewarming drill that he put online explaining to people what you do if you're in cold conditions and you fall into the water, like how to rewarm yourself. He's got a whole video where he did it. They jumped into this icy river and then, nope. yeah, nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> and then climbed out. out. And, you know, the, the suits are designed and a lot of the clothing is designed to allow you to survive in that sort of a situation. But, you know, you have to know how to do it, how to go about it. See, here's, there's John and uh, this guy that he's with. And they just dunked, there's John on the right, and they dunk themselves in this freezing fucking water and then get out and then they put on sleeping bags and got in the tent. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's from WPS, Joe. <laughs> 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 You're not going to see no black man dunking himself in no frozen water. That's WPS. Just to prove that's from WPS. It's white people shit. <laughs> You're not going to see no brother and no ice bag just to prove a point. I'm cool. Uh. Well, he's educating people. That was actually when he was in the military. That's what he did. He he taught cold weather survival. He's he's so thorough too, and you know, and he's one of the reasons why Sitka's gear is so well engineered and designed because they've got a guy like him that's uh, telling them how to design things. And he's a hunter too. He he hunted with me uh, last year. I, I hunted uh, elk with him in uh, 
in um, Utah. I'm actually going to get the test out. Like my buddy told me before, like I promise you, sicker, you get that warm and stuff, no matter how cold, you're not going to get cold. Like, it's the best shit. So I'm going to uh, Saskatchewan, Canada for Whitetail in November. Yeah. Uh, the guy Ooh. he told me, he said, it gets, he's like, it's not that bad, but it's kind of cold. Like, What's not bad? He was like, sometimes like negative. Like, that's fucking bad. Like, you come right, or I got an extra bodysuit for you. So I'm going to get their super warm gear mm-hmm. and try it out. And he said, if it don't work, I'll let you use the bodysuit. But yeah, well, you might guy. need the bodysuit in Saskatchewan. Yeah. It's fucking I'm, cold. I'm gonna test and see if it really works. I might see your boys' videos. Check it out. That Canada cold's a different cold. You know, mm-hmm. those people are hardy folks. Yeah, we went out there in uh, June for the bear hunt. Actually, me mm-hmm. and my dad. In the mornings, it was cold. Yeah, and by the time day the sun come out, and then we go to the top of the mountain. To, to glass and oh man fast like instantly hands froze I'm in the truck in the heat and he just out there chilling in his t-shirt like this is how do they do this <laughs> they're just used to but it yeah now you, when you were up there was that spot in stock or mm-hmm. we, yeah yeah. so you catching them when they were coming out of the dens and uh, eating we grass ca- we have to go up to the top of the, the viewing point at the top mm-hmm. of the mountain and we look me him and my dad he had the, the spot and scope and we both from binoculars he said just look for a black dot you see something you tell me and I put the spot and scope on it and see if it's a, a sow or a bear we can get mm-hmm. you know half sound like oh if it's a sow or it's cu- her cubs we're not shooting those we only want old males and it's crazy because it's a 30 minute drive to the top of the mountain so after we see him it might look like it's right there. It takes like an hour to get down there. Then we got to park, and then we still got to walk 20, 30 minutes and hope he's still in that area. Right. You know what I mean? And like I said, we came across elk. We came across cougars, all kind of stuff. But you get there, and that bear was gone. Yeah. And we hopped in. Like, all right, back to the truck, back to the top. And we did it all day till like, it got dark and it take us till midnight or whatever to get home because it was so far into the mountains. And it was great, like I said. But it walking, and I had the wrong boots. I had, like, work boots, so uh, <laughs> my casual stuff was burning the first day, but, and I'm with the head guy. He said, I don't like driving. I was, like, walking a lot, so we did a whole lot of walking. He's like, I figured you being a UFC fighter, I could test you out. I never had a guy as athletic as you that's able to walk. Most people are overweight or right, not right. that athletic, so you want to go a little bit and it's time to go to the truck. Like, you, I can test you out. It's a lot of cardio, man. Those Who are you telling? Walking off those hills. Who are you t- <laughs> man, I had never been so sore in my life. That's my mom said, like, Mr. Overtime 25 like right. you ain't did it, mama. Yeah. It's different. It's different walking up those hills and those yeah. guys that get used to it, those very specific muscles that you use when you're constantly hiking up hills. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you did a black bear hunt before, right? Yeah, I did a few. In, a uh, bow or a rifle? bow in um, uh, north of Alberta with uh, my friends uh, John and Jen, the Rivets mm-hmm. up there. They got a great camp up there. I just don't have the time to get away for that many camps. You know, and I prefer elk hunting. How like many camps you do and, a year? I pro- I'm, I'm going to do four this year. Four this year. Two elk, um, uh, one axis deer, and uh, one mule deer. Now, what about Saskatchewan whitetail? You seen cold those? Fuck. But would so you cold. would you do it? Yeah, I would do it. Yeah, I would I do it. He said he'd do whatever well, hunt he wanted to do. This year I can't because I, I do have something scheduled in November already. Well, you tell me when. I, I can't do more you. than one hunt a month. I'll get divorced. <laughs> My kids will beat me up. I'm on the verge of that already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, every morning I get up at 4 o'clock. She just put the baby back to sleep. I'm up making noise. Like, like I know. Wish me luck. I'll see you when I get back. I know. They don't like it, man. It's funny. But I get it. But it's it's one of those things that just takes a lot of time. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to go on a hunting trip, it's seven days away. You know, you have seven days and you're, you're going to be probably somewhere where there's no cell phone signal. 
But for me, man, it's very valuable for my head. I, 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 I recenter out there. I get it, man. There's fucking animals chasing deer and things are trying to survive. And it just puts everything in perspective for me. When I'm sneaking up on an elk and I'm, I'm tiptoeing, tiptoeing through the grass. And I'm just trying to get inside of like 60, 70 yards just to get a good shot off. And I'm trying to make sure the wind is right. And I'm not thinking about anything else, man. Nothing. And when I draw back and I center my pin and, you know, and I, I put, I'm looking through the peep site and everything's right and the housing's level and I've got my anchor point and I'm pulling with my back muscles and I'm just concentrating on that spot. Aim small, miss small. It all, the world goes away. The world goes away. And when that arrow finds that crease and sinks right through, then you see those fletchings disappear and you're like, oh, we fucking did it. (laughs) That's why people will never understand. Like, why would you be happy you killed an animal? Because it's so hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're happy the animals die. You're happy you did it. It's a relief. It's so hard to do. It's like people don't understand, like, to maintain calmness and stillness when you're drawn on an animal. It's not like a rifle. I've shot things with a rifle, and it's not easy. It's more hard than people think it is, but it's way easier than using a bow. Exactly. It's not even close. Because you got to draw back without being spotted. Yeah. Then you got to hold steady. Yeah. You know, like, the rifle is kind of, you got sticks. Yeah. You put on a stick, put it to the shoulder. Like you said, it ain't easy, but you find the crosshair. Once you get it settled, it's yeah. there. With that then bow. it's just squeeze, like squeeze, I'm, squeeze. Sometimes yeah. I pull I pull it down so they don't see me. So right now, I'm starting to shake. I've been held, yep. like, the one I held three minutes and 41 seconds I had to record, and I held his butt coming. He kept stopping. Like, I feel my back. So ah! like, ah! And I got up, and I put, now I'm, like, wobbly. I'm like, yeah. what? And I posted a video after that kill. Like, people wonder why I'm so proud of my kills. Like, do you know what it's like being 235 pounds, 6'3", in a tree, not being spotted, hold the bow, <laughs> you know, all, and you got to control your breathing. Yeah. And one wrong move in my head, if I go to itch something, he see my hat move the right. silhouette, he's gone. It's like yeah. literally, like I posted a video and it looked like a picture. Like right. just me holding, and it looked like a picture because I never moved. Like I don't think anybody would understand how hard it is to be as no. big as I am. All the way up in the tree with a climber. I'm using the climber, so that's hard too. And get up and just sit still. The wind blowing, everything. You can't sway. Your scent, everything has to be right. It's an art to it. People never know. They'll never know unless they do it. It's one of those things. And many people that get mad at people that do it are meat eaters, which mm-hmm. is, drives me crazy. They think there's something wrong with killing wild animals. Like th- that's the best way to do it because these animals, first of all, they're gonna you're gonna get organic, real wild meat. It's better for you. Second of all, like these animals lived a real life. They're not like caged. chained up in a butcher Ugh, shop. Come on. The funniest man. thing after I got the bear, me and my dad got, and we post a picture. And uh, this lady, she's in the same supplement company. And I know she eats meat. I've seen her at a barbecue, her and her husband, like, pounding burgers. Mm-hmm. And when I posted the picture, she's like, I can't believe you. I will no longer follow you. How could you dare go in the wild and kill a bear to eat it? And I said, don't you eat burgers? Or that you went and got a cattle Moron. that somebody took and chained yeah. up and slaughtered. Yeah. you rather that than me going out and getting them the most natural way ever? Not only that, like, if, if you love animals, you got to kill bears because they eat everything. Yeah. They eat the, 50% of all the deer fawns and elk calves they get killed by bears 50 percent of them like i posted a picture of killing a coyote once and everybody like oh why'd you kill a coyote it didn't do anything to you but the thing they didn't see i posted a video a week later i killed the coyote as he was chasing down a doe yeah he was ch- like trying to get him and i, I saw it and i swung through it and right when he came out pow flipped him and it was over i saved the deer's life but yeah. all y'all saw was the picture of the coyote well you can't eat them yeah but i saved 
the other wildlife. It's just you never make everybody happy. You can't make anybody happy that doesn't understand hunting. That's for sure. They they have this perception of it from movies and from a lot of those redneck stupid TV shows where you know they just they just don't they don't portray hunting in a positive way, Mm-mm. and so people get this negative impression about it. But I think with more people like you elite athletes that are getting into a Bo Jackson is a big bow hunter. You know, there's a lot of bow hunters now that are, you know, that were just athletes and they realize like, wow, this is thrilling and exciting. And then it's the best meat in the world. So you have so many pros and it's the most, I think it's the most ethical way to eat meat because you're going out and getting it yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not hiring some supermarket hitman. You're doing it yourself. All right, that's the thing. Well, my YouTube channel is the main point. It ain't all about hunting. It's more like one a black guy in the hunting community. Two, showing people it's more than just killing. Like, I, so far, the one I'm editing now is a turkey hunt. This whole week, I'm out there, but I didn't kill anything. But it's more. showing like, it's more. Like, you see the deer walk up, the view, yeah. the sun coming up, the sun going down. And you're shooting and so, all this and editing it, too? Yeah, I'm doing it all myself. Now, do you think you'll have a career in that after you get done with fighting? Well, that's, I don't. Like I told, when I meet people at the shows that work willing to work with me, like I don't, they're like, what do you want? Like I don't want no money or anything. I just want your help. If you can let me use one of your gear, one of your thing, and I advertise it, I put your little link at the beginning, tag the cam, Bow mm-hmm. Creek, different people I use, yeah. just put a thing on there. Just say, I don't want money, but because I'm just a fighter, I'm not a hunter, but I love the sport. You know, I love hunting, and you share, you help advertise, whatever. I just want to get as well as. Well known as I am in fighting, I want the same thing in hunting. And what that'll do is that'll bring other people. Because I see, like when I go to the bow shop, people ask all the time. Like I'm in the, today I was in the hotel with my boy. Like, oh, you got a gig somewhere with a guitar? Like, no, it's a bow and arrow. You see a guy say, bow and arrow. He look at me. Oh, yeah, I hunt all the time. I love hunting. Especially when you see me, like I told my wife, I'm going to be the first person on Joe Rogan shooting the techno thing with Jordan's a do-rag or with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> like, it don't work that way. Like, you don't, you, you don't are. see nobody wearing yeah. do-rag and Jordan's. It's you very see that rare. guy on the streets with sounds, but you see me with a bow or a gun. I wonder if you're the first guy to ever shoot techno hunt wearing a do-rag. And a bow. You might or, be. And, uh, and Jordan's. Jordan's. Well, Jordan's retro. maybe someone's done that before. Not I with would, the do-rag. Not with the do You might get somebody with a do-rag without right. the Jordan's. Right. You might get somebody with the Jordan's without the do-rag. It's true. I got them both. You got the combo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. I want people to see with the show, not about hunting. Just you don't have to be the typical, what people see. You see yes. country guys, cowboy hats, cowboy boots. Kick shit kickers and they mm-hmm. trucks and everything. That's the guy you expect yeah. to be a hunter. Right. The guy walk around a camel, but I want somebody to see. Because people find out, like, you hunt? I love it. That's it. I, I really know. Be a hunter when, when people see a, a top level UFC fighter doing it, they're like, whoa, really? Like, it's his life. Yeah. Well, you, like, that's, I love that you love it, man. It's, yeah. it's, it means a lot to me, man. I, I, I think that positive role models like you are what the sport needs to change people's. I don't want to say sport because I don't think hunting is a sport. Let's call it a, a discipline, culture. a culture to change people's perceptions of it. The positive people like you that are elite athletes and just for people to get a chance to see, like, hey, this is, uh, the, I mean, I'm not encouraging everyone to do it, but I think there's a lot of people that would love it that have never tried it because they maybe don't have an, an understanding of what it actually is. Mm. So if they see you or they see the videos of you doing, like Chad Mendez is deep. He's deep into it. That's all he wants to do. I love it. He he loves it. That's all he wants to do. I mean, he he basically is fighting to pay for his hunting career, you know? Yeah, I plan on it. Oh, hey, you found it. This is just scouting and stuff. Yeah. But right now I got- So is this in uh, Jersey? Yeah. This is like behind my house. I believe. Yeah. Oh, you got Mavens, huh? Mm -hmm. It's a lot. That I purchased. Like I say, everybody think everything I post is stuff I got hooked. No, a lot of stuff I got, I purchased because that's- what I like uh, to use. I'll have Maven hook you up. 
Brandon Weaver, where you at? I actually met him. I met him at the Great yeah. Outdoor. That's how I bought they it from him. Great, like I tried the stuff at the stand. Like I'm gonna purchase this. Oh, that's good, man. Good for you. They make yeah. great shit. I mean, there's a lot of great companies out there. Yeah, the guy filming. Like, he's a teammate of mine that hunts, but. One of the guys, I talked to Frank Yeager. He said he wanted to do it. Somebody gave him a bow. I said, give me a bow. I'll set it up. I'll show you how to get I got all my guys. Tell them all. Send the link. Um, do your hunter safety card, and I'll take you out. I'll film it, and I'll show you how to do it. Really? Like, my buddy's in Jersey. He's a Jersey Shore Guido type guy. But like I said, I taught him how to shoot a bow 15 weeks ago. Couldn't He kept mixing up the difference between... Uh, is this your shop? Yeah. This is the little pro shop in the basement. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm-hmm. So you set up your own bows and mm-hmm. everything? You level your third axis and all that that stuff. No kidding. That's great, man. I love it. So the thing is just getting people. I want average Joes. You get together with Jim Miller? He's out there too, right? He's up in uh, Summit. I haven't hunted with him, but we talk every once in a while. He's another one. Full balls deep. I'm working with his guys at A&W Labs right now for like attracting and whatnot. Them and Bow Creek are the two I use. Like A and W Labs, A and W Labs, for like attract. They got minerals and attractants like oh, on top okay. of the corn or whatever. Yeah. So like getting them on camera. Mm-hmm. So like I use this stuff like the Killer Q. Like I said, it's not just getting people in it, but like getting these local shops. Like right. he told me, like we don't sell in stores. We try to get a few here and a few there, but like we don't have the the network to get our name out there. Mm-hmm. So it's people like that. Right. I'm supporting those that support me. You help me support me fighting. And I'll post your stuff, you know, because I got more followers than you. So maybe somebody will click the link, for sure. go there, and they'll give it a try. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. You have a perfect attitude. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I, I think, you know, a, a, I mean, there's a lot of careers right now in the hunting world. Like a lot of guys make videos, they post videos, and they, they basically make a great living just making hunting videos. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can do that now. Hunting podcast now. You know, Steve Ranello, who's the guy who got me into hunting in uh, 2012 for that show. You've seen the that show, Meat Eater. Yep. Um, they, they make tremendous money now touring. They do these podcasts, these hunting podcasts, and then they do them live. They do them live at sold-out theaters. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, I tried to get him involved in podcasting years ago because he would be on mine, and he was so good at it. I'm like, you're such a great talker. You'd be perfect for this. And now it's just one of their, their biggest things. But it's one more way where guys can make a living and also spread a really positive message and be a great ambassador for, for hunting, for the hunting community. Like I, I told, post on Frankie's, he did the, um, the butcher box. Is that the new yes, thing he's doing? Yeah. And I told him, like, I've been trying to tell him, get out to the woods with me. Like, we can get you some meat. Like, I right. gave him and Ricardo meat if they want it out of my freezer. And somebody said something about my comment. I was like, I can give a man a fish and he have food for days, but if I teach a man to fish, he have food for life. Like that's yeah, he can get this box. Right. Like it'd be cool. He's like, oh, not everybody can hunt like you, but I can teach him. Yeah. Anybody as well, you can hit me up anytime. If you willing to hunt, if you can make it to me, I will take you out. And New Jersey is infested with deer. Everywhere, everybody's like, oh, you're you're a murderer. I'm, but when it hits your car, you mad. <laughs> I'm saving you that problem. People you know die. I mean? Some guy in my friend Cam Haynes' neighborhood last year died. Guy in front of him hit a deer. The deer went up in the air and came through his windshield, killed him. That's a freak story. Yeah. But if I killed him, if I shot the deer before he got to the road, right. that wouldn't happen. You saving lives. I'm saving lives. <laughs> and Getting Lyme disease and ticks and everything out of Did there, you get you know? Lyme? Not yet. Fuck. I'm out there. I'm, my wife say all the time, you like. Obsessed with ticks now. You should be. Exactly. I'm like, I feel like it's a tick on me or something. Maybe I got ticks. I put the Sawyer's on. I use Lethal now. Good. I put it on my skin, everything. Good. But I'll be in the woods and I, and I feel something. And I pinch, and sure enough, fucking tick on me. Really? I get home and I got socks over my pants, gloves over my sleeves, and everything tucked in. And I take everything off. I look in the mirror, sure enough, be one on my back. Like dead ass. I was at the Philly fights 
And me and my buddies from Hero Sports, we sound like, Drew, I feel like something on my back. Like, bro, you just, what are you talking about? We saying, ain't nothing on your back. And I reached in my shirt and sure enough, put a fucking tick on my back. Like, what, like bro, we bad, in Philly man. at the fights. Wow, fucking tick get on me. They're everywhere. Like, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, and some giant percentage of them have Lyme disease. They say New Jersey is the highest infested place. With ticks, I with can Lyme imagine. And Lyme. I mean, you see what happened with Jim Miller. I mean, yeah, it fucked him up for years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it fucked my friend's son up. He got Bell's palsy, where his, his face went numb on mm-hmm. his son. Yeah, it's fucking bad, man. I think Frank was Frank. Yeah, one of the guys at Jim, his wife had Lyme, got bit a while ago, and she was messed up for a while. Marcus Davis, you know, Marcus mm-hmm. Davis wound up using all of his money he earned in the UFC to help his wife because his wife got real bad Lyme disease, where she was hospitalized for a long time, man. It could, like, people don't understand that that shit can devastate you. That is a dirty disease. Mm-hmm. Those little stinking fucking ticks, man, they can really mess your life I'm up. I'm surprised Cam don't get as much as he carry the deer. As I, every time I see that now, I'll be thinking, like, how do you carry the deer on your neck? If he and did, he'd never tell anybody. <laughs> he would have Lyme disease and just run 150 miles until the Lyme disease died. <laughs> run it out. You know yeah, I mean? he's a psycho. Yeah, he, there, you, there's discipline, and then there's what that guy has. And this guy, like, too. Oh, yeah, Goggins. Goggins. He's another one, man. He's another one. It's like these guys, like they exhibit this next-level toughness that makes you re-examine what you're doing. Like you think you're tough, and then you find out like Goggins. What did we say he ran? Like 28, 100 fucking mile runs in a row, something insane like it's, that. It's a lot. Why? It's more than one's a lot. So. Why? Because it's to you prove run, it. When you run over two miles, I look like, why? Like, I, you get, I get text message from Goggins and say, stay hard, motherfucker. <laughs> this is, I'm checking in on you right now. You see All text, these pussies you see him yelling. There. You hear him yelling <laughs> yes, in the text. Exactly, Have man. you seen the um, documentary on uh, Netflix, Losers? No, I haven't. Uh, look it up. It's one on there. Uh, the guy called Lost in the Desert. It's a guy who runs. It's a desert run they do. Can't what country, but he go out there. And he was just so men, so obsessed with winning. Like it's a thousand people running through this desert, but it's a course they have to follow. But when the wind get bad, they got check ins or whatnot. They're supposed to follow. And this guy, he was so obsessed. Like he wasn't checking. He was like trying to take shortcuts. And like if I go this way, I will find it. And he ended up going off the course. And when it cleared up, he was way off course. But he was so obsessed. I still got to finish. He was out there for like. Five or some five or six days, yeah. And they was talking about how they announced to his family. They told his family, your husband's dead. We can't find you. Find him. They had helicopters going all over the place. He went to a point where he started drinking his own piss. He found his cave. It was full of bats. He started ripping their heads off, mixing them up, drinking it to survive. Drinking the bat juice? Bat juice, mixing it up. And he, like, at one point, heard a helicopter coming over. He took all his clothes, all his gear, dug a hole, and set it all on fire, hoping they would see him. As the fire went up, the wind blew it out. So he didn't get seen. So he out there with no gear, no nothing, in the middle of nowhere. He survived. He ended up getting back. And his oh, mind says, like, I have to finish. Shit. He said, everybody left. He said, when he got there, the checkpoint was gone, but his friend had flew back to find him. And sure enough, oh my he, his friend was there, found him in the desert. Yeah, it's called, the, the document is called Losers here. Thank you. Losers in the episode is Lost in the Desert. The whole show is good. All the little things on it is good. But that Lost in the Desert one, he ended up divorcing his wife. His wife left him because after that, he still went back. He came home and she was like, you're not going back. He's like, I'm doing it again. I have to finish. And now he still does it. He divorced his wife his, for that? His wife left him. Well, his wife left him because you got a family. When she left, right. when he left, she was mad. Like, what about your family? People die on this. What happened? He's like, don't worry. This is this. I love this. I have to do it. When he came back and his wife was like, we're not doing it again. He was like, yes, I am. Like, you just was on, like, he was pretty much dead. They put him in the hospital. They found him and everything. Lonely and he ended up doing it again. Morrow Prosperi. Wow. The survival story of Marl Prosperi. 
disoriented after a sandstorm Sahara Desert, this Italian ultramarathon runner, runner walked nearly 200 miles to safety. Fuck. But he's Italian. He's probably going to get divorced anyway. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> those, those fucking guys are animals. Yeah, when you see that, you're going to be like, after, I want you to direct DM me after you watch it. I will. Like that was. I will see it. When he ate the bad juice, I was like, that. I would just kill myself there. I'm not. <laughs> like he was literally biting their heads off, just in a cave, dark, no light. But he could. He was feeling from. He could see the eyes. He grab, oh, bite the head, Jesus and rip it up with a stick, and just drink. That's how he would survive Ugh. in a cave. What kind of diarrhea did that guy have? I don't care. Was Drinking bat. I guess I'm- he even killed. He tried to kill himself actually. Really? He, but he was so dehydrated, he cut his wrist. He said he had the last sharp thing he had. He cut his wrist with, it and went to bed hoping he was gonna wake, like not wake up, dead. And he woke up. He was like, "What in the world?" He said, and "That was my sign that I wasn't supposed to die." He said, "When he got to the hospital, when they saw his wrist, they said you were too di- dehydrated." To, to kill yourself. He didn't have anything. He couldn't bleed. He healed Jesus up. Jesus Christ. And he said that was it. He was walking. He said, I felt myself fainting. I just kept telling myself, I'm here. I have to make it. I have to make it. And I have to make it. And he said he finally, like, he see, like, some girl walking out there in the desert. He started walking the way she was going. And then the army, whatever arm, wherever they was at, the army out there come get him. And they got guns and shit. He think he's going to die. And he ended up taking him to the hospital. And he woke up. He had IVs and everything. And they recovered wow. him and took him back to his family. It's a crazy story. Like, all of them was good, but that was my brother called me like, watch that, bro. If you got a mentality like that, you are the fucking man. Watch that. Two days in, he stumbled into an abandoned Muslim shrine where he noticed some bats huddled together. Prosperi grabbed a handful of them, cut off their heads with a knife, and then sucked out their insides to drink their blood and quench his thirst. Eventually, he did his vampire act on 20 bats. When another three days passed with no signs of rescue, he slit his wrists and waited to die, but his blood had thickened due to dehydration so it wouldn't drain out. Fuck, man. Like, that's some Goggins and Cam. They need to get yeah. together and do a podcast and talk yeah. about that. Like, that was... They wouldn't have cut their wrists. No. <laughs> ain't that tough? <laughs> no. Uh, no, they, oh, wouldn't, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have tried they to just, kill themselves. You're right. They would have just kept going. Mm-hmm. I think the, those those kind of people, those ultra-marathon people, it's a different different breed of human. You know, they it's like everything has... There's levels, right, to everything. There's levels. You, you've, you've experienced it in your own life where you toughened up, you became a, a stronger person, a harder person, and then there's levels past that, and then there's levels past that. And especially for people that have one solitary thing they do, like ultra marathons. They're all the skinny dudes who can just keep going. They just it. keep going. It's just it's, it's the, the pulling it off, the crossing the line. And knowing that you did something that seemed almost impossible, so so titanically, epically difficult to do, that so few people can ever do it. When they do, they're talking about running a 500 mile race now because they did the uh, Moab 230 and they had the Bigfoot 200. They're all these people that are putting on these races, they're like, okay, we could do 240. Let's see if we could do 500. So now they're talking about doing a 500 mile race. It's next level. It's hard for me to run a 5K. I hear you. Well, you're a big fella, too. <laughs> I mean, I could do it, but I did it in college, and I've never <laughs> ran like a nothing calculated like you had to pay due again. It was like a charity we had to do for college. Nope, never again. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? Like yeah, a I'm going to go run 5K. I ain't going to pay to go run. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going skydive. Why am I jumping out of a perfectly good plane to go on the ground? Yeah, why do you have plane. to pay to run a 5K? Like, what are they, are they organizing it, I guess? I guess so most of them like, go to foundations and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But even then, like, you heard about the foundations that take money. I don't trust none. You, you do hear so about So I was like, sometimes. I'm not paying no hundred and some bucks to go run 13.1 miles. Right. I'm cool. People know <laughs> it's more the fact that I can say I did it. 
I can say I did it on my own. Yeah, <laughs> I, I run thirteen point one miles. I just check my phone. You know what Look, mean? thirteen miles. We're good. You Drive home. <laughs> track my mile. Track my run. <laughs> Boom. Tell me yeah. how far I go. Hit thirteen. I'm done. Calling yeah. a taxi. <laughs> but you, uh, like, when you're a big guy like you, you probably it's probably not good to run a lot of miles, mm. right? A lot of pounding, especially on flat footed shit. I'm yeah. so flat, like my ankles, like touch the inside of my ankles touch. I'm so flat footed. I'm I pretty flat footed. Zero af- zero arch at all. So like, I get a new pair of shoes every camp, but mm-hmm. after camp it's over because by all the movement and running I'm doing, I use the same shoes, athletic shoes for hitting mitts and shadow boxing and running. So with all the flat footedness pushing down, pushing down, by the time it's time to fight. It's gone. Like, I feel it. My feet start hurting. My calves hurt. I know it's time for new shoes. You ever try minimalist shoes? Like those toe shoes or or minimalist shoes? I don't think they make them in my size. What size are you? 14. I bet they do. I guarantee you they do. They make them in 11. I'm 11. Oh, yeah. That's a big difference. They make everything in 11 and 13. <laughs> my whole, I had a size 14, 14 at the 14 age up. of 14. So really? You know, yes. Damn. My feet grew made, so you I was must look like a puppy. No, I was big. I was six foot time. Or freshman year in high school, 13 years old, I was six foot. Wow. Yeah. Like size 200 14 and something shoes. Pounds. Yeah. Jesus. I like I was a heavyweight wow. from freshman year in high school to senior year in college. That's wow. Two fifteen to two eighty five. What motivated you to go down to motivated you to go down to two oh five? Well, I went. I did a catchweight fight at like two twenty. The fight before I went to Ultimate Fighter, and when I went there, I had to go two oh five. My coach said, "You made it. You won the belt here. You might as well try it. Go two oh five. Like you can do it. I know you can do it." Right. Once I got it, I was like, "All right, I can do this." And then it was like eighty five. I was like, "I can't. I'm not doing it. I could do it, but I'm not doing it." I remember what it took to get here. It ain't worth it. It's not worth it. It's you're, you're too big, you know. You, if you look at you, like I, I think a lot of guys have fucked their careers up by doing that, mm-hmm. by dropping too much weight. Yeah, I think it's it's, you really get rocked off a of punch. Then you're yes. very dehydrated. That one little touch, like I said, I think that was a part the reason why I got knocked out against Jimmy. So he did too. I was so light. I weighed in at two oh five, and next day I weighed in at two twelve going to the ring. He was two twenty nine checking in, and he weighed in at two twenty seven before the ring. Mm. And he said, "Like you're too small." And I feel like my mind, like I said, I used to. Keep myself so low, like when I wake up and when I get up so fast, I'm trying to sit back down. Like I could tell I was getting lightheaded so easy. You know what I mean? Cause I was doing too much, so I didn't get lightheaded. And I just sit there for a while, drink some water, and stand up slow. Like that's the feeling you get when you couldn't wait. That's so crazy. But I was feeling that all the time. Do something too fast in training, and just had to sit there on the mat. Like, yeah, yeah, give me a second. And I stand up like, all right. Terrible. Yeah, but in my mind, it's like, if I stay here, I'm always ready for a fight. But it wasn't good at all. No. Now you're cutting back on your performance in a big way. But listen, man, now we did a half hour more, so yeah, we're good. good. Let's get the fuck out of here. And uh, <laughs> let's, let's go on a hunt, man. Let's you and me do I'm it. We'll, down. Okay, we'll figure something out. This I'm, I'm all booked up for this fall, but maybe next year we'll start planning. Whenever. I'd like to take you out to Utah, I especially after this year's elk hunt. Um, you're going to love it. All let's right. do it. Corey Anderson, thank you, sir. Enjoy Appreciate things. you, man. Bye, everybody. <laughs>